golly, Super Tuesday sure surprised me. I mean, I thought putting the health insurance companies out of business would be so easy. Come on, get back in the game. We got Michigan next week. We got Michigan next week. As Ralph Nader says, I don't do mood swings. You got to get up and fight every day. You got to get up and fight for what you believe in. Every day is a fight. When Bernie wins in November, that's when the fight begins. So lick your wounds, walk it off. There's a big haul next Tuesday. A lot of real estate next Tuesday. Washington, Michigan, Bernie can win this. You don't give up the fight. You never give up. When you win, the fight just begins. That's when the fight begins. You can't coast. You can't say something like, well, after Election Day, my work is done. No, you have to fight because the other side never stops fighting. The people who support Joe Biden have combined jobs with politics. There are people whose job it is who get paid six figures, seven figures a year to push the corporate agenda. They never stop because because they're being paid not to stop. We have to keep fighting these people. Otherwise, they're going to continue to win because that's their job. It is the job of David Pluff to go on MSNBC and push the centrist agenda. This is David Pluff was Obama's campaign manager. He immediately cashed out after Obama won, took a job with Facebook, took a job with Uber. Then he goes on MSNBC and he's introduced as Barack Obama's campaign manager, not the uh, the lobbyist for Uber, not the lobbyist for Facebook. And he seems reasonable because he has the patina of Obama written all over his face. But he's a corporate tool making millions, pushing the centrist agenda, the corporate agenda. That's what we're up against. They never stop. They never stop because they get paid not to stop. This guy Gibbs, who's on MSNBC all the time, he was briefly Barack Obama's press secretary. He lasted half a year, I believe. Then he cashed out and he became chief communications officer for McDonald's. He's a lobbyist, doesn't get identified as the former chief communications officer for McDonald's. He gets identified for a job that he had 12 years ago. Barack Obama's press secretary. And he sounds sweet. He sounds innocent. But he's on CNN and MSNBC pushing the corporatist agenda, because when you push the corporatist agenda to the voters, you get paid seven figures. The same applies to this guy, Joe Lockhart, who 20 years ago was briefly, briefly Bill Clinton's press secretary during the impeachment. He cashes out, becomes a lobbyist. He speaks for the insurance companies, the credit card companies, the pharmaceuticals. When he goes on CNN, when he writes pieces for the New York Times, nobody identifies him as the lobbyist he is. He has spent more of his career lobbying Washington than working for the American people. They call him a press secretary for Bill Clinton. He's a press secretary for the corporatist agenda, but he sounds reasonable because for a brief moment in time, he was Bill Clinton's press secretary. This is what we're up against. Okay. You're up against this, 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 the establishment Democrats who get richer and richer pushing the corporatist agenda, defending 
health insurance companies fighting, fighting for fracking. I'm talking about Democrats, Clinton Democrats, Obama Democrats who are fighting for fracking, who are fighting for the credit card companies, who are fighting for the banks. Look at Anita Dunn, Joe Biden's campaign manager. Where does she come from? She comes from fracking. She's a consultant to frackers. When Joe Biden gets elected, you think she's going to take on fossil fuels? Joe Biden is taking all his money from health insurance lobbyists, the same way Pete Buttigieg takes his money from health insurance lobbyists. This is what you're up against. You think it's going to be easy to get Bernie elected? You think revolutions are easy? You got to get up and fight. You got to be angry. And anger is a good thing. Joe Biden's a bad guy. Joe Biden's a bad guy. The devil, I'm not saying he's the devil, because the devil can string a sentence together. He comes across as so sweet, but he's not looking out for you. He's making backroom deals with the people in the fracking industry, the health insurance lobbyists. He's telling you that we should look into his heart. He says, look inside my heart. Don't look at my track record. Don't look at where my campaign money comes from. Look inside my heart. You know, when you watch the Democratic establishment circling the wagons for Joe Biden this past week, the same type of party hack who welcomed Reagan's dementia. People knew that Reagan had dementia by the time he was running in 1980. And, and that was a good thing, because that made him easier to control. Those same party hacks are now gravitating to Joe Biden. Joe Biden's memory lapses, his incoherence, his lack of focus, they are not seen as liabilities. They are seen as reasons to to support him because he's telegraphing to the donors, the donor class, that he'll be a compliant corporate stooge. Joe Biden did exceptionally well on Super Tuesday because Barack Obama, another corporate stooge, yes, I love Barack Obama, but he is of no use to me anymore. Barack Obama picked up the phone. He got Pete, Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke. He got them to all agree to put the thumb on the scale. And then that same thumb went into your eyes, the eyes of the working class. They handed Joe Biden his victory. He didn't earn this victory. Nobody handed Bernie Sanders anything other than their votes and $5 contributions. Bernie reminds us that he stands on the shoulders of others. But if you compare Bernie to Biden, Biden is standing on the shoulders of, of Obama, Pete, Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar, Beto, the Democratic establishment. He was propped up by the ruling class of the Democratic establishment. And that's how these people operate. They, they claim there's a meritocracy, but it's all favors. They help themselves. How the hell does Hunter Biden get an $80,000 a month job at Burisma after being a crack addict for five years? Because... The ruling class, the corporate elite within the Democratic Party, as long as you're willing to compromise your principles, as long as you only care about money and not the people you represent, you get plenty of favors. And that's who the Democrats, that's who runs the Democratic Party. 
Barack Obama, Barack Obama, who I used to love, got on the phone and told the Democrats that Bernie Sanders is dangerous. Six years ago, he went to Flint, Michigan, drank the water, said it wasn't. He says Bernie Sanders is dangerous, but the water in Flint, Michigan isn't. That's who Barack Obama is. He went to Flint, Michigan. There was lead. There still is lead in the water. And the African-American community in Flint, Michigan thought, well, we have a, a black president. He's going to he's going to save us. He's going to get a consent decree from the Justice Department and start pumping clean water the same way the Ford plant was getting clean water after they discovered that it was destroying the engines. There was a pl- an automobile plant in Flint, Michigan. The governor got a complaint that the, the, the water was destroying engines, destroying parts that they were assembling. So they switched the water for the car manufacturer. But our kids in Flint, Michigan were still getting lead poisoning. They put car manufacturers over the African-Americans living in Flint. Barack Obama flies to Flint, Michigan, deux machina. He's coming down from the sky to save the African-American community. What does he do? Go watch the video. He drinks the water and says it's safe. But Bernie Sanders is dangerous. That's why Joe Biden did so well on Super Tuesday. He made backroom deals with Obama, who's got to be worth $100 million by now. He's got that $12 million home on Martha's Vineyard. Production deals with Netflix, Barack Obama. I'll never stop working for you. Remember he said that? I'll never stop working for you. Apparently he was talking to the richest 1%. Where are Barack and Michelle? Where are they when it comes to unions? Why aren't they marching with the McDonald's workers? Because they're they're management. Barack Obama is now management. He's a producer in Hollywood. He's management. Mayor Pete Buttigieg with the wine caves, Amy Klobuchar, The DNC establishment all made deals with Joe Biden last week. Now, Warren, who dropped out, and Bernie combined, they would have beaten Biden in every primary. They would have. Had Warren dropped out the way Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete did and threw their support behind Biden, if Elizabeth Warren dropped out and threw her support behind Bernie, he would have won Maine. He would have won Massachusetts. He would have won Texas. Maybe Texas. But Warren and Bernie fight for what they believe in. Bernie more so than Elizabeth Warren. And I have my quarrels with Elizabeth Warren. Howie Klein has convinced me that she would make a great vice president for Bernie. And I agree. She's not about to drop out before Super Tuesday because she's going to fight for her supporters, especially the people who donate money. The people who give money to Elizabeth Warren don't have much. She's not going to drop out before Super Tuesday. It's easy for Pete Buttigieg to drop out before Super Tuesday because all his money came from the billionaire class. We saw him in the wine cave. The people who were donating to Pete Buttigieg, they're fine with Joe Biden. They don't feel their money was was thrown away by giving to Pete Buttigieg. That bought them his endorsement of Joe Biden. They're the same side of the coin. Same as Amy Klobuchar. Any victory Joe Biden achieved this week flows from his creation of a coalition of sellouts, opportunistic Democrats 
who put ambition ahead of any promises they make to voters. You cannot trust Joe Biden. Any promise he makes is a lie, and he has a storied history of lies. Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete, Beto O'Rourke, and yes, Barack Obama are quitters. They surrender. They surrender before they even start. And that's why they they threw their support behind Biden. They talk a big game about wanting universal health insurance, about putting an end to these wars. They talk about climate change. They talk about it, but they quit. They quit. They have no fight in them because there's money to be made in surrendering. Obama surrendered. He quit the working class the day he took office and put Tim Geithner in Treasury and refused to own the banks after we bailed them out. Bernie, he doesn't quit. And Warren, I have my problems with her, but she didn't quit before Super Tuesday. I don't know why anybody who is part of the 99% would vote for Joe Biden other than you're buying the BS. You're, You're susceptible to the branding. Why would you vote for Joe Biden? Why? How does he run on Obamacare? How can he defend Obamacare? What, what, great, now parents only have to spend 16 hours a week trying to get Aetna to approve chemo for their kid. It's down to 16 hours a week on the phone with Aetna. you got a kid with cancer. That's what Obamacare does for you. Who would vote for Joe Biden other than somebody who gets hard watching 500,000 Americans go bankrupt each year for medical debt? That's who Joe Biden is. 90 million under or uninsured Americans, thanks to Obamacare, thanks to this love letter to the health insurance companies. 500,000 Americans go bankrupt for medical debt still every year. And the Democratic establishment rides, rides to your rescue. How? By destroying the one candidate who's going to save you, Bernie Sanders. They don't care about the 500,000 Americans who go bankrupt for medical debt. So Joe Biden, if he gets the nomination, will follow in the footsteps of Hubert Humphrey, Walter Mondale, Al Gore, vice presidents, Democratic vice presidents, who mistakenly believed that the American people thought it was their turn. Very few vice presidents are successful presidents, become successful presidents. George Herbert Walker Bush... Richard Nixon, vice presidents are trained, trained to keep their mouth shut, to trained to bite their lip. That's what they do as vice presidents. They're not original thinkers. They, they are drained of anything they believe in. And then, then the moneyed class looks at them and says, well, he was a loyal vice president. He'll be loyal to us. And then their failures as candidates, you know, their coalition builders and if they do get elected president they're they're massive failures because they're willing to compromise taking the job of vice president means you've given up lyndon johnson was an exception too complicated to go into right now vice presidents are quitters for the most part they quit they give up their dream and quit and take a job as vice president they surrender all their, they surrender their moral compass, everything they believe in to serve the president. Look at that. Look at Mike Pence. Look at that smile on his face. 
That's who Joe Biden is. That's what Joe Biden did for eight years. He bit his bit his tongue, kept his mouth shut, put ambition before his core beliefs. You don't win the presidency that way. And if you do win it, you're destined for failure because a good president doesn't compromise. He doesn't quit, but he's Joe Biden has built a coalition of quitters. That's who Pete Mayor Pete is. That's who Amy Klobuchar is. They quit before Super Tuesday because that's how centrists, that's how moderates always confront big challenges. They compromise. They surrender. They're going to surrender on Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, free tuition at public universities, Pete, Mayor Pete and Amy, they gave up before they even took the chance. They didn't even wait for the results on Super Tuesday. They gave up before Super Tuesday. They're not adults. They're not pragmatic. They're not realistic. They're self-serving, ambitious cowards. They bill themselves as, as centrists who can, can get things done. And they did what all centrists will do. They quit without even trying. Why bother to see what happens on Tuesday? The experts told them it can't be done. You lost. So they give up. Centrists like Pete, like Klobuchar, like Beto, they give up because they believe that nothing is worth fighting for other than themselves. Nothing is worth fighting for other than themselves. Wall Street went through the roof after Super Tuesday. They started writing checks to Joe Biden. That's who Wall Street is. This is the same Wall Street that reacts to the coronavirus by selling, by cashing out, by taking their money and hiding. There's your free market solution in a nutshell. When, when the coronavirus, when they look at the coronavirus, they grab their money and, and they run for higher ground and will always diminish government solutions by going on and on about Bernie's three houses. Can't rely on the government to protect us from coronavirus because Bernie has three houses. Socialism doesn't work. That's who Wall Street is. The 1% Wall Street, they hate government until they need it. But now they own our government. They look at Mike Pence, who's in charge of the coronavirus, who's, who's the coronavirus czar. And Wall Street realizes their greed has stripped their government of the wherewithal to save us. So they sell their they sell their stocks because they have no faith in the government they own. Wall Street, when they look at the coronavirus, knows that you can't privatize a pandemic because rich people breathe the same air as the uninsured. And instead of coming to the realization that we're all we're all intertwined, we're all part of the same fabric, and that maybe Bernie would be good for the economy, that maybe a strong federal government can take on the coronavirus, a strong CDC can protect Apple's factories from these flus. They hide. They hide their money. They turn their back on the economy. They sell. They sell because they're short-term day traders are only thinking about themselves. And then when Joe Biden wins big on Super Tuesday, they start giving him money because he's a short term day trader who doesn't think about the future. But the coronavirus and I don't know how bad it's going to get with the coronavirus. 
I don't know. But it reminds us all that there is no wall that can protect you from the suffering of others. All sickness, all suffering is contagious. Symptoms may vary, but your virus is my virus. Your cancer is my cancer. Your heart disease is my heart disease. When somebody is suffering, it affects us all, and it affects the economy. Now, Wall Street does not care about our economy. It cares about the financial sector. So if they can't profit off your suffering, they bail out. They bail out. We see, we've seen the sell-offs on Wall Street. Wall Street is not the economy. Healthcare must be free, not affordable. And if healthcare is free, free, then a socialist will save the free market. Watch, watch the economy grow when healthcare is free. In the end, Joe Biden, idiot. That's what he doesn't understand. In the end, Amy Klobuchar, ambitious, but an idiot. In the end, Beto O'Rourke, ambitious, idiot. Mayor Pete, with seven languages. I don't know how to say idiot in seven languages, but he's an idiot. And the same goes for Barack Obama. If they think the richest 1% are good for the economy, they're idiots. They're not. The richest 1% is only good for themselves. The richest 1% is only good for themselves. Beto O'Rourke is only good for himself. His fire hose of platitudes mean nothing. His father-in-law is a Republican with a net worth of half a billion dollars. His Republican father-in-law funds his campaigns. That's who Beto O'Rourke is. He married into money. He loves money. He thinks people with money have all the answers. Turn over the tables, Michigan. Washington State next week, turn over the tables in the Democratic establishment. Like Jesus, you got to clear the moneylenders from the temple. Let them go be Republicans. Not only do we not need them, they're destroying us. The people like Beto, Amy, Mayor Pete, Joe Biden, they don't belong in the Democratic Party. You don't build a coalition with the coronavirus. That's who Joe Biden is. He's the coronavirus, and he is poisoning our party. The Clintons have poisoned our party. Obama has poisoned our party. Their greed, their obsequiousness towards Wall Street has poisoned our party. Let's get back to our roots, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and let's serve the 99%. People who take money from frackers, from the oil industry, from the financial sector, from the health insurance companies. They are the coronavirus within the Democratic Party. They are the poison that is killing everything this party used to stand for. Okay, all flight controllers, go, no, go for landing. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Econ. Go. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're a go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet.
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program. You sad, pathetic hump. Well, that coronavirus. You just want to, we're rolling, by the way. You just want to talk about the coronavirus. Well, I don't think anyone wants to hear about anything else. <laughs> okay. Joining us, let's go to Los Angeles, where Howie Klein is standing by. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive, some socialist candidates around the world and uh, around the world, around this country. And let's also remind people that they must go to Down With Tyranny. It's required reading every day. You want to talk only about the coronavirus and Hibby Cleanser? Is that the name of the surgical soap you recommended? Hibby, Hibby Cleanse. Hibby Cleanse, when, when I was uh, in the hospital a few years ago and, um, you know, I, I had to be absolutely germ-free because I just had all my, uh, my stem cells removed and new ones put in, uh, my doctor gave me this stuff called Hibby Cleanse, and she, and she said that it is the absolute strongest stuff on earth and that is, it's what every surgeon uses before they, you know, open somebody up. So it's really, and we talked about it last week. And, you know, I never got as many people thanking me for anything to do with this show as the number of people who sent me notes saying thank you and that they ran out and got hippie cleanses. One of them even said he got the last one in his pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell hippie cleanse? H-I-B-I. C L E N S Hibby Cleanse. You can get it on Amazon. They, I think, from what I've heard, the price has gone up a bit, but uh, it's still available. I would recommend people get the 32 ounce uh, uh, iteration. It'll last you through the whole thing. Well, you just use a tiny bit, and also for people who don't read the labels, only use it once a day. If you wind up, you know, using this over and over again, and a lot of it, you won't have any skin left, so they'll have no problem there. Okay. Well, last very, week, very last week I thought you were overreacting. This week I thought I think you're underreacting. I, I, I I'm trying to remain calm here. How yeah, I remain calm? Why? How could anyone not remain calm? You have to. What good does it do to not be calm? You have to be calm. You have to be prepared, but you have to be calm. No, I mean panicking is for stupid people. Panicking doesn't make any sense. People who read Down with Tyranny and took it seriously last month didn't experience the 2,000-point uh, drop in the stock market today or, didn't, or you know, didn't experience it as much as the ones who didn't read Down with Tyranny and didn't pay attention. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't pay to be panicky and do the wrong thing and get crazy about nothing. It only pays to realize what's going on, have clear eyes, and do something about it. I, <laughs> I know, I know, this is going to sound like a joke, and you're going to be laughing hysterically. But every time, I don't, I don't want to walk out of the um, supermarket with like you know twenty big containers of toilet paper. But every time I go in, I buy, I buy like a six pack or something. <laughs> and uh, and today I went, I went and bought bought more um, celery root. Celery root is very nutritious, and it lasts a long time. You just put it in your fridge or your freezer, and uh, and you can make a wonderful soup out of it, which I did, by the way. Uh, but it, it's good to get root vegetables that will last some time, and just in case. Now, don't get something that you wouldn't eat anyway. I mean, I happen to love celery root, so you know, if I, I get a, a little bit more than I would normally, that's fine because I'll eat it anyway. 
but I'm not telling you to go out and buy things that you wouldn't eat. Do you think um, the, the the food chain here in America is going to break down, that supermarkets will just be completely out of protein and vegetables? Well, and well, I don't know that that's going to happen. It, it may. I don't know that it will. I'm thinking more in terms of people not wanting to leave their homes and go out. And, I mean, it's not going to be that long before people are dying at a really phantasmagorical rate. You probably know that um, these two right-wing big events um, in the last, uh, about a, uh, a week and a half ago wound up with people who had coronavirus and, and they were filled with right-wing luminaries. I mean, mm-hmm. they, boom, they could be all gone in like one shot. Not that I'm wishing that they will die or all get sick. I'm just saying they could be. Uh, and, and a number of um, Republicans with big names like Matt Gates and Ted Cruz, for example, Doug Collins, who's running for the U.S. Senate, who's a congressman now, um, and several others um, have uh, have put themselves or have, are, are now in quarantine. Uh, I noticed, though, when, every time I read a little bit deeper into these stories, almost every one of them had sh- had first shaken hands with Typhoid Mary at uh, APAC or um, or uh, CPAC, and then had gone over and shaken hands with Trump <laughs> immediately after. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's, it's horrifying, but I'm not kidding. And he's so paranoid about, uh, you know, he's a paranoid germaphobe. It's kind of good to be paranoid now. Sometimes when you're paranoid, you're doing the right thing. But, um, you know, once some some of these known people, so it's not like a random person in such and such a city died, but then they thought, but once they start naming people who died who you and you know their names, then there's going to be a lot of um, people who are very, very freaked out. And at that point, yeah, I mean, there w- there'll be things missing from the shelves. I, 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 you know, one of the things I, look, this is another tip I'm going to give people. It's, it, it, it was disgusting when I first heard about it, and it was disgusting the first few times I did it. Now I wouldn't ever not do it. I, I actually look forward to it every day. But um, it, it's a thing called a neti pot, and, and you put um, this solution uh, into the bottom of the pot, and then you pour some distilled water in it, you shake it up, and then you through the neti pot you, you cleanse your sinuses with it. And I feel that that is, that is a really good way uh, I know, and the doctor hasn't told me this, by the way, but I feel like it's a good way to, um, you know, keep keep everything clean that should be clean. And um, it, so I need distilled water for that. You can't use you can't use non-distilled water because I could leak like, into your brain, and that could be the end of you. So, um, and I went to my the big supermarket in my neighborhood today, and usually there are like three or four shelves of of uh, distilled water. And there were like two bottles of distilled water left at, instead of like, you know, I don't know, 30 or 40. Okay. What else should we be doing? You should be, you know what, if, if, if people are serious about this and they really want to um, follow this closely, there's a guy uh, who, put, who has a podcast and he puts it out, out, out his, his YouTube channel and he puts out a, a podcast every afternoon except Sundays. And his name is Chris Martinson. And if you just you go to YouTube and you just type in Chris Martinson, uh, you'll get to his podcast. Or you just go to my blog now yes. with and I, I put it I put it up every week, every day I should say. And he tells everybody what to do. 
and he's and, you know he's usually right. Sometimes he's sometimes he doesn't um, doesn't seem right for two weeks, but he hasn't been wrong about anything yet. And it's frightening what he's predicting to come. Uh, but I would recommend that everybody start following Chris Martinson's uh, podcast. It's, a, it's usually between half an hour and 45 minutes uh, late in the afternoon. What is he predicting? Um, first of all, you know, he, he's, he's, he's pretty precise in, in uh, he doesn't talk in, you know, vague generalities. So he's looking, he's showing people the numbers that, that um, indicate that the death rate could be as high as 20% of the people getting it of the people who get it Mm. and other, you know, and there have been forecasts from the WHO that every single person on earth will get it. Or if not every single person, almost every single person that everyone's going to get this. Uh, So aren't uh, we getting reports that aren't we getting reports that it's kind of under control in China or is that, well, you can't forget about China. You just, there's nothing that they could say that could be uh, that could be useful to anyone. Um, so he says that. Um, well, let me back away from from him for a second and just say that um, uh, Larry Kudlow, the the uh, Trump's chief economic officer, who's stoned, he's on coke and and um, and alcohol, who's out of his mind. But he was on TV the other day, and he said that. Um, he said 80% of the people who get it will be just fine. Okay, that is in sync with what Martinson said. Martinson looked at it from the other way and said 20% will die, and this or could, or as many as 20% will die. And this guy, and then Kudlow is saying 80% will be fine. Well, that's almost the same thing. And I would, you know, tell people that 80%, I mean, that 20% of America, that would be like 62 or 3 million people. So we're talking a big, about big numbers. We're not talking about a few hundred people here and there. But as of... So it's, a, it's a pretty serious thing. When Trump said, oh, uh, you know, the hot weather will, make, will, will kill this thing off, it'll just be fine, he was insane. I mean, literally insane. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and he just says anything. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, when I was in Thailand... And this thing was just getting started. We didn't know at the time it was getting started, but that's when it was getting started. Um, so here it is, like going all over the place, spreading like mad in Thailand, and it's 90 degrees. So what is Trump saying that it, that it's it, you know? And, and not only is he saying that it's gonna it'll all be fine in the spring, uh, he's also saying that the doctors are telling him that he's a medical genius and that he knows more than they do. I mean, the man should be locked up for the sake of the country. Okay. Everybody uh, should remain calm. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. Wash your hands. Use use hot water and and, and liquid soap. uh, And then once a day, uh, you know, figure out the time that you're the, the most exposed to germs. Uh, use Hibiclins. Like my friend uh, Roland uh, works in a school, so I tell him probably the best time for him would be when he gets home from school, since the children are, um, you know, little germ incubators. Right. Before we get to the fun stuff, it starts with a fever, then a then a dry cough, leads to shortness of breath. 
So if you have a fever or a cough, you should probably move to a country where they have tests available. (laughs) Get on a plane. Pence said that, don't get on a plane. Pence said that um, we would have had 1.5 million tests in the United States by last Friday. And we didn't quite get there. We had 200, which is a step in the right direction. But uh, we didn't get to the 1.5 million. Um, the big paper in Israel today said they've uh, surveyed every country in the world, and the country at the very bottom that's doing the least uh, testing is the United States. No surprise there, because he cut the CDC funding for pandemics, Mr. Trump yep. did. All right. Yep. A vaccine before Christmas? Don't be ridiculous. Uh, we'll be lucky if we have a vaccine in 2021. There will not be a vaccine in 2020. All right. And you're just washing your hands right now because you're thinking about the coronavirus. No, no, I was washing my hands right now because I, I, I got this gigantic jug of um, uh, kombucha. Nothing to do with the coronavirus. I like it. And I just poured myself some and a little spilled on my hand. So I decided to wash it. Sorry. Would you, you didn't go to the Bernie rally. No, no, I would never go to any rallies, concerts. You, uh, one of the guys who, who we both have, have in common is a film critic named Michael Snyder. Yes? Right. I, yes. So Michael, as he always does, invited me to come and see some films with him uh, this week. And I said, you must be crazy. Do they give you combat pay for this? Hazardous <laughs> 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 pay? Are you go, you're a foodie. Are you going to restaurants? Well, much less than I was. And when I do, I'm freaked out. And I go at exactly when they open. <laughs> so, like, for example, the other day, I called this restaurant over on Fairfax. It's really, really good Indian food, like the best. Uh, Badmash, it's called. And it's just been in downtown, but now there's one in Fairfax, too. So I called it up. I said, what time are you open for dinner? And the guy said, four. Uh, four. No, he said 4.30. So I said, if I get there at 4.30, will anyone be in the restaurant? He said, no. I said, well, what time do people start coming? He said, uh, you know, quarter to seven. So I said, you sure? I can get there at five and there'll be no one there? He said, absolutely. So I did. I went at five. I had dinner and I left and didn't see another person other than the ones who worked there, none of whom were coughing. But you have to worry about the kitchen, not to cast any aspersions on that restaurant, but you don't know. Yes, you're right, and I am very nervous about it. Okay, so far, there are 607 confirmed cases in the United States, 76 Right, confirmed cases, but remember, there could be 600,000, there could be 6 million. There's no testing, so no one knows. Right. 24 people have died so far in the United States, and because there's no testing, we don't really know the fatality rate. It may be a much lower fatality rate, because we don't know how many people get it, and then self-cure. That's another possibility. So it may not be as bad as... It may not, especially among young people. But likely, um, just judging from the figures that are reliable that are coming out of Italy, uh, uh, it's much worse than than anyone is saying it's going to be. Okay. Let's turn to something more cheerful. Michigan. Super Tuesday. Yes, Michigan. Today, Michigan, yes. a very, very important day. 
as you know, Bernie won Michigan against Hillary last time. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody who's listening to this podcast should say a little prayer uh, for Bernie today. And, it, and it's not just for Bernie. It's really for all of us. Because if Bernie's going to be the next president of the United States, it's something that's going to be absolutely wonderful. And if someone else becomes the president of the United States, whether it's the idiot who's in there now or the idiot who's trying to beat Bernie, uh, it's pretty bad. Okay. You know, I was looking at stock market lows and I, I, you know, this, this one, uh, is pretty high up. The one that we had today, which was about 8% down was, was pretty bad, but, there, but, but it, I think it was maybe, I don't know, in the top 10 anyway. But it was certainly not as bad as uh, Black Friday in 1929, and then there was another one uh, in November of 1929 that was uh, that was also very high. I think Black Friday was 13% down. Um, so there were a couple um, early, you know, at the end of um, before, right before FDR got in, and then right after FDR got in, before he got his policies uh, going, and then once his policies started going, and once the war started. Um, the economy, uh, you know, got back in shape. And I was thinking that that's really, it's going to take something like Bernie with the kind of plans that he has, uh, to get the American economy back in shape after the, this gigantic, hopefully just a, a recession and not a depression that Trump is bringing on with his policies. And, um, hey, you know, you, you want, you want out of something that's about to happen. Bernie's the guy. And, and people in Michigan more than others should know that. Yeah. Hoover became president after the stock market crashed. We had four years of Republicans trying to just first do no harm to the economy. And then when they realized that's philosophically bankrupt, we elected Roosevelt. So if the market crashes and continues to crash, I think we're history shows that we don't really pick a new dealer. We let it sag for four years. We we lost a, a great opportunity in 2008 when the market crashed. We we elected Obama, but he wasn't FDR. I remember thinking, oh, okay, he's going to do the FDR thing, and he didn't. Right. Well, no, no one knew uh, how, how you know. I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but few people knew that Obama was going to be bad. Um, or, or that Obama, I shouldn't say that he was going to be bad. I should say no one knew that he wasn't going to be as good as everyone hoped he would be. I'm going to go to the Down With Tyranny archives. You've been doing Down With Tyranny since what year? Uh, 2005. 2005. Were you uh, an Obama bro in 2008? No. Uh, I, 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 got to, I got to meet Obama when he was still a state senator, when he was running for the U.S. Senate. And I was very impressed. But, and, and so I met him before I knew anything about him. I was impressed with him uh, as, as a person and the way he spoke. And then I went and started looking up his record as a state legislator. And I became somewhat less uh, enthusiastic about him because he, had a, he didn't have a good um, uh, he didn't have an especially good record in the state legislature. He was very, very palsy-walsy with Republicans. He was always trying to be Mr. Bipartisan. Um, so I had a little bit of mistrust. And then he got in the U.S. Senate, and he, he, had, a, he had a terrible uh, a terrible record as a senator compared to other Democrats. So, so, it used to, so 
the way it was, I used to always try to explain this to people. Hillary had a, a Senate voting record that was right in the middle of the Democrats. So as many Democrats were better than her as were worse than her. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, that's a Democratic centrist. Obama was, had a much worse voting record than Hillary. His voting record was exactly in the center of the whole Senate. So in other words, as many people in the whole Senate, mostly Democrats, were better than him as compared to the same number of people who were worse than him, mostly Republicans. There were, there were of course, there were a few uh, Democrats that were worse than him, too. I'm not saying he was the worst Democrat, but he was among the worst Democrats in, his, in terms of his voting record. And, you know, his voting record was short. He was only in there a couple of years. So you could argue that it would have, it would have been better as time went on. It wasn't fair to compare him to people that were there for 50 years, like Biden, but uh, but he you know, he was definitely not he was definitely not very good. But he he had something to offer that was very attractive, uh, which was hope. Right? He ran on hope, and uh, you know I can't say that I didn't get suckered into it as well. I was definitely not an Obama bro. That's that's for sure. But you know I thought he was better than Hillary. I was wrong. Uh, did you vote for him? I did. I did. I voted for. I voted for him in 2008. I didn't vote for him in 2012. The mistake um, he made, I guess, right after he took office, was he didn't keep the bankers on a short leash. They kept him on a short leash. He yes. That very was first big, appointment was Rahm Emanuel, Mister Mister Bankster, first person he appointed. Rahm Emanuel. I mean, you can't get worse than that cannot get worse than Ron Emanuel, no matter what you do. That's the worst. He could have reinvented our economy. He had an opportunity to reinvent the economy, and instead he wanted to restore things to the way they were before the economy crashed. Just the way Biden wants to restore things to the way they were in, in the glory days of the Obama years, which, which are, by the way, the days that brought us uh, Donald Trump. Do you dislike Obama now more than you no. did two weeks ago and more than you did four years ago? I, I don't dislike Obama at all. I, you know, I, 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 yeah, I met him, but I don't really know him, so I can't talk of him as a person in terms of, uh, you know, Obama is going to have a place in history from the day he was elected. He was going to have a place in history, and he always will. And it'll be bigger than anything else that he ever had anything to do with or ever will have anything to do with. And that's, he was the first African-American president. That's, that's his place in history. And what is, it, what is his crowning achievement? None, he had no crowning achievement. Obama I mean, steer, steering, he had none. He steered us through the gigantic Bush recession. And I don't know that what else did he have? He, like, you know, you can't I mean, I wouldn't call Obamacare an achievement, nor would I. He got uh, us out of Iraq. You know, although there was there were parts of Obamacare that were great. And that was like uh, uh, pre-existing conditions being not allowed to be used. Although I'm sure, you know, if we if we get Trump for four more years, they, he'll get he'll get rid of that. He got us out of Iraq. Afghanistan, we're still there. He killed bin Laden. I I really can't think. I guess the stimulus package of two thousand and nine was monumental, which wasn't good enough. It wasn't strong enough to do it to do what it was meant to do. All right, 
And and Joe I mean, Biden deserves. No, he, some- he was. You no, know, he was a mediocre president. Like all of the presidents that we've had, have either been bad or mediocre. We haven't had a great president since FDR, in in my opinion. And uh, and Obama was another one of them. I'm not. He was probably better than most. I, mean, I shouldn't say probably. He was. He was better than most of them. But no, they were all mediocre. Here we have a chance to have a, a, an actual great president. And the American people are passing it, passing it by for a mediocrity that probably wind up, will probably wind up being the second worst president in history after Trump. Yeah. I can remember, I've been doing this show long enough to remember that I was defending Barack Obama in 2011, saying his first two years were the most successful presidency since Lyndon Johnson, that he passed more legislation and issued more executive orders than any president since Lyndon Johnson. But I can't remember, I guess, the the, uh, the executive orders on coal uh, factories. Cutting yeah, everything coal. he did, uh, Trump has already overturned with his own executive orders. Right, right. All, All right. the executive orders meant nothing. Let me play you a montage that has circulated on the internet a lot of people say this is unfair that it's ageism that the leftists are unfairly attacking joe biden you comment on the other end of this look tomorrow's superstar tuesday and i want to thank you all i tell you what i'm rushing ahead aren't i 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. They would put 720 million back, million women back in the workforce. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. He's in New Hampshire. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go. You know the you know the thing. Howie Klein. <laughs> you gonna vote for him in November? No, of course not. So <laughs> <laughs> If it if your vote. Determined whether or not there'd be four more years of Trump. Nothing in the world that would ever make me vote for for, for Joe Biden. Nothing. Even if it meant nothing. four more years oh, no, of Trump. No, don't even have to say it. There, literally nothing. I guess if someone was holding a knife to my throat and saying, vote for him or I'm going to kill you, I guess I'd vote for him then. Okay. Or if they were holding a knife to someone else's throat, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Also, all right. Let's just cards on the table. Or if, or if Jesus actually came to me and said, <laughs> Look, "I know what you're thinking, but you, you got to vote for him. Do it. I would do it." Okay. Short of those things, no. Okay. Cards on the table. Be honest. Let me ask you this question, and be totally honest. I know we're supposed to say, as Bernie bros that will never vote for Joe Biden. You're not going to hold our vote hostage. We're not going to fall prey to where else you're going to go. I know we're supposed to say that right now. The, Who the, is? Not me. Okay. The prospect of Joe Biden as a candidate or as president is so depressing. Nothing 
would get done. Nothing. He would sign some executive orders, but he would not take on fracking because his money comes from the frackers. He's going to improve on Obamacare, maybe. I mean, is there anything good that could come from a Joe Biden? Don't even get close to what's wrong with Joe Biden. Joe Biden, his lifelong dream is to do this grand bargain and, 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 and cut Social Security and Medicare. He wants to go down as the guy who did that. That's what it, that will be his legacy, the guy who finally got it done. Is that political or is that ideological? Does he believe that we have to? Yes, he believes it. He, that's, the world that he, in, in, that's the world that he's been part of for his entire political career. Like, who will be the guy with the guts to, to cut Social Security? Who will be the one brave enough to do that? The people that he, that he hung around with and he was friends with, they all felt that that was the greatest thing to do, cut Social Security, but no one had the balls to do it. He wants to be the one. He knows he's not going to have two terms, so just do it and get it over with, and you'll be a hero forever. So they believe... In, in Wait, 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 I don't understand this. I always think that the Clintons and the Obamas are fiscal hawks because they want to prove that the Democratic Party is fiscally responsible. But in their heart, they genuinely love Medicare and Medicaid. But you're suggesting that they actually hate it. But I know what's in, uh, in Biden's heart because he's bragged about it. He wants to cut Medicare and Medicaid and and. uh Social Security, because he believes that. He believes that, that it will bankrupt the country, whatever that means. And I don't think the country can be bankrupt, but he believes it will bankrupt the country, and we have to cut it back, and that's the responsible thing to do. And he thinks that all of the people who don't agree with him are a bunch of assholes. Right. Paul Krugman, who has not been supportive of Bernie, wants Biden, has put out two columns in the past week. One is about interest rates that they're they're really not going to go up and then recently i think yesterday or the day before he kind of talked about modern monetary theory that you can have a permanent you can put uh the congress on a permanent recession stimulus package and it wouldn't affect inflation did you see that no i i I haven't been reading him in the last few years, but I, I it was I, almost I, an endorsement of Bernie. He was he was pretty much saying I, I he was he, I didn't think he was a, a Biden guy. I, I don't know why, but I, I thought he wasn't a Biden guy or a Bernie guy. I thought he wasn't a Biden guy. He's a Biden guy. Krugman is a Biden guy. He says he'll support Bernie, but Nobel laureate Paul Krugman, who I Respect, you know, reading him for the past 20 years in the New York Times is how I learned economics, essentially. And he is not a supporter of Bernie, but he has kind of come out in favor of modern monetary theory. Your friend, Professor Kelton, is a proponent of this, as is Bernie. He's basically saying, Krugman, that you can keep spending. You can keep printing money. Uh, and fund infrastructure and Medicare for all, it won't bankrupt this country or cause inflation. But he didn't, yeah. but he didn't make the leap to Bernie. Yep. Okay. You have a few more minutes? 
Yeah. Super Tuesday. What do you now know that you didn't know a week ago about the Democrats and uh, Bernie and Biden? Uh, I was told that a uh, that I don't want to dis- disparage him, but I was told that uh, Jim Clyburn gets to pick the next vice president if it's uh, if if Biden becomes the nominee. And was Clyburn? He's the congressman from South Carolina. I believe he's the only Democrat who represents South Carolina. Oh no, there's another uh, make-believe Democrat down there named um, Joe Cunningham, a blue dog who represents the first district. Although presumably he'll be defeated uh, for re-election, as he should be. Tell me uh, why Clyburn is a bad guy. Because if you watched MSNBC, they they sang of him as though he had saved not just Biden, but the entire Democratic Party last week. Well, from their perspective, he saved the Democratic Party because they were afraid uh, that Bernie would win, and that would be the end of themselves, which who they're conflating with the Democratic Party. You've been attacking Clyburn on this show for several years. Really? You- I mean, I, I'm, not, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of Clyburn, but I, uh, you know, I don't count him as one of the worst people. He, Clyburn is, is, you know, he's disgustingly corrupt. But, you know, people in Congress who are in there for a long time like him become disgustingly corrupt. I mean, you know, should Clyburn be in jail? Of course he should be in jail. He's taking massive bribes, bribes from the, uh, from, for example, the pharmaceutical industry. He's taken over a million dollars in bribes from them. And then, he, of course, he's against Bernie, of course. But now, when you say so, bribes, I mean, you're talking yeah, but, about contributions, contributions. You can call it anything you want. It. It's a bribe. Call it what you want, you know, but yes, I call it a bribe. You're given a, lo- a million dollars and then you do what they want you to do. You, you want to call it a contribution? I want to call it a bribe. And as you've explained on this show, because we spent an entire segment, what you explained to me is, okay, he gets a million dollars from the pharmaceutical industry. It doesn't necessarily go into his pocket, although there are ways. We don't to- know what goes into his pocket. We're just talking about the legal money. Yeah, the legal money uh, accrues in his war chest, and he gets power from that. He's able to disperse that money, and when he disperses it, he rises to the top of the Democratic leadership. He's the whip now, I believe. And, yes, yeah, and that's how that's how it is a form of bribery, because if you're the whip, your your family can get jobs as lobbyists and... So, yes, it is bribery. He's not. And that money, you know, that he puts away, that campaign money, eventually, he can, even though they're not supposed to, they can make sure that money goes into their family coffers. So just say, you know, I'm going to use as an example, this is an absurd example, but, I'm, but I mean, it's you can do it. Uh, he has a million dollars. He retires, which is going to come soon. He's old. He's almost 80 and feeble. And he's going to retire. It would say he's got a million dollars in his coffers. He could then say he will pay his wife and his uh, grandson five hundred thousand dollars each to look after the money, or mm-hmm. you know eight or you know four hundred thousand dollars each to look after the money. He could do whatever he wants, and and it's not, it, and they do that. That's what they do. That's what these corrupt members of Congress do. They raise lots and lots of money that they don't need for various other reasons. And uh, and in the end, it winds up in their own pockets or in their family's pockets. 
Um, you know, Biden was one of the most corrupt, corrupt members of the Senate, and he used to run around hysterically and, and constantly for decades. I'm the poorest man in Congress. I'm the poorest man in the Senate. I'm the poorest man. And he would always say that. And yes, he, he, his income tax showed that he was making less money than everybody else, while his entire family grew rich on, on, as lobbyists on his name. James Biden, his uh, brother has used his Joe's cancer initiative to pitch uh, a mouthwash for cancer patients. He, he's told, I believe the company is called AmeriCorps. They had their doors kicked open by the FBI in January of this year. James Biden is under investigation for promising. James Biden has been in, in and out of investigations for decades. This guy is a criminal and Biden has always protected him. And he gets he gets off by the skin of his teeth, or he pays big fines. Uh, but he's he's a criminal. He, he Biden's whole family are a bunch of criminals. What I have been saying all along is, if Biden gets the nomination, this whole election is going to be about three things. Let's see if I can remember them. Whose family is more disgusting and corrupt, Trump's or Biden's? Mm -hmm. And that and Trump will win that fight, even though he shouldn't. But he knows how to fight that battle, and Biden doesn't. Biden will be devoured by Trump on that. Who's the bigger liar, Trump or Biden? And, you know, Trump is definitely the bigger liar, but Biden is, lies enough so that Trump can make a case that, that, uh, that Biden is the bigger liar. He, right. He's not, but they're both such liars. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the newest thing, who's more senile? Uh, going back to the tape you played. And they're both too senile to be in public office. N neither of them should be in public office. They're both, in, they're both senile. Okay. And I, I don't think Trump is, want, is that, I don't think uh, Trump is if senile. Bernie were the nominee, if Bernie's the nominee, we're going to be talking about real issues that mean something to the American people, not whose children steals the most money. I don't think Trump is senile. I think he's got a borderline personality. I think he's a narcissistic borderline personality disorder. Victim. He's over every borderline you could think of, but that's not. But that's not what I mean. I mean, he he, and he is senile. Listen to the way he speaks. Listen to how he or, or watch the way he wanders around uh, aimlessly, gets out of a car and doesn't know where he is, and he's in front of his house. But who's uh, going to win the debate? Biden or Trump? Well, I don't know that there ever will be a debate because I'm expecting Michigan to turn everything around today. Yeah. Okay. And on that note. All right. You should have said. On that note. All right. Everybody in Michigan should vote today. And uh, last question. Hunter Biden. We were, we were told that and it's the New York Times. Anytime they report about Trump trying to get an investigation into Hunter Biden every time, you know, he said to Zelensky, we'll give you the 400 million, but you got to look into Hunter Biden. We're told that it's verboten to bring up Hunter Biden. Let me ask you a question. In the New York Times last week, Hunter Biden said he had a crack addiction for four to five years. He said, quote, I didn't read. I didn't think he was addicted to crack. And yet during that crack, addiction, that bender, he was getting $60,000 a month from Burisma. Well, why, I guess they kept 
a lot of crack. That's a lot of crack. All right. So he's not off limits. It's not unfair, really, to bring up Hunter Biden, is it? No. It's not. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack. Read him every day over at Down with Tyranny. And uh, we've got the debate between Biden and Bernie, March 15th. Be interesting. We'll, we'll yes, talk- although uh, Biden doesn't want a debate. He wants to have a uh, he wants to have pre-approved um, questions that his staff can write answers for him and that he can memorize. And what's going to happen? Don't know yet. Well, it is conceivable. This thing is very fluid. The debate is the 15th. We talk on the 16th or the 17th. It is conceivable that Biden will have said something so horrific during the debate that he will be up against the ropes. Perhaps. We'll see. Well, that, that's why there's not going to be a debate. He, like I said, they're just giving them questions that have been pre-approved and that their staffs have written them. You know, his staff will write him the answers. He'll memorize the answer. He'll have it written down. And, and that way he won't say anything. He's not allowed to say anything off script anymore. He said too, made too many mistakes. And they know, you know just what you're thinking. They're aware of that. They're not stupid people. And they're well paid. And either is Bernie. He might be able to puncture that bubble. We'll I hope so. Okay. We're counting on him. Okay. Howie Klein, I'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Can you stand in line for one second? You bet. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Let's go to Wisconsin, where Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. He is the author of Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. I was trying to find the tweet for you. I, I tweeted at you that Bernie Sanders is finally listening to you and evoking the memory of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But I can't find the the speech the article, or the tweet. Hello, Professor. Hello. Good to talk to you, David. Even if I'm, as I told my students today, I'm varying or ambivalent, you know, moving both ways, between despondency and giddiness, okay? Despondency because I am seriously, seriously worried about tomorrow's primary day. That's Tuesday tomorrow, and they'll be hearing this. And giddiness on occasion because... It's also the case that there are remarkable possibilities in the air. I mean, maybe you've seen the polls that place Sanders behind Biden in in Michigan. Yes. Which, which Bernie won 2016. But it is the case that last time around, they placed Bernie well behind Hillary Clinton in Michigan, and then he ended up winning anyhow. So we shouldn't let the polls deter us. I'm telling my neighbors in Michigan, the Michiganders, to turn out to vote. Do not in any way say to yourself, oh, my my vote doesn't count. Every single you-know-what vote will count tomorrow in Michigan. And we cannot afford, and we can talk about this later, we cannot afford to allow Bernie's campaign 
to die in this week or next. Yes, yes. It's, I, I hate to say depressing. Let's, before we get to Michigan and what happened on Super Tuesday, talk to me about the left. You've been on the left for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fight. The fight never stops. Yeah, the, the fight never stops. And I don't, I don't, for a moment, I don't, I'm not fantasizing even this time around, even in the midst of Bernie's um, lead a few weeks ago. I'm not fantasizing that all of a sudden the left prevails. But what I am saying is that this could have been, and I still hope can be, the moment where the left begins not only, not only to inspire and encourage Americans to remember who they are, that we are Americans, we were founded in a revolution, that in moments of terrible crisis, where enemies seem, you know, impossible to, to defeat, where the crises seem utterly incapable of transcending, that we founded ourselves to, to somehow or other do what needed doing. And I'm not talking about pulling together only, and I'm not talking about, you know, sort of, just the remembering who we are. I'm talking about the fact that at crucial moments in American history, when we have faced crises, and that's the kind of crisis we're facing, the crises of the 1770s, the 1860s, the 1930s, and the 1940s, that we founded ourselves to make America radical, that we have founded ourselves to make America more democratic than it has ever been. We founded ourselves to empower people who had been seemingly powerless, but who were resisting and rising up against those who are taking advantage of them and oppressing them. We have founded ourselves to create the makings of a democracy, the liberation of, of, of slaves, the empowerment of working people, the defeat of fascism. I mean, over and over again at these critical moments, and the only thing I've been worried about is that we have forgotten what it means to be an American. Okay, so if I, if I answer your question good, and if I didn't, it's because it's on my mind. There seems to be blood on the street for the left. Very disheartening past six days. Oh, yeah, right. And yeah. Is, is this the most formidable challenge against the moneyed class the left has ever faced? Yeah, this, this you know, it's, it's interesting to say that because we, look, the campaign that Bernie Sanders has encouraged and the diverse forces that have rallied around that campaign, a campaign that he talks about being in favor of democratic socialism. And I'd like to address that later, but let's right now call it a campaign for social democracy. That this really was the first time in decades, truly decades, that Americans began to challenge the money power, as the, as the populace of the late 19th century said. I mean, again, and I was talking to my students today, and I said, you folks were born 20 years ago. You grew up in the middle, in the middle of what we think of as the second Gilded Age. You have seen various movements emerge and, and decline. You've seen various movements pursue identity politics. But here we are, for the first time in your lives, and I can tell you the first time in more than 40 years, in which we've seen people coming together around a campaign to truly reclaim America by enacting Medicare for all, by possibly acting upon an economic bill of rights that FDR talked about in 1944, by talking about returning to the 
original vision of American higher education, a vision in which people did not pay an arm and a leg to go to college. And I'm more than happy to, to point out what all of that means. In many ways, we're at that moment. We're so close to that moment. But think about the irony. Think about the tragedy that comes with the irony. So here we are, literally, where the majority, the good majority of Americans want Medicare for all, where student debt is shadowing millions of young Americans, right? Where people are really worried about how they'll be able to afford the crisis that everyone will face of somehow having to replace a car to get to work, of having to, to meet mortgage payments, the things that have haunted us. Back in, in the 30s, FDR said, Americans want economic security. And that remains the case. And in the wake of 45 years of class war from above, we know how tenuous stability in families and, and literally even you know, single people trying to make it, we know how tenuous life can be. So, and yet, think about this. We had this amazing campaign, a campaign that has mobilized Latinx people, you know, people of Latin American origin, uh, immigrants, native-born Americans throughout the country, African Americans, especially up north. We've seen, of course, young people who, who are black in the south. We've seen this incredible coalition beginning to form. And then what happens? In the course of a week, a one week, we saw... The DNC mobilized. We saw billionaires, you know, rally to the cause of Joe Biden, who is one of the most conservative Democrats we've seen possibly win uh, the nomination in a long time. And all of a sudden, we've gone from the possibility of, of a social democratic triumph to the possibility of restoring neoliberalism at its worst. Yeah. Talk to me about Roosevelt for a second, because you are a, a scholar of FDR. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a lack of imagination among certain people. They've been robbed of their imagination. Some of us cannot imagine a country without the moneyed power. I hear, even with the coronavirus, that we have we need Wall Street. We're going to need the hospitals, the for-profit drug companies to, to save us from the coronavirus. The, the lack of imagination in America, we cannot see an economy that isn't dependent on the financial sector. When Roosevelt was president, we were able to see beyond the moneyed class. Were we? Yeah. Were yes, we? we were. We, we were. And in part because the economic crisis was it, it was so severe. You know, the unemployment rate, somewhere between one of every four, maybe even one of every three Americans, either unemployed or at least among their number, many who were underemployed and really on the precipice, economically speaking. Um, the crisis was, you know, was just beyond our imagination in terms of material want, the material needs. But here was Roosevelt running for office in 1932. And he not only spoke of the imperative of addressing people's needs, he spoke of doing so by creating public works projects, by addressing, uh, you know, the environmental crisis that came along with over-exploitation of the soil 
and the devastation in the Midwest that would soon give way to the Dust Bowl. He talked about guaranteeing the rights of workers, of assuring farmers a fair return on their agricultural produce. I mean, he didn't just talk about he didn't just talk about charity or you know ad- addressing people's needs by way of emergency efforts, which by the way he did do. He also talked. To, he also offered a vision, and he talked about that vision as fundamentally grounded in American values. He reached back to the Revolution. He quoted Abraham Lincoln. He even believed that it was time for Democrats to lay claim to Lincoln because the Republicans had essentially abandoned him. He spoke to Americans so that at one and the same time, he let them know that he understood what they needed, what they wanted, and what they were capable of doing. So indeed, he, in his first hundred days, look what they did. They subjected finance, Wall Street that is, to um, regulation, democratic regulation, oversight and regulation. They enacted bills that created the conservation, you know, civilian conservation corps. They enacted bills that would provide for temporary relief. I mean, in that first hundred days, we saw what America could do with smart leadership and working people mobilized. And, and seriously speaking, we've, we've lost touch with, with that kind of sensibility. We've, you know, and I was telling my students again, I was talking to my students today about how it is that we've allowed what seemed to be an embarrassment for Romney when he said, you know, we're, when he said to his rich buddies in, in that dinner part, dinner lunch, uh, we're, we're the makers and they're the takers. Mm-hmm. And we all we all said, oh yeah, right, okay, what a fool! You, he thinks he's going to get our votes, and he was beaten. And now, as you said, it's as if we're all looking to to billionaires to bail us out. Indeed, they've got enough money possibly to help out a hell of a lot, and we ought to take it from them. But seriously speaking, to talk about that right now with Biden running for office, sixty apparently sixty one billionaires have bailed him out to get him back in the race. I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, the Democratic Party seems to be, you know, what's the word, enthrall to the, to the money power, no, no, no less than, uh, than the Republicans. Or even more so. Or even more more so. so. Or even more so, yeah. I mean, I do know that Obama got more money from Wall Street than McCain, or certainly Mm -hmm. more from Goldman Sachs. And by the way, Romney never made anything in his life. He worked for Bain Capital, and they took, they took, that's that's private equity. Yeah. They just right. take the mo- his most productive moment was signing Romney Care into law in Massachusetts, and Romney Care wasn't the, you know wasn't the greatest bill, but it was a bill far more progressive than forty nine other states had. Was there ever the mythical Democratic Party that I look back at, one that was run by labor that had contempt for the money class, where if you were a millionaire. And a Democrat, you kept your mouth shut about it, that you had to be for the 99 percent? Or is that just is that a party that never existed? Well, let's not. I mean, I don't want to make Roosevelt out to be strictly a Robin Hood. Okay, I mean, had many I mean, had many prominent and rich friends, but prominent and rich friends who imagined that Roosevelt was going to save their asses. Right. And, And avoid some kind of socialist or even worse, communist revolution in America. Um, there was no threat of a socialist revolution. I mean, the left likes to believe that Roosevelt acted because he was saving America from some kind of socialist revolution. Roosevelt feared the quite possible fascist revolution in America in the 1930s. If you looked around the world, um, what you had in, in Italy, 
and in and in Germany were essentially fascist coup d'etats against democratic governments. And when you look to the Soviet Union in the 1930s, it was literally a kind of state capitalism. But it, we don't need to even play games anymore. It, communism was an authoritarian, totalitarian order. Roosevelt wanted to avoid that kind of stuff, not simply because he wanted to save capitalism, but because he wanted to encourage democracy. And I should have mentioned that in those first hundred days, what makes that first hundred days really remarkable is the degree to which democracy itself is built in to those hundred days. That when the National Industrial Recovery Act was signed into law, it included certain guarantees for workers to organize. When the Agricultural Adjustment Act was signed into law, it literally empowered farmers to form cooperatives or at least to serve on boards that would help to regulate pricing and distribution of agricultural commodities. Undeniably, there were terrible mistakes made in the first hundred days. For example, the Agricultural Adjustment Act did not cover sharecroppers, mm -hmm. either black or white in the South. The National Industrial Recovery Act did not fully secure workers' rights to organize. In fact, a number, quite a few capitalist industrial corporations actually organized company unions to, vo to avoid bottom-up workers organizing, and the law did not ban that. Later, in National Labor Relations Act in 1935, they, they addressed that problem. But, but Roosevelt himself knew that you could not be president and pursue the kind of aggressive measures he had in mind Social democratic measures, he called them liberal, but we know them to be social democratic, unless you also empowered the people who put you in office, that you didn't just turn your back on them and try to do everything from the top down, which, of course, too many folks, including Obama, believed they could get away with. Harvey J.K. is the Ben and Joyce Rosenberg Professor of Democracy and Justice Studies. Talk to me, if you could, about democracy, what it looked like to you on Super Tuesday, and what democratic socialism means. That it's not just economics, it's not just redistribution of wealth, it's also redistribution of power. Were you, did you fear for what's left of our democracy on Super Tuesday, the, the lines yeah. in well, Texas? Well, if we think, Super Tuesday, of course, was the the climax to, it, to something that was taking place for the previous, I'm losing the number of days, several to ten days, right? So let's go back and remember that Bernie Sanders led in the Democratic primaries. And let's not forget that the media was shocked, the, the, the DNC was in, uh, was, you know, clearly almost, uh, you know, losing it in fear that Bernie and the, and the Sanderistas, as they used to call them, mm -hmm. that Bernie and the, and the Sanders folks were literally going to take charge of the party. And all these folks who were willing, who were willing to spend the, the DNC monies, who were willing to live, live well as leaders of the Democratic Party, that their jobs were in jeopardy. And they were gonna, they were gonna definitely act. And then you had the likes of Bloomberg. And I'm more and more convinced, you know, it's really funny. Bloomberg had no chance of winning the nomination. And maybe he fantasized it, but I, I'm not even sure he, he, he saw it that way. I think he just wanted to present himself as somebody who had a right to underwrite the Democratic Party politics and in many ways sort of stand for the billionaire class that, that was prepared to move in and, and do all that. So, okay, so, so Bernie Sanders is in the lead. Now, I'm going to be clear about this. When I watched the debates that led up to most of these primary moments, I left the debates really upset with Bernie in particular, because he's been my candidate for two presidential runs now, 
and for many years before where I imagined that or I, I may have fantasized in those years the possibility that one day I might get to vote for someone like him in a primary and a presidential election. And he upset me because here he was standing on the stage, right? And people were coming at each other and eventually coming specifically at him. But here were these people who called themselves Democrats without any historical memory and imagination telling us, imagine, like, even now I get outraged at the, at, the, at the memory of those people saying, we can't afford that. Mm-hmm. When they came to Medicare for all. How dare they say that? Not to mention the fact we already saw the emergence of the, you know, coronavirus. Is that what it, you know, the coronavirus? Yeah. And here we were, literally, like idiots, without national health care, without the kind of, and, you know, without the kind of, like, personnel and practices that would have empowered us to address that crisis effectively. Think about all the people who literally said to themselves, I don't feel well, but I can't go to the doctor. Right. And think about all the people who will continue to do that. In weeks and months said, I don't feel well, but I can't afford to go to the doctor. And here we are confronting a virus, okay, that we, we, we think won't take the lives of young people, that, you know, it'll only be the elderly who are threatened. Well, God damn those people for not having Medicare for All in place already 10 years ago, 20 years ago so that we could literally confront this crisis and feel confident that we had the resources and the healthy nation to stand up to it. So, but here's the thing. So Bernie, when confronted by these pseudo-Democrats, I say pseudo-Democrats, fake Democrats, not, not because, you know, I'm crazy about Trump's language, but because Franklin Roosevelt wanted national health care to be a part of the Social Security Act in 1935. And in 19... 19- 44, 85% of Americans wanted what we would today call Medicare for All. And where in all of these decades have we seen the kind of unity and determination of the Democrats to realize that? The closest we came to it was the creation of Medicare and Medicaid under Lyndon Johnson in 1965. So, okay, so there's Bernie, empowered by history. To say to, to say to the next moderator who asked him a question that probably was a foolish one to begin with, you know, I think there's a more important question. We're Democrats. We are the party of Franklin Roosevelt. We're the party that created, and you could mention the New Deal initiatives, you could mention Social Security, the National Labor Relations Act. We literally transformed the landscape. And here are my fellow Democrats, or my fellow, you know, primary candidates, having the audacity to turn their back on that tradition, the tradition that mobilized working people to create and tra- to create a new America, to transform America, to carry out a political revolution in the 1930s, and Bernie didn't do it. And as a consequence, I don't know what he was on that night, Joe Biden found 30 seconds worth of something in his, in, it, within him, and he all of a sudden sounded at the end of the last of the debates like he had a vision, like he had a... Like he knew what it was all about, even though, even though what he said wasn't memorable in itself, it's that he sounded like he could take charge. And Bernie stood there flat-footed. And I thought, oh my God, I actually feared that that was the moment that there was going to be a shift, that the media would find their hero so that they could literally smack down the leader that we all need, the leader who was himself at that moment in the front of the pack, Bernie Sanders. And, and that's what happened. And especially going into the South Carolina primary, it seemed to be confirmed 
when Biden not only won, but he won handily in South Carolina. So, okay, I mean, geez, when I think about that. So here we are, right? And I've been thinking a lot about this. I sent you a note. I, don't, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to read the sure, note. Sure, please. This was last Wednesday, the morning after Super Tuesday. I woke up and I, 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 was, I was still in bed. I leaned over to the side of the bed to type on my iPad. Woke up thinking this. Trump wants to savage Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. But so, too, in the past, has Joe Biden called for savage cuts. How will Biden send off Trump's attacks, given his own record? Bernie should have made his whole campaign about redeeming and renewing the FDR and greatest generation, liberal and social democratic legacy. And the promise, and promise from the class four from above, liberate us from the class from above of the corporate conservative reactionary and neoliberal elites of the past 45 years. And so doing, both taking apart Biden and then Trump later, and the Republicans, and rallied Americans to confront the crisis of our day by radically transforming America, just as FDR and a generation did between 1933 and 1973. By pursuing a Green New Deal, enlarging Social Security to include Medicare for All, enacting a 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights, and securing the four freedoms, freedom of speech and religion, freedom from want and fear for all Americans. That was my immediate thoughts when I woke up. I woke up early, and I, was, I, I wasn't sweating or, sh or shivering or anything, I, I, but I, I just was thinking to myself, Oh my God, what have we done? We are, we're, we're, something, something has to happen. I hope it's not too late. Why can't the voters see this? Why do they buy well, the Biden brand? There are lots of things that, got, that get in the way. First of all, 40 years of propaganda from the right. We shouldn't dismiss the idea that they have literally rewritten the American narrative from the narrative that your parents and my parents had been a part of from the 30s into the early 70s. They've just literally campaigned and spent billions rewriting the American narrative. Two, the left, ever since the 70s, has been wrapped up in a kind of, for lack of a better term, identity politics. Okay, Let us, let us never forget questions of racism and sexism. By no means, ever. But let's remember that the Democratic Party can only be the party of the people when we all realize that it's the party of working people in all their American diversity. And it's not a matter of measuring the advance of one versus the other. We should be in this together. We need a narrative that enables us to see whether we're black, white, brown, whether we're male or female or, or some other identity that we possess. We are in this, in that sense, Bernie's right. We're in this together. We need to see ourselves in the other as part of our own experience. So, but, but it's tough when identity politics emerges. And surely, and I'll be blunt, the most, the most outrageous example of identity politics, the, the example of identity politics that now will apparently cost us, if, unless I'm wrong, and I sure hope Michiganders turn out tomorrow, is Elizabeth Warren's attack on Bernie that night in the debate. And then, when she withdrew her refusal to support Bernie. I mean, let's face it. If you took Elizabeth Warren's platform and you put it next to Bernie's platform, in terms of online platforms, you really would have a hard time saying that Elizabeth Warren is not herself a social democrat, that Bernie's not himself 
very much in the same vein as Elizabeth Warren in what he wants to do and accomplish. And yet, she somehow is so committed, so committed to proving that she was outraged by, by something Bernie probably didn't do, and by Bernie bros online, who probably aren't even Bernie supporters, they're probably Russian bots and right-wing uh, trolls going after folks to divide the left. She can't find it in herself. She can't rise above her own ego to support Bernie Sanders. Come on. These are the kind of things that stand in the way. Why isn't she supporting him? Did Biden promise her the vice presidency? But I don't know. I honestly don't get it. But, I mean, in that vein, you know, there are a number of women competing for it. So you've got Kamala Harris, you've got uh, Amy Klobuchar, and maybe maybe her, too, or maybe Secretary of the Treasury, they promised her. I honestly don't know. But I, can I tell you a funny side thing? I, did you hear about Jill Biden's encounter in, in a women's luncheon or dinner recently? No. And And people... I heard this, this again in the third hand. Um, somebody was, uh, they were shouting, she was in a gathering of women. I, I, lunch, dinner, I should probably ask my wife to be more, she was the one who reported this to me. And apparently women were shouting up to her, who's going to be the vice presidential nominee? You know, that kind of thing. And names started to fly like, you know, Kamala Harris. And Jill Biden stopped and said, Kamala Harris? The one who, who punched my, my husband, mm-hmm. you know, in the debates? I think Amy Klobuchar would be a far better, a far better vice presidential nominee. And coincidentally, you heard what Amy Klobuchar said over the weekend in, in remarks? No. She was so excited to be on the ticket. Oh, so she was already promised. Well, or she was not. But, but in her enthusiasm, couldn't distinguish between, between being on the train, mm-hmm. on the train along with others for Biden, or on the ticket. So I don't know. I mean, people make a lot of gaffes in their enthusiasms, right? right? Some make it some make it because they're enthusiastic. Others make it because they're struggling to remember what they want to say. Or it's a Freudian slip. Or it's a Freudian slip. Or it's uh, or it's uh, if I say it enough, maybe he'll make me. Uh, <laughs> it's not me. Okay, so I've been delicate when it comes to Elizabeth Warren because I'm from the school where you know you seduce her and her voters to come over to Bernie. Some people have been, our friend Michael Brooks has not been kind to Elizabeth Warren. Well, he's run out of, he ran out of patience a long time ago. Yeah. I sense you've run out of patience with Elizabeth Warren. Do you subscribe to the 30% idea that Bernie only needs 30% to go into the convention we don't compromise, and with 30%, we just turn over the tables and, and fight it out and then purge the party? Have you heard <laughs> about the 30% theory? Well, <laughs> let's just back up for a second to Elizabeth Warren, okay? Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Warren did not do well in the primaries. You agree, right? She couldn't win Massachusetts. She couldn't even come right. in second. Right. But, you know, it's all of a sudden she became the women's champion. All of a sudden, because because somehow she claimed Bernie had, had dissed her, which I don't believe for a moment, or or indeed, <laughs> or indeed that. Uh, well, hang on, Professor. Let me interrupt for one second. Yes, yeah, sorry. In a private meeting, Bernie Sanders said to her, "He doesn't think a woman can get elected president." The damage that he did to her campaign by saying that in a private meeting. It, it crippled her entire run. 
Well, let's be clear. <laughs> First of all, in, two, in 2016, he asked her to run, and when she said she was not going to do so, that's when he decided to run. That's first. Mm -hmm. Second of all, in 2016, Hillary Clinton showed, and Bernie knows the, knew the numbers because it's the numbers that, that, that literally he may not have been able to pull off, or, or I think he could have. But the point is, Hillary Clinton won the presidential popularity vote. Popular vote, not popularity vote. Well, yeah, popular. the popular, yeah. She won it by... Uh, somewhere between 2.8 to 3 million votes. So obviously, rightly distributed, a woman could win the presidency. And Bernie's not an idiot. Come on, this is, how could she possibly make that claim that Bernie would have said that to her, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, and by the way, it cost her. She, she fell in the polls after she pulled that. And yet, she then reached for the other one. First of all, along the way, Hillary Clinton threw in that Bernie, nobody liked Bernie in Congress, that he, he she somehow... Uh, would have won if Bernie hadn't been so unkind to her. Wait a minute. He campaigned far more aggressively for her than she ever campaigned for Barack Obama. Right. So there's another another thing. But then Warren starts talking about why can't Bernie control the Bernie Bros? Well, first of all, does anybody don't, don't people know that you can't? First of all, a assuming she's she's right about who they are. Since when can anyone control anything that goes on on Twitter? Right. And Twitter's not the real world. No, a, B, as I said before, I, I'm convinced that much of this had to do with Russian interference or right-wing trolls who are masquerading as Bernie folks. Okay? Right, right. Okay. I mean, as I said to my students, I said, any of you ever tried to create an account on Twitter? Have you ever had trouble trying to do that? Have you ever decided, you know, you can have even more than one account? Why not have your own account and another account under another name? And pretend you're somebody else and go after anybody you want. Okay. So, so there's those kinds of features. And I still say, I repeat myself, I still say, what does it take to overcome one's ego? Let me remind everyone, in 1980, when Ronald Reagan was running for president, George H.W. Bush basically called Ronald Reagan a voodoo thinker. He said, that Ronald Reagan's idea about the economy is voodoo economics. But did Ronald Reagan hold that against Bush? He said, no. He said, I'm going to make Bush my vice president on this, on this campaign ticket because I need to bring in the Republicans who would otherwise not vote for me and might go off and vote, ah, who knows, maybe not Carter, but maybe for the third-party candidate um, whose name I'm just blanking on, Anderson. Mm -hmm. But he did it. Well, similarly, if it matters, if you're really a progressive... If you're really the progressive you said you were, and that you bragged about all your plans for progressive action, then why the hell would you allow mythologies to stand in your way to endorse Bernie Sanders? Now, your, your backers, your backers are not that numerous, but your, the women who might well have trusted your judgment are numerous. Are we not seeing slights that actually exist? I mean, on Twitter, when people talk about the Bernie bros, I always say, can you please send me a screenshot of this threat? They never follow through. I know that I've annoyed people by my moral certitude when it comes to Bernie. People have said to me, "How? what if you're wrong? How can you be so sure? And I clench my fist and say, this is a moral issue. It's black and white and... 
but are we missing something? Is Bernie not the coalition builder he purports to be? He, or does he, he need he, to be a coalition builder? It gets back to that 30% theory that... Well, look, I mean, I saw him as a coalition builder. But let me put it this way. I don't give a damn if he was a coalition builder or not. I think the more important thing is, is that we need to be coalition builders. We on the progressive left, in my case, the, the, if you like, democratic socialists or social democratic, we need to build the coalition. We don't, we don't need somebody who's going to constantly pander to any particular groups. What we need is somebody who will pursue the kinds of things that A, matter to us, and B, that have encouraged us. That's, this, this ego tripping is amazing. Just amazing. Look, there are many things in, inside of that, the so-called Sanders coalition, remarks that have been made that I say to myself, hey, I, I don't, I can live with that because I think there's a greater question in front of us, okay? And and I don't understand why people think that their agenda, their their specific agenda, matters more than our shared and collective agenda. That's I just don't get it. Okay, I'm not naive. I don't get it. Okay, let me pursue this thirty percent and ask you where you stand on this. About a year and a half ago. Bernie supporters were saying, we expect to only have 30% of the the delegates and that we're going to go into the convention in Milwaukee and fight it out. Are you willing to fight it out? Are you willing to say, because I think I might be, to say the hell with Biden, the hell with Rahm Emanuel and, and Obama and the Clintons. This yeah. is a a fight for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party. We've got 30%. Bring it on, and it's a bloody, bloody, you know, not literally, but figuratively, a bloody battle in Milwaukee. And Bernie comes out of the convention as the nominee, wounded, a lot of bruised egos who won't support him. But uh, it's a new Democratic Party purged of these neoliberals. Isn't that worth the fight with just 30 percent? I can tell you that in the course of the past year, it would not have I always said vote blue no matter who. Okay, I've always said that, but I think you may be, I think you may be right, that this is the time, that you, this, this is the time, because if it's not now, when is it gonna be? When, when is it gonna be? Okay, I mean, let's, let's, let's now turn to Joe Biden. Let's remember who we're talking about. Okay, and we don't even need to spend time on the fact that he can't talk for more than seven minutes at a major campaign rally in Missouri without his staff probably worrying, not just that he'll make gaps, gaps are something else, but literally that he will stumble over himself more and more and more. Let's not even go there for the moment, even though I just did. <laughs> Let, okay. Let's remember the kinds of things that his political career over these past decades has involved. First of all, is he, he literally opposed busing, and not unlikely... Not unlikely did so in a, in a, in a racialist fashion, okay? You know, let's start there. Let's also remember that he, you know, somebody, somebody actually said to me, you, you know, if you think about a vote for certain wars, if you think about a vote for war, and you realize that that vote puts you in a position of responsibility for the lives of American soldiers and in many ways, the lives of those with whom you're going to war because of overwhelming force that America possesses. 
then this is the weirdest thought. Who's killed more? Who's, who, not who's killed. Who's responsible for more deaths? Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Joe Biden. Okay. Now, let's also consider the fact that Joe Biden has stood in Congress and other venues and called for cutting Social Security and other programs that he and other bullshit politicians call entitlements. First start, Social Security is not simply an entitlement. It's ours. It's our insurance program. We, we pay, pay for it. Yeah, we pay into and it. How dare, how dare someone talk about cutting into it? Okay? Okay, so think about that. And then, you know, we can just go on item by item. How can women overlook the way in which he treated the women who wanted to testify in the, in the, in the Clarence Thomas hearings for... Um, Anita Hill has, still hasn't forgiven him. Right. Why should she? Why should she? Okay? I mean, over and over again, this man is literally a reactionary. I mean, he's not a conservative. That's that's being kind. He's into, conservatives at least often have some kind of intellectual bent. This is just a guy who's a reactionary, and 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 this is the guy that the Democrats are going to put up for president when so many millions of Americans want Medicare for all. So many millions of Americans want to literally address the question of inequality. Oh, come on, I mean. Give me a break. And outlaw fracking, which he's for. So would it frighten you to go? You're, you live in Wisconsin. Would it frighten you to be part of some movement that throws over the tables in the Democratic Party and says to the Bidens and the Clintons and the Obamas and the Rahm Emanuels, get the F out of here. Get This is the People's Party. We're the Democrats. Yeah, I don't think 30% in power is a hell of a lot of... Uh... <laughs> Authority, but I do think, but I do think that that question should remain on the agenda. And do we lose in November if it if it gets that metaphorically bloody? If we if we fight that hard in the lead up to the Look, convention? I, I mean, I, prophetic. I can't predict what's going to come. I mean, for example, let's throw it. We haven't even addressed the question that could literally change the entire equation, and if Biden, Biden gets the, the nomination, could literally propel him into the presidency. A, I'm, th I'm talking about the virus, okay? Yeah. I mean, right now, this administration is a laughing stock and, and literally is generating fear in Americans, right? And by the way, Bernie Sanders rightly held a public forum today on YouTube with experts on the question regarding how should we be responding to this virus. Bernie Sanders is the most mature and classy politician the Democratic Party has. The shame of it is, is that, as I said before, he had not learned how to rise above his own, his own stubbornness and really wear the mantle, the cloak of Franklin Roosevelt. What do you see happening tonight in Michigan? Do you see any hope? You, you started Tomorrow? this... Yeah. Do I see hope? Tonight? Well, yeah. there's... there's the historical record says that, it's, that Michigan could literally surprise, as it did in 2016, when it gave Bernie Sanders the victory in the primary. Okay, that's, that's for a start. But I don't, I can't allow my hopes to get carried. I can't get carried away with with those hopes and then have them all devastated. But I do think that if we can get through tomorrow, 
And if Bernie's going to move forward, that he has to do... Sorry, I don't mean this because I think I know it all. I say this because Bernie Sanders must differentiate himself both from Biden and literally portray Biden without having to, to call him this a traitor to the Democratic Party. He has to remind people of what the Democratic Party stands for and what Americans want. And to do that... He must invoke, if not, he doesn't have to constantly quote FDR, but I sure as hell would like to hear him say, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Or I sure as hell would like to, him to turn to the other Democrats and say, economic laws are not made by nature, they're made by man. Don't tell us we can't afford to make Medicare for all possible for every American. I wanted to hear him grab hold of words from FDR and throw them in a way that boosts him up and smacks these folks who are pseudo-Democrats. The bungling of the coronavirus. Donald Trump is a fascist. He believes, at best, in a unitary executive power. That's putting it nicely. He's a fascist. Is he bungling the coronavirus, or is he just biding his time to implement something like 162 statutes on the books that give him authoritarian leeway when it comes to... Well, he's got, he's appointed a hell of a lot of judges. Um, by the way, I, in that vein, can I just mention, as I, as I was coming home, I was told that apparently he may have to be quarantined. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear about this? Yes, yes. Go what? ahead, tell, what? tell the listeners. <laughs> what is it? So, what, so uh, Gates, right? Yeah, that, the congressman. That, yeah, that asshole congressman from yeah. Florida who never, who never, who, who obviously never learned anything about self-discipline. Right. right. <laughs> he he apparently and has what is it, he was in play. He was with people who were themselves exposed to the virus. And is it possible that he himself showed any signs of it? I, that much I can't remember. But apparently he was also with by, with Trump on a plane then or something. Help me with this. Well, it was the CPAC. Event, and okay. this guy, Shap, who runs it, and he's also a, a White House aide, shook hands with Donald Trump, and they're, they're supposedly canceling these rallies, but that's like telling me to stop drinking coffee if Trump can't. Well, you know what? I like to think of Republicans as a typhoid Marys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So, so if you think about it, I mean, Trump needs to be quarantined, right? Yes. Now, it, Obviously, what's he going to say then? That he then doesn't believe in science? My only fear is that after being quarantined, he'll say, "See, see what I did for all of you. I showed you. That mm -hmm. I showed you that all it takes is a little self-control." Right. So you know. I'm sorry, right. I so you're laughing, and let me turn it's a tragic comic laugh. Maybe yes. I, I, yes. Italy has shut down the entire country. I know. <laughs> this morning it was just northern Italy. Now you cannot go to Italy. Israel yeah. is shutting down. Uh, we're, we're pursuing autarky. Is that the word where everybody goes their own way and handles it themselves? What? I, mean, where the, I mean, this is a time for international cooperation, not not international shutting downs. I mean, shutting downs may be a good idea, but we need to do this in some kind of deliberate and carefully calculated and smart way. The the overcorrection that might be taking place or under correction, depending on how this plays out. You teach in Wisconsin. Are classes in session? 
Well, we got an email today. How do you like this? We got an email today. We go on spring break a week from today. And the question was posed. This was a, uh, a message sent to the chairs of all our departments to ask all of us, are, are we capable and are we prepared to, to literally do a distance education kind of teaching in whatever forms that may take? Is it possible we could give up the classroom experience to address the crisis if it comes our way? Uh, you know? And geez, I mean, that's the story. I mean, schools out west have closed, right? I mean, USC, UCLA, Berkeley, I understand they're all shutting down for, for a few to, um, to, to several to a couple of weeks' days. How could this alter... And by the way, and I, I, I told you before we started that I was supposed to be flying into New York next week, and I was hoping you and I would have coffee together, at least, maybe even a meal. But today I decided to cancel my flight. I, I did not want to fly into New York. And so, I don't know what worried me more, being in New York or being on the plane, but I decided I'm 70 years old. I had no intention of, of, of risking anything. So this is... There are dominoes that fall because people yeah. stop traveling, I don't, Not to mention the stock market collapsing. Yeah, the, the coffee. I was going to buy you a cup of coffee. I was going to also take you to Peter Luger's for a steak. Ah, Jesus. Christ. I'm kidding. I just want <laughs> now that you're not coming, I figured. But I'm a vegetarian, you know. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm, no, I'm not. You may be. <laughs> but wait, wait, you, you are a vegetarian? Are you a vegetarian? I'm not a vegetarian. Oh, I thought you were. I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult anyone. I said, no, I'm not a vegetarian. I, I don't eat a lot of red meat, but I generally, I, but a good hamburger I'll take any day. When we talk about taking hold of our history, which, you know, that's your book, and it just resonates with me, taking hold of our history. We don't learn from history or current events in order to take hold of what's going on right now with the coronavirus. Yeah, right. Uh, it is conceivable that the Republicans can take hold of it and say those tax cuts, because that's Trump's solution now. He's offering tax cuts yeah. to combat yeah, the talking about low, Cutting the payroll tax, yeah. yeah. How do you like that? They get us coming and going, don't they? Yeah, but that's how the Republicans take hold of the history. They say yep. it'll be yeah. the tax cuts that... Yeah, they want us to believe that America was based on the, on the, uh, on the what do they call it, the, the Boston Tea Party as an act against taxes. Right. Bullshit. Right. By the way, that's and there's a whole myth about that where they were actually that they wanted yeah. to raise taxes on the British tea so they could, the Dutch tea could compete. But that's a whole other story. Right. How many weeks? How bad does the coronavirus have to get until big business, the Republicans? throw up their hands and say, Uncle, Uncle Sam, help us, we're wrong. Or does that ever happen? Well, it's already begun, except that the Republicans are in power. Because, as you just said, they're already talking to Republicans about cutting the tax, cutting payroll taxes to help working people. Okay, Instead of talking about trying to address this in a collective, national, democratic kind of fashion. They're going to mm -hmm. do it by way of, you know, and then, and then, and then, and there's that, was it? That was, um, oh, there was that great musical. I forgot who was, oh, Jesus. There's that song, and then, and then, 
and gentlemen, and then, sorry. Okay, back to the question. So Sounds like Gilbert, um, Gilbert O'Sullivan, but go ahead. No, no, it was, uh, oh, God, it was a black actor who really performed the, the central figure best. I could throw down, a, I could throw the question down and get an answer, but we won't worry about it right now. More importantly, it's the case that they literally are trying to take charge. They're trying to take hold of history. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell us, in the face of crisis, we cut taxes. Right. Right. Instead of in the face of crisis, we literally enacted national health care and guaranteed that people without people on the margins will be covered as well as anyone else. Now, the the shock doctrine, the Chicago school, the Milton Friedman say, yeah, no, no crisis should go. uh What's the phrase? Without being taken advantage, crisis is opportunity, basically. Yes. And, and right. the, the Chicago School, we've discovered. Well, by the way, Harry Hopkins, Harry Hopkins, back in 1934, felt the same way. That was uh, FDR's head of the WPA, who later became literally his right hand man, going through the war years. And similarly, Rahm Emanuel. I know that upsets you to hear his name. I, I'm not eager to quote him, actually, but he, I believe, said. He was trying to get Obama to realize that the crisis allowed them an opportunity that they might not otherwise see back in 2009. And I do believe he was trying to talk them out of doing maybe health care in favor of a broader way of things. I don't remember the details. Yeah. So before you go, talk to me about the opportunity that the coronavirus provides to the Democrats and to the Republicans. How do you manipulate this crisis for your own political and ideological expediency. Well, the Democrats will not rise to the occasion. Let me make that clear. Okay? I mean, I'm not... It would be a fantasy to imagine that all of a sudden, from Nancy Pelosi to Joe Biden to... uh, to the the truly latecomer to the Democratic Party, Michael Bloomberg, everyone says, we were wrong, and what we really need to do is embrace Bernie's Medicare for All. Now. Okay, and we and we literally make that the upfront, the upfront item in any kind of democratic platform. And we're not going to do it over four years. We're going to do it as soon as we take command of House and Senate, and have a president who can sign it into law. Mm-hmm. And then look, let's let's be clear about this. It'll be too late to address this pandemic. We don't have time. It's not going to happen, and the pandemic will, it's not going to be gone in 10 days. But here's the thing. We've known about the possibility of such a thing for years, and what have we done about it? Well, every year we come up with some, we get some, you know, flu shot, okay, especially for people over the ages of 50 or 60. But really, think about it. The only way in the future that we're going to be ready for the next pandemic is going to be with national health care to make sure that people are healthy to begin with to withstand such a thing and to make sure we have the health care resources to address the next crisis. I, you know, beyond that, I don't know what else I could say. And if the Democrats are still going to tell us we can't afford it, well, F to them. Yes. Yeah. And we're discovering that if there is a vaccine... People who can't afford it won't get one. That's what yeah. the talk is. What are you doing? What are you and your wife doing? And what advice do you give to my listeners, our listeners? 
Okay, so I'm I'm relatively at a I'm at a distance from things that really happened, but they're coming. So first of all, as I said, I canceled the trip to New York next week. I'm not getting on a plane. I'm not going to be going out to the, into the city, and and that hurts. My uh, I have a daughter who lives there. I wanted to see her. I had media opportunities um, that I really needed to to take up in order to advance this new book I have coming out. You know, the FDR on democracy book, and to promote. I mean, it's 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 not. Terrible, but it's it's disappointing. I've got spring break next week. We'll 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 stay low, okay? We'll hang You're not going to go to Fort Lauderdale and do keggers and keg stands. Well, for and... what you know, it's, you know what? That's funny you say that because this morning at breakfast, I said to my wife, you know, all these years I've been teaching at at a at a really what would have to be called a first generation university. What I mean by that is, overwhelmingly, my students are the first generation of their families to come to college. This is the case since the day I arrived. And I always used to imagine the day would come where more and more of my students would be the kids of college-educated adults. But generally speaking, these are first-generation students. And so, and I've seen the immigrant waves. I've seen the Southeast Asian immigrant wave having difficulty with the language. They now speak better than any of us. I, we now have the Latinx students many of whom are themselves not even born in Mexico, but are the parents of immigrants. So I've seen this over and over, but I, and they all work. Almost every one of my students has a job, which, which makes it tough to, to get a degree in four years. We call it the five-year plan in many cases. Mm-hmm. But I said to my wife, you know, Lorna, think about this. My students can't even afford to do Gulf Coast spring break. They'll be home working, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just as well for them. Yeah. 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 For character. Take hold of. Uh, no, not for character. <laughs> for their health in this. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. At what point do I stop saying to people, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was very well, smug. Tell, you know, people have died. Let's face right. it. Okay. okay. I, I'm not, people shouldn't get paranoid. But people need to, and they should definitely not start, you know, my fear is that people are going to be looking at each other like, I can't trust this person. Right. You know, I can't. I'm already thinking that, so. Right. So make fun of it. So instead of shaking hands, bump elbows. I mean, we can do this in a way that becomes fun as, not fun, sorry. It at least becomes friendly. It doesn't have to be vicious. Okay. Uh, before, before I keep saying before you go, before you go. Don't French kiss everyone you see, David. I, I can't help it. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, at the beginning of the month, I was very smug. I said in January, it was World War Three. They killed General Soleimani in Iraq. And oh, yeah. your students are waiting for the call up. It's World War Three. It never materialized. And uh, then I said... Uh, there's going to be a civil war. And then there's talk there's going to be a civil war in this country, which I don't think is going to materialize. And then I said, you know, the coronavirus, every three or four weeks they come up with a new thing to terrify us. Is it, pos- is it possible that in three weeks this thing will not be as bad as we thought it was? Okay. You always want me to be a prophet. Yes. All I can tell you is, this is my only prophetic remarks in, the pl- in reply to that question. If that's true, I'm going to see you in April to have you buy me that coffee and maybe even a steak. Okay, at Peter Luger's. Take hold of our history, make America radical again. 18 essays and speeches 
are contained in Take Hold of Our History. It's the Professor's Manifesto, a call to remember, redeem, and embrace the American radical story and tradition in favor of cultivating American historical memory and imagination and making America radical once again. Harvey J.K. is the author of that book, and he joined us today from Wisconsin. It's an honor and a privilege, and I think my listeners have done a pretty good job thanking you. I've noticed... Well, um, Yeah, they're great, and and I love hearing from them on on Twitter, and if anybody else wants to send a note... I don't like bad notes. Please send good ones. It's yes. Harvey J.K. H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J-K-A-Y-E. <laughs> Thank you so much. Stand line for one second, Professor. You bet. Thank you. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. Hey, by the way, David. We're rolling, by the way. Go ahead, yes. but we're rolling. Way, we're rolling, though. Yes. Yeah, I get it, but I'm telling you something, which is uh, thank you for the love for the radio show, but what I really would like is some love for the podcast. Okay. I, I, I'm a big star on radio already, David. I have huge numbers and huge audience. Mm-hmm. What I need is I need some help on the podcast. You got it, buddy. Mark Thompson joins us from San Francisco. He is the host of the Mark Thompson Show, which you can hear on KGO from 10 till noon, West Coast time. I believe they call it Pacific. Yeah, that's what they've been using that term for a while, I guess. And you're on from 10 a.m. till noon. 10 to noon, that's right. And, David, I, in my time away from the show, listen to your podcast. I am very uh, much a fan. It's always a pleasure to be part of the mix. I am astounded that you, uh, and I make this point repeatedly because I continue to be astounded by, you know, these four or five-hour podcasts that you do. It's, it's unreal. I, I, I am I'm having to cancel other events just so I can get all my <laughs> David Feldman show time in, just to listen to them all. More, so and more, more and more quarantined Americans choose the David Feldman show as their number one podcast. So you're a... Meteor- I never thought of that, though, David. That re- you really may have found the perfect naturally occurring event for your podcast, because <laughs> otherwise, I think people just couldn't accommodate the time required uh-huh. and the commitment to listen to the David Feldman show. But now, with quarantines well underway, yeah, this might be a good bounce for you. You might be one of the few beneficiaries of this whole scenario. <laughs> All right, so you have a podcast called The Edge. Everybody should listen to it. But you're also on KGO, that is the flagship station in san francisco i believe you have something like eighty thousand watts across the mississippi right it's one of the largest stations it's a huge huge station yeah huge we get calls from all over california and beyond it's really uh quite a quite a signal yeah so we talk to a lot of people and people are anxious right now i do a podcast where i can say anything and i'm not Really, I don't have to be that responsible. I try to be responsible, but uh, you have to be really responsible in terms of not creating a panic in real time. You have listeners in real time, and I'm curious, as stuff is coming over the wire, you know, you're hearing that New York prison labor is being used now to dig graves. People are saying there may not be enough wood for all the graves 
that uh, they're going to need. They're running out of hand sanitizer. Prisoners are being given recipes to start making hand sanitizers for the rest of America. Restaurants are shutting down. New York's top transit official has tested positive. They're talking about closing the subways. The stock market crashed, I think, yesterday, 2,000 points. At what point is it okay for you to say, folks, I'm going to pull in Chris Matthews and ask my resignation <laughs> and leave it to Kornacki to take over the rest of the show. At what point right. do you do you just say, I, I'm gone, folks. This is You have to keep cool, well, right? I have to be honest. When you stack up all the bad news like you just did, I do get worried. <laughs> I try to uh, – I think what, what I try to do, and it's so interesting that you're asking this question because just today on the show I was getting – uh, on Twitter particularly, people saying, uh, don't you think it's the responsibility of the media to calm people? Uh, which I don't think it's the responsibility of the media. However, I will grant that the media likes scary stories. The media does want to scare you. When I say the media, again, I'm talking the most generic way. The, the scary stories get the clicks, the scary stories get the eyeballs, and uh, the scary stories get us listening. I do think, though, that just because that's true doesn't mean the news isn't really scary. So I feel as a member of the media, and as you say, I do a daily show, I feel I need to produce facts. So we have uh, doctors on and epidemiologists on, and I try to present objective facts. We look at the CDC, and I also try to call out that which is clearly political, like Donald Trump essentially saying there's nothing to see here. Let's just give it a couple of weeks and it's all going to go away. You know, he had a huge chance, Donald Trump, I thought, to actually get the upper hand because he had, as you're probably also aware, and maybe you've discussed on your show, you know, he pressed for the defunding of the CDC. He, in essence, got rid of this whole pandemic unit that was in place because it was an Obama-related unit. Uh, but he did have about a month during which he'd restricted travel from China, so he could have ramped up and got things going during that time. And actually then, when the next press conference hit at the end of that month, he could have announced all of these new health strategies that his administration put in place. But he didn't do that. Instead, he just went on and said, everything's going to be fine. He squandered that month. And now you're playing catch-up, and you're behind where a lot of the rest of the world is. So uh, I point that out, and... You know, those people who are Trumpies, many of whom you know, listen to the show also, they try to defend him. I think any defense of him in this scenario is pretty flimsy. But uh, more to the point, these things do speak to the readiness of the government. So I try to produce, I'm talking about a hard government, I try to produce facts. I try to produce facts related to where we are from a health standpoint. But I also try to, uh, again, point to some of these things that are related to the politics of this time and how... This administration is trying to politicize this in in ways that would suggest a false confidence. And and I think that is just clear based on the spokespeople they have, uh, from Ben Carson to Mike Pence to the president himself. And is there any, not that I'm trying to pull off a false equivalency here, but is there any politicization on the left? I mean, everybody's looking for Trump's Achilles heel that really takes him down. Is he is he being victimized by people who are looking for any reason to criticize him? 
Well, I would kind of say what I said about the uh, the media and the scariness of the story. I'm sure that, yes, there are political opportunists that take, uh, I don't want to say pleasure, but take this opportunity to uh, labor to make political points from all of this. But again, it has the additional virtue, maybe, of being true. When you have a president who is out and out lying. I mean, he's not putting the best face on something. Mm-hmm. He's lying about something. And the best you could say is that he doesn't know what he's talking about, so he doesn't even realize that he's lying. But the reality is, uh, these are lies that's going to go away on its own. And the idea that he didn't even want to say, you know, for example, on his political rallies that he does, well, you know what? Just out of an abundance of caution, we are going to postpone a lot of those rallies for a few months to see where we are. He didn't want to say that. He, he, he and, and so it was full speed ahead with the rallies. Now you see them the schedule of any of those rallies, but of course that's being done in a low-profile way, and I don't blame them for doing that in a low-profile way. I'm not saying you want to advertise it, but you, you see him wasting no opportunity to take political advantage, even as you are also probably aware within the last 10 days, blaming the Democrats for part of this and the lack of response. I mean, so I think there's political opportunism on both sides, but I think there is utter ineptitude, and what you're seeing is the ineptness of Donald Trump and his administration, just a gang that couldn't shoot straight. And I'm sorry, I think it's fair to call that out, even if there's political gain in the process. And you're a meteorologist, a scientist. Is it possible that the heat, once it starts getting warm, the coronavirus begins to die? Well, I mean, I'm the, the two uh, disciplines don't overlap, and so I just can't speak to that. I mean, I don't know the... The, the virology and the you know you know how these how these things i know that in the case of the spanish flu the as i recall and you're you're so good david's so good on this stuff and I, you, you know with the uh, but here's my recollection it it uh it killed a bunch of people then it kind of went into a dormancy period i think with the warm weather and then it came raging back i mean it was in the second wave of the Spanish flu that the most most people died. I believe that's the way it went down. And so, I mean, I believe that with warmer weather, good things happen in terms of the virus being arrested, but it also can give you a false sense of security. And how easy is it to spread this? And I and you know what you is, know. If you're within six feet... Right. And somebody coughs and sneezes. How I got like- an email from a guy. I got an email from a guy this morning who's a listener who was telling me that he goes for dialysis, and he says there are a bunch of people coughing at dialysis. He said I'm sixty something. I think he said sixty five. He said so I'm in a target group, and he said there are a bunch of people who clearly are not well. I'm compromised from an immuno. Uh, suppression standpoint i'm on a bunch of medications i need these transfusions to to help me and he said and the healthcare workers are careless he said i'm seeing nobody's wearing a mask even the people who are coughing are not offered masks so i think it's a it's a healthcare situation which is pretty much dependent on like where you are it's almost like where the the wheel spins and where you end up here's a guy you'd say He's in a target-rich area, and they're not taking some of the steps that they should. Uh, For the rest of us, it's the six-feet rule, it's the handshake rule, it's the wash-your-hands rule. 
and, and then you just have to see. I think it's a little hard to tell. Hmm. Catching it. If you're, say, in good health and in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you're not compromised, is it a death sentence? I mean, you, when you start to get to the upper end of those age groups that you just described, it gets to be more problematic because aware of it or not, I guess our immune systems are not operating with the efficiency and sharply as they did prior. And so, I mean, in prior years, you know, decades ago. And so I think, look, I'm concerned. Uh, I, I feel like I'm in pretty good health, but, you know, I've gotten pneumonia a bunch of times. I say a bunch of times. I think I've had it four times. And I mean, it can happen, you know, to people who are, you know, in pretty good shape. And, you know, you don't rest appropriately. Uh, you wake up hungover and then it segues into whatever. I mean, you know, you do all these things you don't even think about that might compromise your immune system in ways you don't think about. You, it might be your diet. You know, maybe you're eating a diet rich in X. I don't know what X is. Fat, um, uh, as I say, it just may not favor your particular immune system. And so you realize there are all these sort of but start as minuscule ways that your immune system is compromised, but in the aggregate, they actually have an effect on your ability to ward off illness. It's good advice to get as much sleep as you possibly can. Exercise, but don't go to the gym. Don't go swimming. Don't go to a sauna. Don't sit in a hot tub. Go for a, a walk. Correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's all really sound advice. It really is. I mean, it's a weird thing that we have to adjust our lives that way. And then you always wonder, am I over-adjusting? But probably out of an abundance of caution, you should make those adaptations to your routines that you're suggesting. Let's talk about the gig economy. A lot of my listeners are part of the gig economy. Uber, Lyft. If you're a driver... I got I got emails and communications from drivers for Uber and Lyft who say they have no choice but to work, but they have tons of hand sanitizer and they offer masks in their car. It's kind of weird that they're trying to, you know, in some way play the moment as best they're able. It definitely affects their business. And these masks, are are they effective? Don't you need a certain no, type of mask? They're, 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 they're not effective in preventing you from getting it. They're effective in preventing people who have it from from passing it on. They are effective in that regard, supposedly. Right. But that presupposes that somebody who has the virus is strong enough to go outside and drive a Lyft or an Uber. I would think if you well, were... Also, I mean, I mean, to play it the other way, it... it, it presumes also that a passenger in Uber and Lyft is strong is, you know, strong enough to ride or what I mean, you know, if you if you think you have you have a cough, you're not sure what it is. Right now as you are aware the testing kits are it's it's laughable how few we have. I mean compared to the rest of the world. But like South Korea for example. But uh and even in Washington State they're doing a good job apparently of, of testing people, but nationwide we're we're sort of woefully short. But 
people who get into that ride, that Uber or Lyft ride, and they have a cough or whatever, you have to count on them having something over their mouth or them coughing appropriately in, in a healthful way so as not to contaminate the ride, uh, to pass it on to the driver, so there's a, you know, or to be wearing a mask. So, there are, look, there are a lot of facets to this, and it seems as though your general advice is probably the best advice. I don't know what people do in the gig economy. I'll give you another example, the retail economy, where people have to deal with the public all the time. They have no choice. And they don't have the vacation packages that even provide them a day or two off. You know, they can't take a week or ten days away. Or sick leave. Yeah, that's right. Movies, it, restaurants? All, all, all the things all the things that you talk about occasionally on this show, which are related to Medicare for All or some kind of expanded health care coverage, this sort of thing. Uh, these are things, this is where the shoe pinches when you come to a health care crisis like this or a health crisis. Health care intersects with health crisis because many people who have symptoms or presenting symptoms may not have the money to check out what's going on. And, and so you see how there can be a snowball effect to even the smallest rate of infection early on. The chain of custody when you order food from Seamless, how many different people are touching your food? And is it wise to order in or cook for yourself? I, I mean, I hate to put people out of work, but... The idea of ordering food. I mean, the Chipotle workers went on strike because they were not being given enough sick days and they were being overworked to exhaustion. Uh, I mean, how? I mean, I hate to create panic, but the the cracks in capitalism. It happens very quickly. When, when things collapse, things happen slowly and then very quickly. I don't mean to create panic, but what's the worst you could, well, what's the worst that could happen here? I mean, the question of the cap capitalism or the economic system as it overlays with this health crisis, that seems like a much bigger conversation, which I'd be right. happy to have to do another time. But I think your general point, which is that there are many cracks in the edifice of protection, I think that's a very good one. And that that chain that you talk about in getting people food and other supplies, uh, I think there are vulnerabilities there that we're not uh, fully aware of. We're just becoming aware of many of them. And, and so I think you're right to point to it. I mean, there is an infrastructure to handle the kind of widespread I'll call it anxiety slash panic that we're beginning to see. Before you go, you lived through the big fire in Los Angeles last year. What yeah, do you what do you what yeah. what analog can you find between this virus and and the fire that could not be contained? Uh that the system, if there's one, I would say that the system can only do so much for you. And depending on where you are, this is where maybe that economic argument another uh, uh, day would be uh, mm -hmm. an interesting one to have. But but just uh, I take that away. The system can only do so much for you. Yeah, because and, it's and, li you know, it's been limited by greed or just the system in general. 
No, 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 because it's been limited. No, 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 because it's limited by events. And I... some events are overwhelming. It, it doesn't, I mean, again, uh, on, on this, it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't have to do with capitalism or communism or socialism or Medicare for all. Some events are so overwhelming that regardless of the economic system and regardless of your preparation, these events will overwhelm you. And so that, that's if I answer your question to be pure about it, that's the parallel. OK, I, I, I know you have to go, but let me ask you about fire. Fire is eventually contained in California because we've socialized firefighting. I know that the Kardashians have their own private firefighting companies, but they put out fires. You know, if there's a fire, the government puts the fire out. That's not the same with a virus, is it? It seems that we've privatized health care in this country, and this is this virus sheds light on the, the peril of privatizing health care. Some people are going to be protected from the virus, so they think, but like a fire, it spreads to your home. You think you're protected from the virus because you have a Cadillac health care plan, but without socialized medicine, you can't stop the corona f fire from spreading. Well, there is truth to what you're saying, but it's even more complicated, and I would suggest interlocking than that, because you deal with an economic need on the part of those people who, even if they had access to the health care and were told by a doctor to stay home, would have to work. And that, by virtue of their working, would spread the virus more. And so that's how those people who have the worst health care, but still some access to health care, affect the Kardashians that you mentioned, who have access to the best health care. So the pandemic spread continues because of the economic need associated with working. Right. Donald Trump David, told David, AIDS. I adore you. I adore you. I we'll adore end on you. this note. OK. All right. But, you know, don't panic. Donald Trump has reportedly told his aides that journalists on board Air Force One will infect him with the coronavirus to prove a point. So there's no need to panic. Donald Trump is in charge. Mark Thompson hosts the Mark Thompson Show on KGO in San Francisco from 10 a.m. till noon. The Edge is the name of his podcast. Be well, sir. Always good talking to you. Stand on line, line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. Joining us for the first time and hopefully not the last is Keith Price. He is the host of Curtain Call. It's available on Broadway World, iTunes, Google Play Music. Keith Price is a comedian, actor, podcaster, radio talk show host. I believe you were the first out African-American host on Sirius XM. 
I know you from the John Fugel saying show. You are hysterical and you are also wise. Thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Well, that's a nice introduction. Yeah. I, I met you a couple times at John Fugel Sang's house and then we did Fugel Sang's show. Yes. Yeah, just a couple of weeks, like the two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Before Super Tuesday. Well, let's talk about me first. Let's talk about me for a second before we talk about the coronavirus and whether or not to panic. I am a, I'm an a-hole. And we were in the lobby at Sirius XM. And the first thing I remember saying to you, this was two weeks ago, I said, I'm a Bernie bro, are you? And I said, nope. <laughs> no. And then there was another gentleman, very nice guy, who has a uh -huh. very, I, I forgot his name, but he has a new book coming out. He's a big uh, opponent of Donald Trump. And... I said, I'm a Bernie bro, are you? And he goes, no. And then we went into the studio and began to record. And I yes. have been in denial about my Bernie bro, but I was pretty insufferable, wasn't I? Well, you know what? In a way, you were insufferable for those who would have allowed themselves to be bothered by you. <laughs> Okay. And, I, <laughs> and I say that only because I'm a man of a certain age and I just, I've learned to just be like, if I don't like it, I'm not getting, get involved with it. And, right. and my thing was, it's like, I'll let you talk, but it doesn't necessarily move me one way or the other. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm going to still be me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I just didn't let you, I, I mean, I got it. I mean, you were, you were pushing a few buttons and I don't know if that was intentional or it's just, you know, you're, you're very passionate about what you feel. And so, you know, I'm not going to deny anybody their reason to be passionate, but it's like to me, you don't have to give me your passion. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> There's plenty of men that I appreciate their passion. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so I was tasting blood. I mean, I, I, this was before Super Tuesday. <laughs> yes, you were, you were very testy, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, but rightfully so, because that's your candidate. And I feel like everybody has the right to feel however they choose to feel about it. It's very difficult for me because I'm like, these are none of the people that I wanted in the mix to begin with. So I'm like, all right, well, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Right. Well, we'll move on. Great. We'll move on for a second. But this is where I found myself because this was right after... In New Hampshire and before South uh -huh. Carolina, and I was before saying, South Carolina. and I was saying things like, "You're going to shut up. You're going to get in line. You're getting on the bus. <laughs> Bernie's driving. We're not asking you for directions. You got nowhere else to go. So just shut up. Bernie's in charge now." And again, not that I don't enjoy a bossy man. <laughs> But it's all about the setting. <laughs> and it's just, you know, and my thing is, it's like, I just, I, I feel like on one hand, I'm, I'm very torn because I said this to this friend of mine the other day. And then I said it, I did John's the other day and I also said it to him and it shocked him because he, he couldn't believe I said it. I said, but you know, I feel like the Democratic Party treats Bernie Sanders like that hot girl that goes into the bar in her like, you know, cha-cha shorts. <laughs> And then she's wearing like, you know, some sequency top that's like just like a, a strapless top. 
and she's just jiggling around and having the greatest time, and everybody's loving it, and they're thinking, oh, my God, this is the hottest thing since sliced bread. And then as soon as she goes to the bathroom to pee, they all call her a dirty whore. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly what I think Bernie Sanders is right now. And I'm the schmuck and who I, fell in love with her. <laughs> fell in love with her, not knowing that she's just being used as a dirty whore. Because uh. I feel like, what he has done, and, you know, I guess you will agree or disagree, and and it's sort of like, I feel like he has, at least at one point in time, brought a lot of energy to the party. And that's what the, the <laughs> I think, ultimately, that's what the party needed, is a jolt of energy. The idea, ultimately, in the end, is that they've decided what the jolt is going to look like when it's all said and done. Right. And so they've they've appropriated the jolt by, you know, asking people to basically not run anymore. <laughs> because because they know that if they go into a brokered convention, it's going to be the same thing that we went through with Hillary and him. You know what I'm saying? And like it's too close to town. We're not really sure, but the number is 1991. So if he hits that number, then there's no reason for us to have any contest. Okay. And so now what they've done is they've whittled it down to almost two people, so that the the number can drag out, so that we lose all of those people stealing delegates from other places. And it's just, it's really, to me, it just feels like a really ugly game of chess that he's about to lose again. And not because he's not a good candidate and not because he doesn't have interesting things that he wants to bring to the table. It's just that I think that they have their own agenda. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, I've said this before, and I, you know, loves me some Uncle Joe. Crazy Uncle Joe's fabulous for the barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was great that he did what he did for those eight years working with Obama. But I also remember that he, you know, had some shady things to say about Obama when they were in the primary process of trying to get the, the nomination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and people are so busy trying to like, you know, make history. They want to make history. And it's like, you know, I feel bad that Hillary didn't, you know, decide at the time that she should have commanded and asked for the vice president's shop so that she could have gotten a little taste of history. But she wanted the whole enchilada, you know, so she waited it out and then lost in the end. Right. (laughs) And it's like, how sad for you. And then Uncle Joe decided not to run because he wanted to move out of the way for history. And, you know, his his son had died and he was going through some stuff. And now he's all in the zone wanting to take it back. And it's like, well, you had your chance, too. And that was kind of like right after the election. So it was like 2016 would have been the year for you to kind of jumped into that role and now it's kind of like it's left this huge gap for us and like this is what we're living in we live this we opened up the room to let the virus in and the virus is now here yeah. all of the craziness that we've been experiencing has been because we have kind of like fallen asleep at the wheel or we've just you know i think we just laid down thinking oh it's gonna be great look it's a smart woman <laughs> <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like not realizing that there's all of these nefarious forces that, you know, the people that on the other side use to get what they want, which is to win. Right. And so we got we got screwed. And I think we're going to probably get screwed again if we don't figure it out real soon. Well, like, what, what I, I was so busy yelling at everybody, I really never bothered <laughs> to ask you who you were voting for in the primaries. Well, I, I during the primary season when there was people of color and you know interesting conversations being had like I started off being very Kamala at the jump because I enjoyed first of all her pageantry at the beginning fantastic 
but you know, she's the first in and the first one of the first ones out. And she, I liked her energy. I like what she brought. I like what Cory Booker had to say. I like, um, you know, give it, you know, Elizabeth Warren to me is probably would have been the choice that I would have ultimately made if she would have made it all the way to the end. Um, but I, I feel like, in, you know, it's already been decided. You know, it's like, right. so it doesn't really matter what happens. Like, you know, I feel like the Democrat, whoever it is, Tom Perez and all of those folks that be, the powers that be, have already decided that it's going to be Joe Biden. Well, do you mind and if I ask you want. a personal question? That, sure. Okay. Who do you prefer, Biden or Bernie? Oh, let's see. It's a little harder choice for me because – Honestly, I feel like if Bernie is, I look at Bernie as being a conscious capitalist instead of this democratic socialist. Right. And I wish that that's what he would have said from the beginning, because in honesty, he's like, I'm not trying to tell you that people can't make money. And I'm not really, you know, this billionaire, I hate the idea of billionaires. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really don't think that ultimately that's the, the beef. The beef is that all of these people are making all of this money, this small, small little pocket of our country is making this huge, huge, huge amount of money and wealth. And it's not that this, this, it's the idea that they need to give us their money, but it's sort of like, how about you actually pay taxes that can do things? Like use the money that you're making. Cause I've, I read something somewhere that said that if you, it, like we wouldn't have to have charities if people just paid their bills, paid mm -hmm. their taxes. Right. So like, you know, if, if Jeff Bezos with all of the money that he's made had to pay that fucking 3% tax, he still would be the richest person in the world. Like, so right. what is it about? What is it about ultimately? Like you, you can take four, you know, he's going to create a $10 billion, uh, thing to look at climate change and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's the foundation that you're creating for you to put $10 billion away <laughs> to spend when you feel like spending it. And be able to like save it as a tax break. It's like, I, I, I don't get it. It's like, just spend the money. Cause in the end, you're going to still be, it's like, he got a divorce from his wife, gave her over $30 billion and still ended up the richest man in the world. Who does that? <laughs> Who freaking does that? Nobody. What men of divorce have you ever heard say that when the wife left them, they still were financially better off than the rest of the world? Nobody. <laughs> no one. But I guarantee you, he said to his divorce attorney, she's killing me. She's killing me. I'm going to sign this, but she's killing me. She's killing me. And if I had to give up another $4.5 billion to pay the wealth tax, you know, this is only going to leave me $106 billion to manage to get through my life. I mean, for fuck's sake, man. <laughs> you know, all of them, the Waltons, all of these people. It's like, if you guys spend, if they, the more energy that they spend trying to hide their wealth <laughs> than just paying the fucking tax and be done with it, it's like, isn't it easier? It's like, if I knew I only had to write the check for $4.5 billion every <laughs> April 15th and still have $106 billion to manage, <laughs> I think I would get over it. Like, it would be so much easier. And it's like, and then people don't bother you no more. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, man, I wrote my $4.5 billion tax check. Leave me alone. Right. You can say that. But when you're taking that money and hiding it and not wanting to spend it and don't want people to have it, and you know, if they spend more money on the roads and the, it's like, I don't understand what you want. Cause to me, I feel like 
if you are responsible of having that kind of money and you're responsible for making sure that the rest of the world has like health care, the rest of the world, that means you don't have sick people around you. You don't have poor people looking at you, grabbing at you every time you walk by. You know, it's like you cut down on the envy because <laughs> people are eating, yeah. people are eating and have jobs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't under, I, I, I can't. I mean, and I guess I say this because I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> Because I knew that that's all I had to do. Like I said before, if someone told you, you know, you only have $20 in your wallet and you have to give up, you know, 3% of that $20 so that the rest of the country can live and do whatever, that still leaves you basically $19 to do whatever else you need to do. Right, right. You know, so I don't know how, to me, I feel like that's where, like Elizabeth Warren, how much I loved, like, I think that that's where she lost the message. It's like, you you just got to break it down for the, the poor people so they can understand why they have a reason to be mad. It's like, <laughs> We're talking with Keith, Keith Price is the host of Curtain Call on iTunes, and he covers Broadway. He's also a Broadway critic. We'll talk about that in a second. And he's a yes. columnist for Hey Jorge, heyjorge.com. Jorge is spelled X-O-R-J-E. And you have a piece over at Hey Jorge talking about the coronavirus, and you yes. intimate that socialism is the path forward. So well, here's here's what I'm saying. The concept of what, I, like, again, I understand what um, what's Bernie is trying to get people to see as socialism. But what's happening is, is that we have an entire layer of really stupid people, <laughs> and I have to say it. You're talking to one. <laughs> Uh, you know, but aren't looking at, no, I'm saying, but aren't looking at when, when, when he's saying socialism, it's not in the concept, like, how is it that woman said it's not like, you know, the gulags of the day. We're looking at like, you know, you know, healthcare and college. And, and it's like, and we are in the capacity to be able to do that for our people, especially when we have one of the richest people in the world living here who his one contribution, you know, under the health, what is it, the wealth tax, could literally wipe out student debt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like $4.5 billion in a pool to just pay for student debt would be great. But right. then you have all of the people that are upset because they paid their way through school and they had to do this. And, they, and I get that. I totally get that. But in the end, you know, if you've, if you've done that and you've managed to make it this far, then look at you. Get you. You're lucky. But not everybody's living that way. If everybody had a job that was able to pay for the bills and do everything, you wouldn't have, you know, <laughs> you know, eighty-five-year-old Uber drivers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we wouldn't have to live like that. We just wouldn't have to live like that. So these, the the, I feel like when you say socialism to me, I get what it is about socialism. You know, social security. It's in the name. You know what I mean? It's like it is designed to do that. I just feel like the the messaging is not coming across the right way and because the messaging isn't coming across the right way and it's constantly being you know combated with well that's just like communism you know <laughs> when it's getting when it's getting combated with people that only look at it from that perspective or see that yeah like to me i look at it like religion for i can take whatever i want from the religion i grew up baptist and it's like and i can take anything that i want from the teachings that i learned to live my life any way that I choose to live it because it's my choice. <laughs> it's like, and it's right. like, I don't have to go with the don't go dancing Baptist because that doesn't work for me. Like, right. Where'd you grow I up? Like Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Texas. 
You grew up in Texas. Texas. Yes. And Texas. You're, uh, well, you wouldn't be African. You would be Honduras. Your parents were from Honduras? My parents were from Honduras. Uh, I was born here in New York, actually, and then moved to Texas when I was six. So technically, as my father would always say, we were Central Americans. Right. (laughs) That's who we were. But at the same time, you know, again, because of the country that we live in, you can only see skin color. Right. So so for most people, they assume that it's African-American. And yes, it is African-American. But unfortunately for me, or I should say, fortunately for me, like the boat went a different direction. (laughs) It's like I have four generations of property owning families in Honduras. So, you know, the early portion of slavery may have been much more part of my history. But like my family went through the Cayman Islands and then they kind of went down the diaspora that way through Central and South America. I so see. you're African you know, South so American. I'm African. Well, African Central American. Central American. Yes. Yes. Well, let me ask you about white privilege because a <laughs> lot of my listeners uh-huh. are Bernie Bros. I've, okay. I'm proud to say I've, I think I've cultivated a lot of Bernie Bros on this show, and I've been yeah. radicalized. I am confronting <laughs> the possibility that after tonight. Bernie, mm-hmm. not that, you know, I'm giving pep talks and I mean them. And I think after the March 15th debate, I think Biden's going down and we have a problem uh, in the Democratic Party. I think a lot of the yeah. I think Biden is the last gasp of a dying Democratic establishment. And that will be apparent during the March 15th debate. That being said, I am staring into the abyss of a Biden presidency, and I think a lot of my listeners, especially the Bernie bros, mm-hmm. might be suffering from white privilege in that they thought it was going to be easy. They finally found their candidate, and they have their answer, and their answer isn't a political one. It's a moral answer. It's Bernie. Mm-hmm. It's socialism, and we're not compromising Well, that's white privilege because a lot of white people have never really tasted the slog of history and frustration as as a member of the LGBTQ community, as uh, as an African-American. Talk Mm -hmm. to my Bernie bros about the struggle that it, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? No, it doesn't. It's like, it's like, no, none of this stuff happens overnight. But what, what to me I find fascinating is it, it, it feels very, and I know I'm not sure like where the Bernie bros fall because I feel like I, I don't know what the actual age range is, but I feel as if there's a lot of millennial energy with the Bernie bros. Mm-hmm. And I think that that explains the, um, I guess the sense of urgency for them, because they are very, th- those folks to me, you know, cause I'm no longer, I'm like the Gen Xer, I think, between the boomers and the millennials. And I feel like the thing about the millennials is that they don't understand that there is a pecking order. They don't understand that you have to wait, no matter how much you want things. Certain things don't just come to you overnight. Trust me. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, what are we, we're barely celebrating how many years that gay marriage has been legal in this country. Right. You know, like, it's like, but we I needed the Larry Kramers, the act ups. They play a crucial they, but part. They play, 
they played a role in that journey to get to where we are with that specifically, not with that, that just that right, but LGBT rights in, in general. And what are we talking about? That's how many years? That's like, right. you know, these, these particular, this energy now is what we're only seeing. We're only seeing it now in this last five to 10 years. And it's coming from a, a young group of people that kind of expect that they're supposed to get what they want when they want them. And it's like, that's, that's the privilege that I never got the courtesy of having. Right. I didn't, right. I didn't, I wasn't born with it. So you, that's why I don't understand how you feel okay with being able to get away with it and thinking that it's going to be okay in a world that doesn't give you that opportunity. Yeah. Let, and, let's, let's stay on this for one second. It's really important because sure. I think that I've said that the baby boomers are the worst generation in American history because during the sixties, they thought, Oh, okay. Nirvana, we fixed it. We have all the answers. And they didn't realize that the fight continues and continues and continues. And many baby right. boomers, I would say a majority of them fell prey to Reaganomics and, mm -hmm. you know, drugs and lifestyle choices over class struggle and fighting for the people who don't have a voice. I think the baby boomers are really despicable. And I'm urging People who aren't baby boomers, because I am a baby boomer, but I'm urging the millennials, the Bernie bros, you don't stop just because Bernie didn't win. You, right. And well, even if he did win, and if he did win, that wasn't going to be the answer either. Bernie said, if I win, I need you on day one helping me. To do this, yeah. yeah. And they're not going to give you that luxury. You're not going to get that, that, um, I, I don't think that that comes to you until you, there's a proven someone that can actually move people. I feel like the, the energy that the millennials brought to 2016 it was undeniable, absolutely undeniable. Mm -hmm. But what I think happened is, is the boomers decided that they wanted to try to harness that energy for their own, um, their own experiments. They, you right. know, they, we don't, we love what you kids are saying, and that's fantastic. But we don't really believe in any of that, and we just want need you to vote for what we need you to vote for. That's that's what I feel like the Democratic Party has done to the average person. Mm -hmm. So like that come, that comes in with that kind of millennial energy and wanting to make these kinds of changes. Because the thing is, is that what we're seeing is that when we make some of these changes, people actually can breathe and people can actually have a life and people can have all of these things that we're supposed to be able to have as individuals. Right. And what happens is, is that there's a certain group that's trying to keep other people from getting it. And it's like, you know, what's wrong with paying for college for people or paying for a lump sum of college for people or finding a way to, to, to work their college debt out, finding a way to like, you know, you're, you're talking about a country where we're worrying about the, the, the virus and all this other stuff, you know, well, if we could feed ourselves better and take better care of our health, then when we see a flu panic moment happen, we don't freak out like people are freaking out now. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's all tied to that. It's like, you know, good health care for an entire country is not a bad thing. Right. <laughs> like, We're talking with like, Keith Price. He's the host of Curtain Call. You can follow him on Twitter over at Com Comedy Daddy. Comedy Daddy is his handle. Go to KeithPriceComic.com for all your Keith Price needs. We all have a role to play. I'm going to transition into Broadway. Okay. We all have a role to play. And if you're a Bernie bro, 
you should continue to play that role regardless of the outcome tonight or the outcome in Milwaukee. You have a role to play. You have a responsibility to fight for the people who don't have a voice. You have a obligation to never, ever give up, even though, even though you've got uh, headwinds. There are always going to be headwinds. I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama got elected and people actually said, it's the end of race in this country. There will be no more. (laughs) Do you remember this? There's no more racism. I, I, I laughed so hard. When I heard that commentary, because I kept thinking, are you out of your freaking mind? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. So we let that one guy slip by. Uh-huh. And technically, you know, not to be the shady one to point it out, but, you know, in some circles, he would be seen as being half black, if you right. know what I'm saying. Yes. So, you know, there there is a little of that going on as well. And I, I just feel like it's just, it, you know, like race will be over. Like, I guess if we ever have a woman to become president, then technically misogyny would be over as well. Well, when they legalized same-sex marriage, everybody said, you know, we've moved past homophobia. This is no longer an anti-LGBTQ nation. You know what? It's it's called, you know, if we give you just a little taste, then that should be enough to shut you up. (laughs) That's pretty much what's happened. Like, you know... You get to sit at the lunch counters. What the hell more do you want, black people? You know right. what I mean? That's that's what it feels like. And, you, you so know. everybody, you have to keep in mind, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Bernie wins or loses. What matters right. is the movement didn't begin with Bernie, and it doesn't end right. with Bernie. You keep marching. You march forward, and it doesn't matter what the voters say. If you believe that this is a moral issue, if you believe income inequality is a moral issue, you fight for this from the time you become woke to the time you die. You never give up the fight. And as much as you hate incrementalism, because it is Mm. the enemy of progress, you have to still take solace in whatever incremental change you accomplish. Well, you take the change and you you relish in it in the moment that you have it, but then recognize that there's still more to be had and also recognize, like you say, that the fight isn't over. And I think that that's what happened, like with all of the different movements. It's like as soon as like what seems to have been the biggest hurdle ever has been, you know, crossed, then that just means we don't have to we can rest now on our laurels and go on with our day. And that kind of isn't what happened. And that's like. You know, with the gay movement, it's sort of like everybody keeps wondering, how do you still get a conservative gay? It's like, mm-hmm. they're, they're there as long as there's money to be made. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. And those are those issues. Those are the, those underpinnings that still kind of move all of that. And it's like, once now that you are not being discriminated for being gay, then you feel completely, you know, free to do whatever else that it is that you think you should be able to do. And what happens is, is that you find out, like, I don't understand how the log cabin Republicans even still call themselves Republicans. It's like, you know, they don't like you. <laughs> they don't want you. They don't need you. Mm-hmm. But yet you still, you kind of are like, you know, we have this daddy loves me kind of complex that goes on once we feel like, the, like, it's hard just to put it into words for me because, you know, I straddle so many different, you know, demographics, like as a black gay, 
overweight man, you know, certainly healthcare is a big issue for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, so, so, you know, it's, it's hard to stay focused on any one particular thing in my, for me, I should say, because so many different aspects of things affect me and I can't keep up with everything. Like, you know, I, I couldn't say that once Barack Obama became president that racism was gone. Like I knew then I didn't have the luxury of saying that as, as I do with being gay. I know that just because you can get married doesn't mean things are over because look at what's happened since then. It, to me, it feels like every time there's a really great new moment of progress, it brings up so much more, you know, um, uh, uh, opposite energy to, to work against it. And that's what's happened. It's like for every moment of progress that a, a, a minority feels that they're getting, there's an entire tidal wave of crazy and opposition that keeps coming at you. And why? Because they feel just as strongly about the fact that I shouldn't have the right to do whatever I want to do as I feel the same with the rights that I should be able to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the constant back, back and forth. And it's sort of like, at no point in time, though, has anybody recognized that just because gay people have been able to get married, it has not stopped the economy from changing what's happening to, you know, Bob and Sue down in the cul-de-sac. Like, they are still feeling the pinch of everything else, even though gays have gotten married. Mm-hmm. But if for some reason, for some reason, keeping gays from getting married was a big objective for them. Right. <laughs> it's like, how dare they mock our relationship? How dare they want these particular things? And it's like, by me getting the right to be married doesn't change the fact that the tax codes are still fucked up. It doesn't change the fact that, you know, schools are still, you know, not being funded properly. None of that has changed because I got married, you know? It's like, and the thing is, is that even if it were to change, more than likely in the cul-de-sac, because I'm married and I'm allowed to live there, the neighborhood is going to wind up getting a lot cuter. So, it's like, so I'm helping you. (laughs) Let's talk about the coronavirus. More cheerful. All right. Let's, let's turn to something, something more, more cheerful. Up. You you <laughs> cover Broadway, and what what's going on? Are people going to the theater? Well, people are making. You know, there are folks that are still, you know, fighting. You know, the good fight to show up because deep down, Hamilton tickets are expensive. If you get Hamilton versus coronavirus, I mean, that's a really hard choice for some people. (laughs) So there are are the diehard people that are not going to allow this conversation about disease to keep them from enjoying the things that do bring them joy. However, there is a sector, you know, we also know that there are a real sector of gross people that go to events like that, that that's all they're, you know, they're basically walking around just being patient zero, you know, <laughs> and they're waiting for a moment to be show up at some place like the theater where there's, you know, a thousand or so people in one room that's going to another place. I mean, it feels very like you can't allow yourself to be freaked out because in the end, it, it's not, it's it's turning out to be a big thing, but then when you see the numbers for people that have died from the flu in general, yeah, and we're not panicked about that, you know, it's like right, and people get vaccines for that every year, you know, numerically speaking, the number is still different compared to this virus. It's just the mere fact that we are watching it. I feel like we're watching it unfold into something that it doesn't need to because people are still being ridiculous about how they take care of. Well, they've quarantined so. all of northern Italy. 
yeah. the stock market is down. Looking at, I think it's they had to stop trading on I, Monday. It started at, at like twelve hundred or below, or some some huge number below points today. Yeah. So you know, all of this is happening, and and you know, is it related to the coronavirus everywhere? I don't know, but I do know that the companies that are saying that they're being affected by it, it's like, hmm, I you know. Maybe perhaps you should give those people a day off or two. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. You know, let them have a sick day because what happens is, is because you feel you have to go to work. People are compelled to have to work because of the economy that we're in that they keep saying is great for everybody else. I don't know about you. <laughs> I do, I've seen no big residual checks from a tax break for me, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't you, know what your situation you, is. You, you know, you, you, uh, say we shouldn't panic, and I think that's because the Trump administration has done such a great job at calming the American people and the markets. Let me play exactly. you uh, Dr. Ben Carson. He is uh, head of housing and urban development under the... Which we still don't, I still don't understand what he's involved in this, but okay, go ahead. This is him on uh, This Week with George Stephanopoulos calming the waters, talking about the grand... Princess cruise ship. The, 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 as you know, the Grand Princess is docking. The cruise ship is docking in Oakland tomorrow. What plan is in place to deal with the 3,500 people on board? Uh, the cruise ship uh, personnel, and as you know, uh, the vice president met with the CEOs of the major cruise ship companies yesterday. And uh, they are coming up with a plan within 72 hours of that meeting. Uh, the ship's docking tomorrow. The plan will be in place by that time. But I don't, I don't want to uh, preview the plan right now. Shouldn't you be able to do that? I think, I think it needs to all come from uh, a solitary source. We shouldn't have 16 people uh, saying what the plan is. Okay, particularly well, yeah, when it hasn't been particularly when it hasn't been fully formulated. Okay, well you're the president's <laughs> representative this morning, but let me move on. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty five hundred people trapped on the Grand Princess boat. cruise ship. Oh I think they're eating. I mean, Go ahead. What are they eating? There's not enough food for them to have been out on the, the, the water that long. <laughs> And imagine the bathroom scenario now. It's like if you think <laughs> if you think coronavirus is running amok before this moment, imagine two weeks being quarantined outside where you can still see the shoreline, but you know you can't go home. Oh. It's like, can you? I mean, how miserable is this? And then to have this moron, you know, stand there with absolutely no sense of actual authority, speaking on something that clearly he has no idea is happening. <laughs> It's like, it, it scares the pejesus out of me. That scares me more than anything else. But this goes back to what I remember saying after the election. It's like, can you imagine what's going to happen if as many people have been fired from different departments, have been replaced by, you know, uh, 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 acting heads of, so that means that there's no real person in charge. It's like, to see something like this undo the pandemic, this, this potential pandemic, undo our country. It's like, can you imagine if somebody now in the middle of, of, of something decides to just drop a big bomb in the middle of somewhere here? Can you imagine like another 9-11 moment happening now 
here. Well, like it, it's like we are so ill prepared, and nobody is owning the fact that we've let this lunatic run amok because he's making America great again. You know, it's like right. he has left us so open to so much more stuff. And it, you know, we talk about the virus situation. You know, that same um, hey Jorge. I wrote a piece a couple of months ago where I said that the president literally is the human embodiment of a virus. And when you think about everything that he has done, everything that he's participated in, everything that he has signed off on over the, the last three years, you can't tell me that it's not like being a virus. Because he has infiltrated every department so far of this country mm-hmm. and either has caused so much upheaval, like it's stuff with the, the intelligence community alone. What he has done to that is just amazing. It's like you couldn't have asked for a better thing to do, especially if you're Putin sitting over here looking, going, mm-hmm, I love confusion. <laughs> they don't know what to believe. And we don't. We don't know what to believe anymore. At least I feel like I thought I knew what to believe, and I still feel very sure most of the time I know what to believe. But I also am cognizant and been around long enough to know that wagging the dog is something that everybody has done to us over the years. Yeah. And once you see it happening – it's hard to, to take in anything like, you know, that picture that they were showing of um, Donald Trump shaking the hand of the guy Schlapp. from CPAC. Schlapp. Yeah. So Schlapp, who evidently mingled and cohabitated or did whatever with the person who has been uh, seen to have actually had the coronavirus. And it was like when I saw the picture, I was like, oh, my God, this is like Damien Omen 3 shit. <laughs> Like, <laughs> there is something crazy going on here. Like, right. It's like contagion. Shake his hand. I don't know. Well, is the president good- has about 146 legal avenues to declare martial law during a health emergency. That's Great. the other thing that Great. people think he's mishandling the coronavirus, yeah. but it's also an opportunity for him to gain more power, and to shred the Constitution. But luckily, we have a Surgeon General named Jerome Adams. He was on (laughs) State of the Union with Jake Tapper Sunday. Uh, Comment on this. This is the Surgeon General of the United States calming the waters. This is Surgeon General Jerome Adams telling us to remain calm. If people are going to go out there, we want them to be extra cautious. We want them to wash their hands frequently. And I was with the president on Friday, and I just said, sir, when's the last time you've washed your hands? And he said, I washed my hands just a few minutes ago. We want to make sure if folks are out there who are at risk, they're taking extra precautions. But speaking of being at risk, Mm. the president... He sleeps less than I do, and he's healthier than what I am. And so that's the other reason that this messaging is hard, because there are 70-year-olds who run marathons and are healthier than some 30-year-olds. It's really well, focusing on the comorbidities, on the medical problems, heart disease, lung disease, <laughs> immunocompromised folks, in addition to that combination of older age that seems to put people most at risk. Praise the dear leader. When in doubt, praise our dear leader. <laughs> Can we just say something? Yeah. I've seen pictures of that, the, our Surgeon General, who, by the way, very cute. Um, <laughs> side note, that's just for me. Cause we, did we mention I was gay? I forget that yeah. we mentioned it, but side yeah. note, he's, he's, he's kind of cute, kind of adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, I think he might be a little minty, but that's just me. <laughs> However, when he says that the President of the United States is healthier than he is, I'm like, are you got, you got, 
What's what? Are, what are you people drinking over there? Because <laughs> that shit is some delusional. You know, <laughs> I, I don't understand how anybody could tell say that and have a straight face the whole time doing it. Side, you know, side pun intended. But I, I don't understand how he can stand there and say that and be a medical professional. It's like I want to say it's to me. It's almost as unreal as going to a fat cardiologist who smokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's what he has to be in order for me to believe that the president is healthier than he is. I'm sorry. So, I'm just so sorry. All right. And this, so what is, what is, is the answer? What is the well, answer? You know what I'm hating? This, I'm going to tell you what I'm hating right now is the fact that this misinformation or lack of information, as we talked about as the first person, is coming from black men. I know you don't see that, but I find that very interesting that the people that they keep sending out to try to push this message off of folks are these like, seemingly incompetent black men. You know, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Jerome, the, the Jerome Surgeon General is African-American. Ben Carson is African-American. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, Keith, I don't see color. I see race. <laughs> That's the kind of liberal I am. I don't see color. I just oh, see people's okay. race. You just see race. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can say though, they're making it very difficult. It's kind of like when they told Colin Powell to go out there and say that they're looking for weapons of mass destruction. It's the same yep. thing to me. They're just going to try to blame black people for this. Yep. Like, That's right. <laughs> I'm blaming black people for Biden. <laughs> Hey, you know what? This is what you can't blame us for Biden. You, can, you have to blame the fact that y'all have terrible, terrible white people that we've allowed to just run amok. And just because just because black people have found one that they like, y'all are mad. Uh, listen, I don't want to get into trouble, but I'm finally beginning to understand voter suppression. <laughs> that's a terrible thing that's a terrible, terrible. thing terrible well, thing. well the black community isn't monolithic and they are conservative there are conservative african americans in south carolina there there have been some articles i think you linked to one of them yeah on michael harriet had this really interesting article about how you know black people look at joe biden as this person that took second fiddle to um, Obama throughout that whole process and you know with all of the things that he had in his his own arsenals that he could have done and used for himself to become president he was able to you know stand back go mano a mano and work with them whatever to whatever degrees that is to whatever shade that they hide it together you know what I'm saying but they were able to come to give the sense of a united front and I feel like you know there's not, a, you know, people talk about Bernie and his records. I don't really know because I just feel like at this point now he's just going to be really angry and he's doubling down. Yeah. But like at this point, it's sort of like I, you know, I would love to see some of the, the, the record issues that people are talking about. You know, like the fact that he didn't do anything with the Selma thing this year when it was much more significant seems like he already had had, he told black people he was mad at them. And okay. the thing is, I, I, I'm not going to, I, I, you know, you're a guest on this you know, show. You're a guest on this show. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to push you're not gonna back on me. me. You're I'm not going to rail on me. No, no. But, I, but, but I'm just saying, you, you know, I'm, I'm pointing out to you what it is that most folks do see. And it's like, and you don't have that vantage point because you're not a black person and you're not a black person that's gone through 
certain things that that many folks ignore in this country. And I, so, I've been a black person on the phone when I've complained. <laughs> when, when I oh yeah when I've complained to corporate America when I've been on the and phone. How did they help you with customers? How well did they help you? Well, I, I'm black when it suits my needs. If I'm having problems oh, with okay. the cable company and I, I'm many different things to many different people on the phone, if if it's in my best interest. Well, this is because for us, we've had to learn how to practice our white person phone <laughs> when we talk to customer service. Right. The, the myth, the myth that you tweeted out this article. There's yeah. a myth that African-Americans were low-information voters in South Carolina. And, that was, and, and that's what pissed people off. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Right. Uh, the Bernie people will say that he was arrested fighting for civil rights. There are pictures of him in Chicago trying to fight for housing rights for African-Americans and that he has been on the side of women, the LGBTQ community, and the African-Americans since day one, and that he doesn't have right. to apologize for anything. Perhaps the only mistake Bernie has made is he hasn't gotten that message out, but he has been on the he. I mean, as and, and, and that's the thing, it, you know, he hasn't gotten that message out or hasn't made that really a part of his conversation when, when dealing with the black leaders and dealing with the black folks that talk back to him. It's like, you know, it's sort of like, you, you, that's what we are people that you just got to show us what's up. You show well, us Jesse what's Jackson, up. Jesse Jackson, Jesse Jackson endorsed Jackson. him. Jesse Jackson yeah. endorsed him. So, but let's, let's ask ourselves a really, really hard question. Who has been listening to anything Jesse Jackson has been saying in the last 10 to 15 years on any issues? And I mean, and I, and I don't mean to be shady. I know that he's also been dealing with illness and stuff like that as well. But honestly, no one has listened to him or heard his name mentioned except when it was up for a paternity suit as of last. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I love the idea that he has gone out that way, but I don't know how that's going to really change people because, you know, you know, folks already got their attitudes up now. And now that they have a clear path of having to choose just between Biden and 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 Bernie, you know, most black folks are going to probably go with Biden. But my issue is, is that it's not just black folks that I feel like we're getting the rap for making this decision for the rest of America. And I feel that that's really kind of shady to throw that on us, too, because you all and I say you all in the general sense have had plenty of selections and plenty of other people to put forth towards us. There's been a lots of, you know, where are the white folks at when it comes to the voting too, they're showing up as well, you know, and they're not it's like, you can't just say like, I got so incensed when the prop eight issue came up in California. That was a like, lie. That was a myth. And there was a whole bunch of white people, especially the white gays, and this is what also got me upset with my community, too. We're blaming black folks for uh, making Prop 8 happen. And it's like, well, first of all, they don't they don't make up the entire consistency of the voting democracy in California. It's like, and there are not that many black people that can turn any one particular issue one way or the other unless only them are voting. So if that happened, that's because white folks didn't show up for that. You no, well, actually, it, it's an you example know? of how stupid racism is because exactly. Prop 8, I believe, overturned 
gay mayor. It was it was anti-gay mayor. It was overturned later. Yeah, but it was yeah. overturned later. And people voted, and it it won because the myth was that African American churches in California are mm-hmm, homophobic, mm-hmm. and it turns out they, it was the Mormons. It was the yeah. Mormons that they, they did a study, yeah. and they found that the Mormon church was funding the anti-gay marriage. Not uh, exactly. by the way, more gay porn, more gay porn. Yeah. In Utah than any place on earth. Did you know that? That even more than Alabama. <laughs> more more gay porn is downloaded in. Uh, wow. And uh, that's why Salt Utah. Lake City. That's where they Ugh. clean their socks afterwards. That's why it's so sexy. I don't know. I'm sorry. Before we go, you'll come back. This was great. You'll come I back. I'll come back for you anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I, I, and I'm a little more humble since the last time we talked. Oh my God. Yes. yes. But I mean, I never felt that you were adversarial to me. Oh, I think I told you, I think I told you, you either vote for Bernie or we're coming for you in the middle of the night. I think that's what I said. <laughs> and again, honey, I'm a black man living in America. You don't scare me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying people should go see plays, go out, support you know what? theater. I say you go support theater, support comedy. I mean, like, these are the, the last spaces of actual conversations that are being had about things that people are afraid to talk about. I think. And, and when, something like this keeps people from getting that information or getting that that point of view to be at least to have a a, a true discussion then it's a shame it's right. a shame and it's going to be a shame if we do find out that this is all some crazy political game that's hyping up something that doesn't need to be hyped in order to create this kind of hysteria well or create this kind of thing for a martial law moment yes yeah. yeah good and- god almighty if he does that then it, we have become russia We've become all of those like that'll be the true socialist country at that moment. You know, the small group of people own all the businesses of the world. And then this idiot president is going to instill martial law. Fabulous. Yeah. He may not be as stupid as he pretends. That's true. That's true. Thanks for scaring me even more. So yes, Keith Price, (laughs) comic.com, Keith Price, comic.com. Go to Keith Price comic.com for all your Keith Price information. Follow Keith over Twitter. His handle is Comedy Daddy. And listen to Curtain Call. It's available on Broadway World, iTunes, Google Play Music. Who is your guest on Curtain Call this week? What do you talk about? This particular week, we are taking time off because we have not had enough time to to track down a lot of stuff. But I'm going to be seeing a few shows in the next two weeks one of which will be a show out at the Paper Mill Playhouse. Uh, was it Sister Act is coming? And I'm seeing a couple of off-Broadway shows that are going to be happening, too. So, And to people who are coming to New York, what plays would you recommend? Oh, God. See, I don't like to recommend generally unless I know exactly what their tastes are because there's so many different things for people to go to. Like, if you like a good musical and you want something that everybody's talking about, then you need to go see Hades Town. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire actually just today is starting previews and so that would be something if you want to bring the kids to you know what i mean like there's all kinds of different combinations of ways to make things work but i don't think there's any one definite thing that everyone needs to see well if you're on a budget can you recommend a ticket that's you know 
two hundred dollars. You know, something cheap like two hundred dollars. <laughs> wow. Like, is there anything off Broadway that is reasonably well, priced? There's a lot of stuff off Broadway that's way more reasonably priced. Two hundred dollars would probably be the best for a. Uh, a, two people to go out and see something. Yeah, I was joking Broadway. about like, reasonably. I, I mean, bro, I can't afford. Yeah, Broadway. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But you know what? There's a lot of. Did you have to use those different things, like those different apps, like Today Ticks? Um, Playbill has discounts on their websites. Like you got to really kind of hunt around to find the bargains. But that's you know a click away. Okay, you'll come back, right? I'll come back. Stand the line. Oh. Thank you so much. Stand the line for one quick second. Thank you. Thank sure. You. Have you called in your backup becomes now? See if we can get some more brain power in this We thing. got one here. Roger. Fly it in, go. Go ahead and go. Uh, he's, never mind, he's straightening up a little bit. Okay. Okay, now let's everybody keep cool. We got the limb still attached. The limb spacecraft's good. So if we need uh, to get back home, we got a limb to do a good portion of it with. Okay, let's make sure that we don't do anything that's going to blow our CSM electrical power with the batteries or that will cause us to lose the main or the uh, fuel cell number two. Okay, we want to keep the O2 and that kind of stuff working. We'd like to have RCS, but we got the command module system, so we're in good shape if we need to get home. Let's solve the problem, but let's not make it any worse by guessing. You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Everybody's heard of comic Aaron Berg. Berg, 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 Berg is the word. Well, Berg, 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 Aaron Berg is the word. Berg, 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 comic Aaron Berg. Well, Berg, 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 Aaron Berg is the word. Haven't you heard about the Berg? Everybody's talking about Aaron Berg. Well, Berg, 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 Berg is the word. Well, I oop. Oh, where did the music go? Hello? Excuse me, I ordered music on this section. Would you oi mow mow, oi mow mow mow, oi mow mow, oi mow mow mow, oi mow mow, oi mow mow mow, oi mow mow, oi mow mow, oi mow mow. Let us now go to a hidden location somewhere in the United States where comedian Aaron Berg is standing by. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Hey, how are you? David, how are you? Oh, you know. Good, good, yeah. good to hear you. You sound voice. good. Are you on vacation? Uh, you can call it that. I'm uh, <laughs> at an exotic place. Uh, I believe the Mexican people pronounce quarantine. Uh, uh, it's a lovely little resort that I've made for myself in my own basement. I I'm see. Quarantined. How was that cruise ship? Weren't you doing some cruise ship? Uh, it was pretty good. I was on a cruise, uh, very low risk to a place called Taiwan mm-hmm. and, uh, had a lovely trip and, yeah. uh, got to eat a ton of, uh, local delicacies, bat, guinea mm-hmm. pig, uh, things like that. <laughs> oh, sorry. I think I've been, uh, uh, You've been smoking too many cigars, I think. Yes, I've been. Uh, <laughs> I have coronavirus. How are you? A cor- oh, you, you're the Corona cigars. You're addicted to yes. those. Yes, the large ones. That's the size. Of, uh, I got a virus from those Corona cigars that is, in fact, making me uh, very ill. 
But in other good news, I'm up for a job at the Port Authority. Oh, good. I hear there's an opening. Yeah, there's an opening there. I'm uh, I'm quarantined. Do you know what quarantine means? I I think it means that uh, you're back from a vacation on a cruise ship from Taiwan, and you're exhausted, and yes, and you just you want to rest up before you get back into the swing of things. Let me ask you this: Have you ever performed cunnilingus on a prostitute from Wuhan? I, I think that's uh, goes without saying, doesn't it? <laughs> It is tasty. However, uh, I feel sick. I got real sick. It's it's coronavirus. David, I'm fine. It was all a bit. I'm not quarantined. I'm outside, and I'm licking subway poles. <laughs> Where are you, in all seriousness? I thought you I'm were... back home. I'm okay. in Forest Hills. I'm sitting outside. It's a lovely day in New York City. I flew today. The airports are empty. This is reminiscent of the SARS virus, which happened many years ago, and people are very frightened, and uh, it's a dangerous time. The stock market has plummeted. Hmm. I've lost tens of thousands of dollars in a matter of days. Good time to have no money. I know, and it wasn't the stock market. I had a hole in my jeans, and I was at a strip club in Chicago, and it all fell out. There was $27,000 there. It was a nightmare. (laughs) This is a great time. This is Everyone's going to be listening to your show this week because no one's going out. Everything's getting (laughs) shut down. People got nothing to do for six hours than listen to Feldman. It's going to be, it's going to be my neighbor said her business. She works in like event programming done. They're like, you stay home for a month, literally a month. Wow. Wow. Comedy clubs. You were at a comedy club. You were working this past weekend. Yeah, I did uh North bar in Chicago. And then I did hilarities in Cleveland and uh, people aren't scared. Like hilarities holds. Let me see. Maybe 400. Yeah. And, and it was packed. We had at least 30 people. <laughs> so no one's scared. I don't know why people are saying, oh, people are staying home. It's like these 30 people, don't. nobody cares. After the show, we had a kissing booth <laughs> instead of selling merch. And since everyone has run out of hand sanitizer, what I do is ejaculate in people's hands and go rub while singing happy birthday twice. Uh, and they sing it. And then I get aroused again because I think of Marilyn Monroe singing to JFK. Yes. And uh, it, it's really odd. It's a scary time. My wife has uh, two immune diseases, not AIDS because we're married and don't have sex. But she has two immune diseases, which makes her highly susceptible. And she's like, if I get it, I die. And I was like, can I get that in writing? (laughs) At at which point in time, she then reached out to her doctor. Now we have Metro Plus, so we don't know if this guy's a doctor or he's just (laughs) moonlighting as a failed off off Broadway actor. But he goes, all you have to do is get the flu shot and just take the normal precautions. Uh, so I, but you know, my wife never gets anything done, so I don't think she's going to get the flu shot or take any precautions. So it'll be exciting. It's almost tax time too. What a horrible time for this to happen. Okay. They should book me at comedy clubs because they don't have to worry about them being packed. I mean, yeah. And you do better usually in front of like less, like some people do well, because laughter is contagious, but for you, <laughs> Corona, 
is contagious. <laughs> so it's like the more people have it, the less people you need to entertain, and that seems easier for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love what you do. Now, I mean, what, what's going to happen fan. to the comedy clubs in the city? Are they closing? No, no comedy club. I'm booked on Skankfest in Houston at the end of March, and they said they're not going to cancel. South by Southwest canceled, but that was because they had Shane Gillis booked. Um, <laughs> so they wanted to preemptively do it. But it's. Uh, I think they're going to go ahead. I Look, I'm not really scared. If you turn on the news, you get scared. I watched the thing on MSNBC last night, which was, I don't know why. I was just like, okay, I'm in a hotel. And they explained where the virus came from a wet market in Wuhan. What is a wet Uh, market? Well, that's what I'm trying to get my wife to show me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Because I'll take some plastic bags of my own. You know what I'm saying? I'll buy paper bags for a nickel. You know what I'm saying? I'll bring recyclable bags. I have not seen her vagina in well over a month. And I am... At odds, I've been masturbating in toilets just to cut out the middleman. Um, a wet market is like a market where you go and you buy food, stuffs, and then they'll also have live animals there, which isn't a good thing. And then this, and I heard this, there were bats there, real right. live bats, and people would chop the bats up into parts. I don't know if they sell them for food or what. But some black bat blood or urine apparently got on someone. Then they touched their face or their mouth, and that's where the virus came from. That's what they're saying. That's somebody, what they're somebody saying had on M- M- MSNBC. But then I watched Fox, and they just showed uh, flushing, and they go, it came from here. So I don't know. <laughs> and how bad do you think this is going to get? I think the worst of it is over. I think it's going to get shut down. I, I was a waiter when SARS came around, and everyone's like, I worked downtown. Uh, we'll rephrase it. You were a waiter. SARS came around because I was a waiter. waiter. Yes. The story, as it goes, I was working at Planet Hollywood, downtown Toronto. At the time, it was owned by Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, his father, Adolf Hitler. Um <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, and uh, there was, I think, to me, Moore had a piece of it, and Bruce Willis. Right. So it was a big, famous place. I There was a man that came in, and he was really cruel to an old man. He started yelling at him, like, shut up, I'm here with my kids. I went upstairs, told the kitchen, I go, give me table 131's food before it goes out. There was a Terminator platter. The Terminator platter had uh, chicken wings onion rings, chicken tenders that were breaded with Captain Crunch cereal, so they were very sweet, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was named after Schwarzenegger, so there was also a side of Jew fillings. (laughs) Now, I took... I asked them for the food. Uh I then inserted my penis into an onion ring and wiped a chicken wing on my taint, which (laughs) I thought was a smooth move, not knowing he'd ordered suicide wings. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stinging there. After splashing milk on my undercarriage, I then took the food down and we watched the man eat it. That man then left and uh, he went to, I I guess you would call it, a night out. Normal people would call it a gay bathhouse. <laughs> he went to a gay bathhouse and had unprotected sex with a man, and that is how SARS spread. <laughs> and it was called SARS because my nuts are the SARS <laughs> of that region. 
So they took the Z out yeah. because in Canada you pronounce it Z, not Z. Mm-hmm. And they changed the C to S because it had a better ring to it. <laughs> and people got sick. And everybody was doing the same thing back then. Okay, how much of that is true? Did you once put onion rings down your cock? Hey, hey, I'm not promiscuous. One onion ring, and it was consensual. <laughs> I did, uh, I slid my penis into an onion ring, and the guys in the kitchen were dying laughing. So this is that, why it's important to be nice to waiters and waitresses. Yeah. Waitresses less so. They don't have penises they can put in <laughs> onion rings. And, you know, International Women's Day is gone. It was yesterday. Uh, so be nice to your waiters. Yeah. Yeah. Are you scared by it? Uh, well, I, I'm worried that my agoraphobia is going to go away. Luckily, right now, it's holding steady, so I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. And uh, but stepping outside, I do get a little scared going outside. You should come over here. We uh, tonight for dinner, we're having spit soup. Because <laughs> we are going to celebrate Purim. Uh, when is Purim? Oh, it's tonight. It starts at sundown. You uh-huh. should be. Do you have your costume ready? Of course. Um, yes. This is the celebration of Queen Esther, I believe. That's right. And uh, celebrating um, the, you know, what happened was a man married a woman, did not know of her Jewish heritage, was about to declare war on all the slaves. And then she came forward and said, I'm a Jew as well, mm-hmm. at which point uh, he then killed everybody. And he goes, this makes sense now. I get it. She won't stop nagging. None of those people will stop nagging. <laughs> I've been supporting this family for years. And he got uh, really upset. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I do know this. You're supposed to get dressed up. My costume, I'm going as David Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Say Heyman. Heyman. Mm. Wrong answer. Don't, don't you remember you know, that from Hebrew school? When they would say, do that? Yeah. No, I don't okay. remember that. Oh. Um it's a, it's a very important holiday. The Hamantaschen is the... Yes. Uh, Named after Haman. Yes, and a Tashen because what's I think it's like a prune jelly or something. I, right. I'm not a fan of them. Haman was the prime minister who wanted King Cyrus to kill all the Jews, but he says, my wife is Jewish, how about I just kill her instead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it was that easy, I would hire a liberal rabbi to come over to my house right now, convert my wife... And then just go, and go. What? <laughs> what did I do? What? It's a, it's a big debacle. It's Purim. It's uh, coronavirus. There's so much happening. Baseball spring training is going on. Super exciting. Is this going to be like the end of society as we know it? No. This is, this will be done in three weeks. All you got to do is try and not catch a cold. And don't, you know, my dad's going to fly. That's worrisome a little bit because my dad's older. He's got a compromised immune system. You, I don't know how your health is. You seem like you're okay. I got to go to the gym today. You you stay healthy. You try and eat healthy. You're going to the gym? Yeah. We're New Yorkers. When 9-11 happened, all we did was burn Korans. That's it. We took it in stride. We knew there was no hatred. When 9-11 happened, New Yorkers were still going out, right? No, New Yorkers don't. Yeah, but you didn't have to, to worry about going to a restaurant and somebody flying a plane into your meatloaf. Which restaurants do you go to? <laughs> 
you clearly have never been to Allahu Akbar's Great Meatloaf, <laughs> located in Bayside. And there's a landing strip right next to the restaurant. It's open concept dining. And there's a big Jewish yellow star that is the floor plan so people know <laughs> where to land their planes. So until you go to Allahu Akbar's Great Meatloaf in Bayside, don't talk to me about planes not wanting to land in Meatloaf. I was there on the front All right. lines. All right. All right. I was a first responder. I, I belong to a gym. I'm afraid to step foot in the gym. Give me some advice. What safety precautions does Aaron Berg, you are a habitué, you go to the gym all the time. Yes. What is a typical visit to the gym like in this age of the coronavirus? Not Aaron a problem Berg? at all. Okay, I'm wearing my normal clothes. I have my Dwayne Johnson hoodie on. Mm -hmm. I have camouflage muscle pants on mm -hmm. that make my legs look bigger than they are. I have my Nike Air Jordan shoes on, and I have a baseball hat. Normal gym wear. Okay. Under that, I have 12 garbage bags wrapped around me <laughs> with duct tape. My feet are covered. It's hard to walk. I'm not going to lie. My feet slip inside my shoes. I have 12 garbage bags. Uh -huh. 12. The larger ones. The lawn and leaf type bags. That's what I went with. I cut them open. I got my nanny to help with them on uh, while shaving my back. In addition, you need some type of hand protection. Now, people will say, well, you just use a little bit of sanitizer or you use your weightlifting gloves. Not going to get it done. I have dish gloves on. Uh, I prefer bright pink. I walk in. Uh, I've also got saran wrap on my face and my head. Now, it's easier for me because I'm bald. For those of you with hair, you're going to want to go with maybe a tin foil hat and then some uh, saran wrap around the face. And I know people are thinking, oh, that's a double entendre, tin foil hat, conspiracy. Just do it. Okay? Don't ask. I'm not going to say that this virus got here by aliens, but we know where they landed in Roswell. So do that. Have your gloves on. Uh, what you're going to want to do, avoid the cardiovascular machines. A lot of people are doing the cardio, mm -hmm. sweat stripping off them. It's awful. Go directly into a sauna or a steam room. Uh, take your clothes off. Leave your garbage bags and your saran wrap on. <laughs> This is going to help sweat out a lot of the bad stuff as well as essential fluids you need to live. Uh, you want to weaken your immune system to trick the virus into thinking you already have it. How do you do that? Well, you, you basically you're going to want to do everything you can. So yeah. unprotected sex, kissing mm -hmm. strangers. You want to get a lot of stuff so that your body thinks you got it. If I you see. have uh, a, a stage four cancer, that's a great start. <laughs> so you're going to do that. Then you're going to go in there. And now is a great time. People need to turn negatives into a positive. Right. So now, since you're, everyone's thinking, oh, it's all going to end soon. Great time. To just be like, look, I'm not gay, but I've never masturbated in front of a man before through a garbage bag. Are you cool with this? And then they'll think about it. Initially, people may be homophobic and go mm -hmm. masturbating in front of them, but then they'll hear a garbage bag and they'll go, oh, that's not gay. So you can do that. Uh, you're going to want to not stay hydrated. People are going to tell you to stay hydrated. Not a good idea. Weaken your immune system more. Best foods to eat now. A lot of people say go heavy protein if you're hitting the gym. Right. Disagree. Cheesecake primarily. Uh, <laughs> quick sugars. Something that will spike your energy real fast and drop it. If you can get a, a latent form of diabetes, that's also going to trick your immune system into thinking you have it. So this is akin to going to... Afghanistan when ISIS was running it and being afraid that they're going to cut your head off. Guess what? 
if you cut your own head off, exactly. there's no head to cut off. Exactly. It's like inoculating yourself against smallpox. Mm-hmm. You give yourself a little smallpox to kill a lot of smallpox. Right. I get it. Yeah, I get same it. as a flu shot. You yeah. got it. Yeah. Hey, uh, my my privacy was violated. Oh. Uh, I'm told that there is now a tape on the Internet of me calling my stockbroker today. And how do you get this? Have you have you heard the tape of me on the phone? The Dow dropped 2,000 points. And right. The, I did call my stockbroker. I don't have any money, but I called him anyway. And apparently there's there's audio. Have you oh heard boy. it? How do I get I, rid of I, it? I would love to hear. Oh, if you hit um, on your um, device there, yeah. if you hit B4, that'll give you the backtrack audio. Okay. I want to. There's supposedly audio of me calling my stockbroker today after the, the Dow crashed 2,000 points. Let me, let me listen to it. I don't know if this is me or not. Play it. <laughs> the past. <laughs> Hello. 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 <laughs> yes. Hello. It's David Feldman. I'm holding for uh, Jewy McStockenberger, please. Yes, I'll hold, but the, the time is money, as I'm sure you know, because that was how you reeled me into your pyramid scheme years ago when I came in and talked to Julie McStockenberg. Please put him on the telephone as immediately as one could conceivably do so. Yes, I'll hold while I look at my circumcision scar and consider everything that's gone wrong. Hello? Hello? This is Joey McStockenberger, and I am currently away from the phone. If you would like to reach me immediately, and then this is an utter emergency, you may press one, and it will put you directly through to my pager beeper, which will then uh, convey its way over to my earpiece, black tooth, Bluetooth. And if I am not answering right now, I may be at my job in the Diamond District, or in Boca. But remember, always be... Hello, this is Joey McStockenberger. <laughs> yeah. Hello, uh, Jay. Uh, it's me, David Feldman. Yes, uh, how, how are you today, David? Uh, it's a good day, right? Purim, you must be so excited to spend uh, such a great time with your family and friends. Are you uh, intent on that? Don't you come at me with that shit, Stockenberger. I'm pissed off. Now, you told me all that money I had, I was going to make more money. Now, this is dipped more than my Emmy in a goddamn bathtub. Let me tell you what I'm looking at right here. I'm going to read you a direct quote. No, David, you take it easy. Now, you know that these things go up and down and up and down and up and down. Three times, like me and my wife. You know what I'm saying. You work in comedy, don't you, David? Is that a good one? Do you want to put that in your sketches, skits? You don't come at me with this stuff, Joey McStockenberger. I gave you 400,000 pennies. And I told you that I wanted those invested wisely. I 
said wisely. You know what I meant by wisely. I thought that you meant in wisest potato. <laughs> Don't you come at me. I'm the comedian here. You're supposed to be the stock guy and the guy that they based the movie Uncut Gems on. Now you got to come at me. Tell me what's happening because I just went, let me tell you what's going on exactly. U.S. stocks plunged more than 7.5% to the worst day in Wall Street since the financial crisis as a full-blown oil price war rattled financial markets already on edge over the spreading coronavirus. Treasury yield plummeted, crude sank 20%, and credit markets buckled. I got a good mind to come down there and buckle your back. I'll tell you that. I'll buckle your back because the S&P sank 500 the most since December 2008. The Dow Jones Industrial Average tumbled 2,000 points, and the small caps lost more than 9%. Now you tell me, Joey McStockburger, how I'm supposed to live my life as a thrice-divorced man who's on his last legs. I was supposed to be able to buy my mother a place in Century Village. And now you tell me how I'm going to do that when I've lost more than 60,000 cents since last month. Damn it. Do things go up and these things go down? Now, I don't know what to tell you. You don't think I'm worried. I'm on my way to Greenwich, Connecticut, and I've only got four homes. Why am I starting to talk like Bernie Sanders at this point in time? Nobody knows. But look, David, I'm very worried. One percent of the 99 percent of your stocks is still doing okay. Oh, boy, you're ruining my Purim. I'll tell you that. I had hamantashen in the oven. I couldn't even focus. Now they're just burnt. It's like coals. And I'll tell you where I wish I could throw those coals, Joey McStockenberger. On your grave. And I wouldn't wait seven days to bury you. I'll tell you that. I'd bury you after 14 days. And guess who would not sit shiver? Me. You know why? Because you're killing me. And I already got a beard. I've, I've blackened out the mirrors around my house because I cannot look myself in the eye. After trusting you with my finances, Joey McStockenberger, now I should have trusted that and I should have known not to go to Orthodox Judaic investments. I should have known. You don't work on Fridays. You don't work on the Sabbath. What am I supposed to do? And the whole market in China is going, why didn't we invest in bats when people were buying bats to eat? Why do you Look, I don't have any answers, but I will tell you this. My newest son, he just turned 21 and he's graduating from Harvard. Are you thinking? Do you think I'd give a shit about your son? I'm out over six. I just dropped again. I'm down 70,000 cents. You sick son of a bitch. On your house, I wish a goddamn hex. You wish a hex on me? You suck on your hex. I lost everything I got. Now I got to go back to writing. And now I can't write. You know how much content is out there? Why don't you tell me? What should I do? <laughs> well, there's actually a great new show on Netflix called uh, Love is Blind. And I didn't write on it because it's reality. But it's very good. And it investigates love. Speaking of love, my first two. I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> you and I are in business. Now, Joey McStockenberg. You either invest in hand sanitizer and get me my money back, or I'm going to come to your fucking nephew's bar mitzvah, pick up the chair and drop him. That's what's going to happen. Your nephew's going to be dropped. David Feldman, I put a hex on your house. You you can't put a hex on my house. I live in an apartment. <laughs> Goodbye. Click. Wow. The future. That, I don't know how they recorded. I thought... I, I guess they do record those conversations. That is embarrassing. You seem pretty upset with your guy. 
Yeah. And I would think as someone that's been in the markets for a while, you would realize money goes up, money goes down. Well, but, you know, when you put 4,000 pennies into the stock market, do you expect it to be, you expect returns? You know what they say about money? Yeah. It's the only thing that matters. In the <laughs> Aaron Berg, what is the name of your book? And what is the name of your documentary? My documentary is called 25 Sets. It's on Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. My book is called Mr. Manners, Proper Etiquette for the Modern Degenerate. And my new album, American Etiquette, will be out April 23rd. And uh, what is the name of your podcast? My podcast is called How to Make 60,000 Cents in Turbulent Stock Market. <laughs> it's uh, in just hot started water. this week. Oh, it's in hot water. It's on Compound Media Monday to Thursday. And my Patreon show is called Gum Fridays. Patreon.com slash Gum Fridays. It's one of the funniest things out there in the world. Well, you're right one now. of the funniest things out there in the world. Follow Aaron on Twitter. Where are you performing next? I'll be uh, this week. I'll be at the Philly Comedy Club on Friday for two shows. And then Saturday, I'll be all over New York City, Stand Up New York, The Stand, Broadway Comedy Club. And uh, I'll be at Skankfest at the end of March. Fantastic. Stay on the line for one second, Aaron Berg. Everybody's heard of comic Aaron Berg. Berg, Berg, Berg. Berg is the word. Well, Berg, Berg, Berg. Aaron Berg is the word. Let's go to Los Angeles, where Leah McEnany is standing by. He will be at the Improv tonight with Eddie Pepitone and Mark Brazil. His podcast is... Tell Your Friends, History's Greatest Podcast. And his comedy album is Working Class Fancy. Uh, Liam is an old friend, and he and I answer listener questions. It's a very popular segment on this show. So today we're going to answer listener questions. If you have a question, go to davidfeldmanshow.com. You'll see the Ask Me Anything button. Click on it. Fill out the form. And if it's a reasonable question, we will uh, read it on the air and then answer your question. How are you, and Liam? You want David to ignore your question posted on the subreddit, David Feldman Show. Yeah, what's happening with the subreddits? I don't know. There's a pop-up. Uh, there's a Reddit pop-up that says there have been over 800 visits to our David Feldman Show in the past week. What and does that mean? Begging. What does that mean? Uh, it means, it means uh, 800 people, not 800 people, but people have visited 800 times. So it's like you subtract... The 400 times you visited and refreshed it to see if anyone's talking about you. Uh -huh. And there's still like 400 unique visits to it. Okay. And I noticed, I went, there are two subreddits competing, fighting it out. Right. What are the numbers? Uh, well, there's 84 members uh, on David Feldman's show. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, Is that the original? That, is, that would be called the legacy account? That would be the legacy account, but there's 34 members on the David Feldman show, which is <laughs> from two last week. 
So we're growing exponentially. And and the pop-up says there have been over 300 visits to the David Feldman show in the past week. So So, combined, that's over 1,000 visits to these two subreddits. And then again, subtracting the number of times you uh, go and then hit refresh over and over, that's still over 400 visits. Okay. And I've been posting on the subreddits. I put some stuff up. Yeah. I posted Uh, some fan art from Frankenberger. Did you see that? I saw that. The the one with you is Emperor Palpatine? Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. And then there's a guy. Yeah. There's a guy who's already stalking me on one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're not. I just saw it. I saw they're attacking you, right? Yeah. Yeah, this guy's obsessed with Howard Stern. No wonder he's so dumb. I post in the Howard Stern subreddit about once every six months. Oh, I saw that. They your subreddit <laughs> history is available to everybody. It's yeah, it's literally the only subreddit I ever post. <laughs> well, wait a second. So my my subreddit or my Reddit account is Feldo. Right, and then you know it's like um, now. Do people follow me on Reddit? No, but you know if. Uh, Let's see. I'll click on your I'll click on your account right now. User Feldo. Uh huh. Um, let's see. You post on the David Feldman Show. David Feldman Show. David Feldman Show. David Feldman Show. Men's rights activist. <laughs> uh, stuffed animal lover. Human, human toilet lover. Piss play. <laughs> My Little Pony, <laughs> Toys and Collectibles, Piss Play, Piss Play, Piss okay. Play. Stop, I'm Me running out mother. of fake laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> okay, in all seriousness, because I am learning Reddit, and it is interesting. It is, like, I uh, sound like an idiot saying, it is interesting. It's probably one of the most important URLs in the world, uh, and I'm just learning about it, but uh, okay. So I can post stuff to both subreddits, and anybody can, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you're subscribed to it. I see. So you, have to go, you have to go and mash the, the... Oh, yeah, I can follow you on Reddit. Okay, boom, done. And if you follow me, then you can see everywhere I've gone? I mean, you can do that no matter what. Like, I can see all of your posts. Dan... Frankenberger posted. No, he didn't write this. I, f- I posted Dan Frankenberger's Feldman Palpatine photos. Also, I can chat with you on Reddit. Oh, okay. Well, well that'll to, be fun. Yeah. I highly encourage your listeners to chat with David Feldman. Yeah, now a there's fun- a whole. Now somebody writes uh, Is this Feldo blasting protesters at Dent State University? <laughs> oh, my, this is. Is this you? No. Because you made fun of the dent in my head, and now somebody says, are these stairs leading to the 40th floor of his luxury dent house apartment? <laughs> Is he shooting tenants for not paying their dent? Feel free to add more. FL Florida Beave? Florida Beave. That can't be. What's her name? Bernie Hill Baby Cat, can it? I don't know. No, she's in she's in uh, Las Vegas. So there's some. Well, this is someone. This is someone with uh, four 
I think four posts to their name. One of them is a Jacksonville subreddit. So somebody from Jacksonville, Florida, is making fun of the dent in my head. Mm. All right. Well, we should have a, a competition to Photoshop the dent. <laughs> we should. I'd like to see photographs. Is that all you can see when you look in the mirror now is the dent in your head? I don't see a dent in my head. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but apparently, I don't. Anyway, that's on Reddit. Okay. Where, where is the dent in my head? It seems to be right on the right-hand side, then uh, right down your temple. Okay. Is it also on the left side? I don't know. I mean, again, this is, this is uh, you know, this was picked up by one of your listeners. No, it was started by you. You were the one who said I no, had No, it was one of your listeners. Because they, 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 uh, they were talking about the picture on your iTunes account. Because right. you, you had just posted a new picture, and it's like right... <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Okay. It's on the right side here. <laughs> and, and we're going to have the moderators on the show next Tuesday or Friday this week, sometime this week, to figure out what to do about these uh, Reddit accounts. Okay. Ask me anything this... Uh, by the way, how was spin class? I didn't go to spin class. I was supposed to go to yoga class today, and then my instructor had to reschedule because she's got lunch at the farmer's market. Wow, that sounds like a really... That sounds like a good excuse to cancel yoga. <laughs> Lunch. You know what it is? I'm getting, Talk about discipline. I'm getting one-on-one instruction from someone who's charging me a very cheaply for one-on-one instruction. And so I'm kind of at her mercy a little bit in terms of scheduling. All right. And the coronavirus, are things shutting down in L.A.? You know, people it's, really, it's really sad out here because... Uh, so many people in this town deserve to die, and they're just not dying. Stop it. Like 50% of the people in this city deserve to die, and so far there's been one case. I'm like, come on, coronavirus. I have names and addresses and agendas for you. All right. Be nice. I want to get the coronavirus just so I can go to the laugh factory. Yeah, I'm kidding. I, I have nothing against the Laugh Factory. It's just the first thing I could think of that wasn't the real place I want to unpack. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Alec Brazell is contacting me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I just got a text. Is he calling you right now? No, he's texting me. <clears throat> oh, I was talking to Alex earlier. Yeah. Okay. All right. Is he actually texting you? Yes, he is. But I can't repeat it. <laughs> All right, here we go. This comes to us from Dr. Jason. Nothing <laughs> says professionalism and hosting like stopping everything to read your texts. Listen, Liam, the world it's is falling. You're locked in on the show. Did, did you have, you? have you been watching the news? I'm going to start playing Tetris while we do this. Do you see what's going on? They had to shut down the stock market. People they are, did, yeah, free falling, huh? Yeah, because it's free falling. Yeah, can you imagine having enough money that that affects you? I'm going to tweet this out right now. I'm going to my shrink to learn how to be an agoraphobic because of the. Okay, I won't tweet that out. Oh boy, 
You might want to tweak that a little bit. Tweak by tweet? By tweak, I mean throw away. (laughs) People are freaking out. People are freaking out. People are panicking. I don't know why people are panicking. Oh, Uh, I don't know. All of northern Italy has been quarantined? Well, yeah. I mean, but there was that dude who fucking wouldn't stop running marathons after he got sick. (laughs) What an asshole. It's not... It's not our fault. And this guy Schlapp, who runs CPAC, shook hands with Donald Trump. Oh, my God. That, you know what? How funny would it be? How funny would it be if our commander in chief contracted the coronavirus? You mean our notorious germaphobe commander in chief? (laughs) I wish I could have been the guy who gave him that news. I, God, I would, I would give a million dollars. To have been the guy who had to tell Donald Trump that he shook hands with the guy with coronavirus. Uh-huh. Let me tell you something, folks. This is what I can assure you. He must be shaking in his size six boy's shoes. Well, yeah. Just hope he's not shaking any hands in those. <laughs> Here's what I can assure my listeners. We all think tonight Bernie loses Michigan. He loses Washington State. And it's over. And Biden's going to be the nominee. And we all think, well, that's it. Move on. Start watching Netflix. Right. No need to follow Polly. It's just starting. It's yeah, the show is just going to be dead soon. So <laughs> it's just beginning. Biden's going to get the virus, perhaps. Those of you, those of you who won't be dead from coronavirus, will be eating out of dumpsters because <laughs> of the stock market crash. So, like, this should be the least of your worries. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just beginning. It's just beginning. It's only just begun. This comes to us from... To live white lace and promises. We'll find ourselves some room to grow. Come on, David, sing it. And when the evening comes... (laughs) That's my old singing coach. Hello, Glenda. That's who? My old singing coach. No, that's your mother. My mother? That's your mother. Good yes and work, David. Huh? That's your mother doing phone sex. Good good yes and. <laughs> wow, those UCB classes really paid the off. The first there. rule of improv is always say yes unless the bit is about Liam's mother being a sex worker. <laughs> All right, this comes to us. By the way, for your yes. listeners who aren't savvy or maybe inside showbiz, UCB is the Upright Citizens Brigade where they teach improv. Yes. Dr. Jason Rappaport Jr. is the president of the Howie Mandel Fan Club. Oh. And he writes to us from New York. Hello, Mr. Feldo, man. My name is Jason Rappaport Jr. from the Howie Mandel Fan Club. Or he's wanted- germaphobe. That's right. He is a germaphobe. And I wanted to thank you for the lovely card and note. Tell Mary that we love the pie. I am happy to inform you that I have an update on our search for Howie. Our most recent contact with Mr. Mandel was 12 days ago. We FaceTimed with him, but the call was cut short. He was standing on a busy street corner in front of the Golden Chippy in London. During the brief call, we saw only blurry footage of what seemed to be a scuffle Mr. Mandel was having with what looked to be a group of football hooligans. We lost connection with Howie and haven't been in contact since. 
what the hell is this? Is Howie Mandel missing? I think it's a bit. Okay, Mr. Mandel. I think someone's running a bit by you. Mr. Mandel was scheduled to accept a Lifetime Achievement Award in Brussels (laughs) by the Global Independent Media Personality Syndicate, or GIMPS, but his trip was derailed when Mr. Mandel got lost in a bathroom at Heathrow Airport. Are we are we dogpiling on Howie Mandel now? I, I was I always thought I he was like, like a Howie good, Mandel. I've never met him. I mean, you know, but he just seemed like a guy who got really lucky really young. That's that's the worst thing I could say about him. Yes. P.S. Good luck with your subreddit contest. I subscribe to both competing subreddits just to even out the score a bit. All right. Thank you, Doctor Rappaport. <clears throat> Cory Booker says Joe Biden will restore honor to the Oval Office in endorsement. Okay. You voting for Joe Biden? I, I like Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. This really sways me. Okay, let me... You know, let, that let me that pl- guy went to a house that was on fire in Newark when he was mayor. Yeah. All right, l- let me play you some uh, Joe Biden. Here's some Joe Biden. Okay, ready? <laughs> ready? Here we go. Yeah. Look! Tomorrow is Super Thursday, and I want to thank you all. I tell you what, I'm rushing ahead, aren't I? 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. It would put 720 million back, million women back in the workforce. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. He's in New Hampshire. Play the radio. Make sure the television, <laughs> excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. We choose science over fiction. We choose truth over facts. Think about it. We know these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the, you know the thing. Okay. Listen, first of all, I will vote for a strawberry Pop-Tart if it's a Democratic candidate. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I guess as a fellow confused old man, you're endorsing Biden is what you're saying. Well, this question comes to us. That sounds like one of the that sounds like an outtake reel from our recording. <laughs> Carol is a senior citizen from Minneapolis. She's a Sagittarius. She asks more like a Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Because hmm. she's abroad with a vagina, then she would be a Pisces. Didn't we do that joke? Because fish smells. Yeah, like, okay. yeah, we've done that. We did the Pisces joke. Okay. Uh, she asked. But so good. <laughs> Got to bring it back, like Jack, like Jack Penny, and that his, his old Studebaker, whatever it was. Uh huh. Oh yes, the uh, well, Mel <laughs> Blank did the uh, the Maxwell. The Maxwell. That's at the 1929 Maxwell. Yeah. Okay. I think you need some Tums. <laughs> okay. Oh, you were doing the Maxwell. Okay. Carol says, why is someone as corrupt and immoral as Joe Biden not more wealthy? Is it because he is mentally challenged? Is it because his family takes up the slack? Yes, that is correct. Look, Joe Biden was a great vice president. Nobody can take that away from him. He was a great vice president? He was a great vice president. Nobody knew how to attend a funeral like Joe Biden. What did he name one thing he did? 
as vice David, president. David, I'm trying to find the positive about him being the Democratic frontrunner right now. Okay. This it's, next... it's not making me happy. All right. Zach from Canada. He's a sweaty Marxist Jew with a dented head. I, I mean... <laughs> God damn you, Liam. I didn't do that. It was your listener. I don't, you were the one who said there I have a, a dented head. listener who wrote in and point, asked you about your dent in your head. No, you were the one. Well, no. All right. It was a, I'm telling you, it was a go by. I, I know neither of us listened to the show, but I, <laughs> I remember that distinctly. All right. Uh, all right. He's got a dent in his head. He's in Canada. He's in Canada living out the winter in his igloo rubbing sticks together. Feldo, get your mind out of the gutter. I'm not talking about rubbing two sticks together to create fire. Here in Canada, rubbing sticks is jacking off two male Edmonton hookers to completion, you pervert. <laughs> That's a uh, Martha Private Susan Collins, Jim Merle joke. <laughs> Do you listen to Susan Collins? No, I didn't know that was another thing I could avoid. It's very popular on the show. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, is it on this show? My show, yes. On your show. show? Our show. Our, well, is it on this show? Yes. I should listen to it sometime. <laughs> what does Susan Collins do for a living? She's the senator from Maine. Oh, she's, un- she's unemployable. Got it. <laughs> okay. You really have a senator on your show? I, Martha Previtt and Jim Earl write this bit and perform it where Martha plays Senator Susan Collins. It's hysterical. Uh, People should is listen. Dr. Jen a real person? Yes. Okay. She's You're hot. You're a no, monster. This, this is scripted. Barry Lank writes this segment. Yeah. That's why it could be funnier. Liam. <laughs> Liam, I'm I just understand. kidding, Barry. I love Barry Lank. I'm just kidding. Liam, I understand why you don't want to support Medicare for All or the Green New Deal. Makes perfect oh. sense. Is David, he still the old lady? This oh, no, is, this is a guy from Canada. Zach okay. from Canada says, David, I think you need to listen to Liam more. Thank Liam you. gets it. The poor yeah. CEO of ExxonMobil needs a smaller yacht. Wait, to what? Fit. Huh? <laughs> what? That just took a turn. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'll Liam stop. gets it. The poor CEO of ExxonMobil needs a smaller yacht to fit in his mega yacht. That sounds reasonable. If that means that some kids in Bangladesh won't have a livable space... To live well, maybe they should have built floatable houses. The CEO of Blue Cross needs another bonus because it helps him sleep at night from denying a kid bone marrow treatment. Are you telling me, David, that the CEO of Blue Cross deserves to not have another five Russian escorts just to be able to get hard and sleep at night? That kid should have sucked the bone marrow out of KFC fried chicken and put it in themselves because this is America. Shame on you, David. Again, I think single payer health care is great. I just think if I can afford better health care than you, I should have it. Hence, you're despised. <laughs> it's it's the American way. Uh-huh. Vajayj from Washington. Vajayj. Remember Vajayj? The Indian fellow? No, Vajayj. Remember remember JJ from Good Times? Oh, right. You're hilarious. <laughs> Guy no money. <laughs> your example of how you're superior in a writing room. 
because you come up with uh, <laughs> was it fifty year old dated references now? The JJ. <laughs> But J.J. wrote in, one of the stars of Good Times, the woman who played J.J.'s sister. That lecture I got about how <laughs> you're always going to be better in the writer's room because you come up with jokes that uh, were dated 45 years ago. For J.J. writes. <laughs> and I would be the guy that would listen to it and go, you know what? Maybe this show needs something a little fresher. Like some, uh, like a joke about the 18 missing minutes, uh, from the Watergate tapes or, you know, the, the gas crisis of 1978, was it? Like, this is a little fresher material than good times. Well, this question and comment is apropos. Okay. Okay. The JJ, right? What? Guy no might. The JJ writes, how does Liam know that the song Hey Man, Nice Shot is by Filter, but not know about the Arbit Mocked Fry sign? Misplaced priorities. So, Arbit Mocked Fry? Yeah, I, I had made a reference to Arbit Mocked Fry, a sign. Well, we'll get to that in a second. The man wants to know, or the woman, the JJ, wants to know why you know Hey Man, Nice Shot by filter. What is the song? Hey are you Man. talking about? Are, are you talking about the sign above Auschwitz? Yes. Well, if you said it in English, I'd know what you were talking about. All right. I don't know Polish. Come on. You know that it got stolen. Somebody stole the Arabic uh, fry sign. Yeah, they probably put it up over one of those Apple factories in Indonesia. Okay, hang on. Hey, that's some good political. Thank you. Oh, hang on, hang on. <laughs> They're in China. Isn't Foxconn in China? Uh, maybe they put it up over that uh, over the entrance to the Amazon warehouse where people fulfill the orders they make through the David Feldman Show website. Oh. <laughs> that hurt. Ah, you're right. <laughs> uh, I'm full. Yeah, you're right. Uh, what is uh, Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter? What is that? That is a song uh, from the 90s, which is why I knew the reference. <laughs> uh, it's from the late 90s. Uh, it's a great rock song about who's the guy, the politician who shot himself on 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 uh, live TV. Oh, right, right. Uh, you know, I'm, I just like, uh, it's right, that's right on the tip of my tongue. Let us, uh, Bud Dwyer, that's it. Right, okay. Tom in it's Portland. Tom and in the people Por thought it was about uh, what's his name from Nirvana, Kurt Cobain. Okay, so Tom in Portland writes in. Oh, Tom from Portland. He's attacking on both fronts. Yeah, he's uh, in Portland for twenty-five years, but originally from inside the DC Beltway. He's, okay, he's a Leo. He shares a birthday with Fidel Castro. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to share everything with Fidel Castro. He's a communist. No wonder he loves Bernie. I just came up with a good Groucho Alan Alda impersonation that went right past you. Wait, do it, wait, all right, do it again. It says here he shares his birthday with Fidel Castro. And the joke I made off the top of my head was, uh -huh. well, you have to share everything with Fidel Castro. He's a communist. No, no, I heard that. <laughs> I was kind of proud of that. I thought, oh, that's pretty fast. <laughs> Nothing. 
That's going to kill him when you open for Professor Erwin Corey. <laughs> All right, Tom. And Did you know I opened for Professor Erwin Corey once? You opened for him? At a retirement home in Long Island. Twelve elderly Jews who hated me and loved him. Did you smoke dope with him? No, I never smoked dope. Also, it was just like a situation where we were driven up in from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And and then right back after the after the gig, and there was just no hanging out. I mean, the guy was like ninety something. Yeah. And uh, and I hadn't done particularly well, so it wasn't like we were getting along. He was ninety. He, I think he died at a hundred, and I would say ninety five of those years were spent stoned. God bless yeah. him. Uh, okay, Dave in Portland writes, "Hey fellas, mind if I write in regularly instead of phone in?" David runs a delightfully paced five-hour podcast where there's no hurry to say anything, but the voicemail shuts off in two minutes, and Liam is oh busting my, my balls after five seconds because of my He failure. wants to go longer? Yeah, because of my, my failure to be concise and my perceived drinking problem. <laughs> Email does definitely hide the slurs. <laughs> Not to worry, I'm okay in that department. Depression, anxiety, and blind rage at enablers of horrific exploitation and cruelty who are <laughs> happy with anything so long as their 401ks look healthy on paper this week, though they prefer civility so long as it doesn't depress investment returns. Prediction. Now, I, I, to be fair, I don't have enough money to have a 401k, so my retirement plan is living behind a library. Okay. <laughs> Well, Joe from Portland, you know, the, the listener questions are really apropos of conversation. There's like a flow. We say something and then the, the listener questions kind of back it up. Here's what he says. Prediction. Bernie will run away with a Democratic nomination because any day now, Joe Biden will commit a Jimmy the Greek style epic face plant in public. So shocking, even for him that it will utterly kill his campaign in its tracks. Eh, Liam? I I think you're absolutely right. I think that Joe kind of escaped scrutiny because he was... We can hear you typing. Oh, I'm, I'm tweeting at Morgan Murphy. Keep going. See if Morgan would do my show. <laughs> I, much I don't want to use that me. kind of favor. Remember Jimmy the I mean, Greek? I may, need a, I may need a favor for her, from her someday. Jimmy the Greek, about 30 years ago, uh, said something about African Americans being bred a certain way. And that's why they said, he said, so, he so said the, blacks, huh? the blacks were bred in slavery times to be more athletic. That's what he said. Right. It was around the time, like, and then Al Campanis, who, uh, uh, who's a Dodger coach. Went on a uh-huh. nightline and said, black people can't swim. <laughs> Do you remember that? Or you're too young to remember that? I remember it from him and then every black comedian after him. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tom. I agree with Wait, you. What was Tom's question? It was a comment. He's saying that Biden will have a face plant or a facelift plant that will be so <laughs> shocking that he'll have to drop out. You know, it's it's it, it would be uh it would have to be 
big enough that people are forgetting that the president is letting people die while those stock markets crashing. Look, tomorrow's Superstar Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. The president is letting people die while the stock market's crashing. Even the red states take notice of things like that. Look, tomorrow's Superstar Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. Guys, he's going to win Michigan. He's going to win Florida. He's going to be the nominee. A hundred and fifty million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. I'm just saying things like this get picked up by the right as soon as the candidate is in the in the general. We watched that happen in 2016. You don't think he's gaff prone? Oh, he's totally gaff-prone. I'm not saying he's a good candidate. He's not He's not even my third choice of everybody who ran this year. I'm saying we're at a point now where Bernie or Biden, we should be very careful about what we put out there. All right. Because whoever is the candidate, the right just fucking goes on Twitter and scoops up all the talking points that the Democrats made and blasts them. Well, it's going to be easy to go after Biden. It would put 720 million back, million women back in the workforce. Hey, man, you want to be responsible or irresponsible, that's your decision. I'm just saying this is the shit that the, that the right fucking delights in because well, you're doing the work for them. Tom from Portland. Tom from Portland is absolutely right. Stay tuned. This is going to be pretty interesting. Okay. Would Not you just, guys rather be happy or right is the question. Uh, how can you be happy if you're wrong? <laughs> you have to find a way. Okay. This is from a California primary Bernie. That's vote. why I'm voting for Rocky Laporte. The comedian. No, no, the the guy who runs every four years is the... You haven't heard of this guy? No. He's a Republican. He runs every four years. He's like a used car salesman out here. Like okay. he's just, and now he's got two kids, and one of them is running for president as a Democrat. Okay. I mean, I had to skip over the guy's name when I voted for Marianne Williamson last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. California primary ver uh, Bernie voter from Inglewood says. Isn't Liam in California? Yeah. California primary was last night, and I want to know who he voted for since his last comment was Sanders winning is a fantasy. People it are, is. People are dying, and that's not a fantasy. He's right. throwing his words, right, throwing your words right back at you. People are dying, and that's not a fantasy. The machine is in full force backing senile Biden with a trail of liabilities and weaknesses that Trump will steamroll through easily. Next debate, <clears throat> Sanders will bring all of this up then, and Bernie bros will be all guilty of division. At this moment, Liam has no ground to, sta ground to stand on, and continuing to joke about Sanders not being viable should stop, you spineless I'm not joking. Should stop, you spineless fool. Respectfully, a pissed-off Bernie bro. Well, that's a pretty good... He called you a spineless 
I, I feel like I would be more spineless if I was like, okay, you're right. Bernie's going to win. He's a great candidate. He would have won four years ago. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. <laughs> That's true. Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. Really? Bernie Madoff? Bernie. I, I, I assumed he meant marijuana. Okay. I mean, Bernie Madoff committed a great, great crime of tremendous economic violence. And economic violence. People should be locked up for economic violence. Absolutely. Okay, this comes to us from Superfly Delegate. And he writes to us from Planet Lovetron. <laughs> He writes, with single-payer medical... See, you're not out of fake laughs. Oh, okay. With single-payer Medicare <laughs> for all, will the ladies become more promiscuous? How different would the scene be if we get a public option buy-in? I think, well, I think you'd be more likely to get laid if we had single-payer Medicare for all. Don't you? Uh, how so? Well, I, I think people would not be worried about, you know, STDs. STDs? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm not worried about STDs, David. Okay. I wear a condom uh, not not just when I'm having sex, but every day when I'm at the gym, when I go to the diner. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was funny in the 80s. Was it? Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. Orlando. <laughs> Orlando writes, I have... Now, listened- you're gonna say, but you know what? You're right, because as I get older, I'm going to need to start taking Viagra to sustain that erection. Okay. So you're paying <laughs> What? I'm trying to save the bit. Single oh, about women being more promiscuous under Medicare for all? <laughs> I heard that sex was crazy in East Germany when the wall was up. Oh, yeah? That's what I've heard. And that when the wall came down, uh-huh. people, their sex lives deteriorated. Because they were able to go to the West and see what attractive women look like? <laughs> oh, God. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> what? They're not all built like big tanks? <laughs> I have listened to you for a while. None of your women have mustaches. What's going on? Is that Boris Badnoff pretending to be East German? I have listened to you for a while, and I don't know why. When Liam McCono first joined you, I thought I knew who it was. Turns out he isn't as funny, so I looked him up. <laughs> and it also turns out he is not Dom Herrera. Oh. Went ooh. back and revisited the last time Dom was on. Great show. Peace. He wants Dom on the show instead of you. The late Dom Herrera. <laughs> he didn't say the late. Dom Herrera's dead, man. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. Dom Herrera? Don't say that. Oh, you're right. He's not dead. Yeah. Oh, I, was th- I thought you were thinking of Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise, yeah. 
Oh shit, I met Dom Herrera a few weeks ago. He's go see Dom. He was just in Hasbrook Heights last week. I was gonna go see him at Bananas. Yeah, when he's in when he's in LA, he's he's you know, he's funny as like a lot of those guys from his era just don't get up at the clubs anymore, the improv or the store or any he place does. like that. He does, but that's what I'm saying. Like whenever he's in town, he's he's there all the time. It's kind of miraculous. Oh, I gotta get Not because he's not funny. But just because, like, a lot of the guys who got passed at the store in the 80s are, like, Stephen Allen Green and... All right, don't... You know, like... Don't no, no, trash. I'm just saying... Don't I'm trash. not trashing Stephen. Don't. I like Stephen. Okay. I'm just saying they don't all get up at the store anymore, but he does. Okay. This, Their names are all on the walls. Yeah. I think Gilbert doesn't get up at the store when he's in town. Kristen from L.A. is an artist feeling the burn... She also likes Liam and the show. There you go. Nice. There, you, there go. you go. There you go. Somebody I feel can, like there's a turn coming up ahead. Somebody loves Liam and Bernie. She hot? I don't know. Listen, if you're hot enough, I'll I'll vote for anyone. Well, maybe we can arrange a date because she's located in Los Angeles. Listen, if Ivanka Trump was interested, I'd vote for her father. <laughs> Say what you will. She's an attractive young lady. I have a question for Dr. Jennifer Verlin or anyone who oh, might know God. the answer. I've uh, heard COVID-19 is passed by touching surfaces. Would you ask Dr. Jennifer Verlin if we should wash or disinfect food and packages we bring home from the grocery store? Uh, here's what I would say to that. Okay. It's a virus, which means uh, it is mostly passed through sweat and blood and other bodily fluids. And uh, it's, it's you know, so you, you just have to be careful around people when they're sweaty or, you know, excreting fluids. And, you know, don't go out in public if you're feeling sick. It's right. like any virus. And I can't get coronavirus from having unprotected anal with. Uh... <laughs> oh no! I want to hear the end of this sentence. <laughs> no, no, no! Literally, unprotected anal. Dot dot dot. Fill in the blank. All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, with this your is, father. Yikes! This is from uh, Dan F, who did Palpatine, who did the Photoshop. Oh, okay. We like Dan. His zodiac, his zodiac sign is ass crack dreadlocks. And he's from Rochester, New York. Here's his comment. Feldo conspiracy theory. There's some interesting news concerning the David Feldman show. Word on the street is that David Bacon and Liam McEnany are in cahoots and conspiring in the takeover of your show. Feldman has been very open in his opinion that Bacon was trying to take over the show, but as we've seen, he cannot re even remember to bring a credit card on a road trip. <laughs> this is true. I sent him to, D I sent him to Washington, D.C., and he didn't bring a credit card, confirming his incompetence. Since Bacon's role as the David Feldman Show correspondent has been tapering off as the Northeast primary slowed down, it's been observed that McEnany's interactions with the fans of the show have become aggressive and contemptuous, apparently in order to keep the engagement of the listeners at a high level for the good of the coup in progress. This okay. theory was developed and brought to bear in the last few weeks. 
Regular listeners know that David has labeled Liam as a quote-unquote fucking idiot several times <laughs> regarding political differences. Last week, it came over the wire as breaking news that Liam McEnany is indeed a fucking idiot in relation to his opinion of Steely Dan. Uh, By the way, a lot of people were... That's one I'll fight to the death on. Seconds later, AP Flash sent out late-breaking news from Hollywood, (laughs) California, that it's now official Liam McEnany is a fucking asshole. (laughs) Medical professionals announced that at 4.23 p.m. on a Tuesday, they could not revive his brain. A minister administered last rites to his brain and... Doctors pronounced Liam McEnany a fucking asshole at 4.23 p.m. Tuesday afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Despite confirmation of these events, McEnany continued baiting the host, David Feldman. I will continue to gather intel on this matter as information becomes available. Reporting from Rochester, New York, Dan F., well, Dan, you'll be happy to know that my contempt for you is completely organic <laughs> and has nothing to do with Citizen Bacon. Well, we have a new correspondent covering. You know, maybe back. if uh, maybe if uh, your listeners would put down the hash pipe and go out and vote, Bernie Sanders would be the uh, lead right now. Well, you're absolutely right about that. A lot of Bernie voters don't vote. That's what we're Bernie voters like to get on Twitter, but they don't like to get off their fat asses and go to the polls. Well, we have an official correspondent now. Dan F. is our official Liam McEnany is a fucking asshole <laughs> correspondent. That's a new beat. We have a citizen journalist, <laughs> David Bacon. He's now our ICE correspondent. And Dan F. is now our official Liam McEnany is a fucking asshole correspondent. There's a bureau now in Rochester, New York, that is covering Liam McEnany's asshole leanness. How does that make you feel? What's great about that is a week ago you were wringing your hands because you thought the listeners were being too mean. <laughs> uh, and they established a bureau. Now we have a bureau covering your assholeiness. And we're going to do like weekly updates. <sighs> I can take it. You can take it. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic <laughs> candidate for the United States Senate. He thinks he's running for Senate. <laughs> hey, and you know, the question is, who's going to be vice president? Probably Elizabeth Warren. Oh, that would then then I would be extremely happy to vote for Biden yeah. if it was Warren. What's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town. Yeah, but he was, if in, his New Ham- he was in New slogan. Hampshire when he said that. If his campaign slogan was, a vote for Biden is a vote for Warren to be president in 18 months, I would absolutely That's funny. That's I funny. would vote for her in a heartbeat. All right. All right. All right. This next one comes to us. From but David, if his vice president was the investment bank Goldman Sachs, I'd be very upset. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, that one is well. Nice. This is this is clipping radio. No, I, 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 I'm editing. There was one that was really mean. I want to hear it. No, no, no. 
No, I do. I want to hear. I want to hear the really mean one. No. This next one, and well, by my not reading it, I'm getting inside your head. See what I'm doing? <laughs> See what I'm doing? I'm saying no. that there's a really mean one. Uh -huh. I'm making you think that it was so mean I can't read it. And you're beginning to wonder how mean it is when, in fact, it was directed at me. <laughs> oh, oh. I definitely want to hear it. No. It was about the dent in my head. <laughs> well, you're really sensitive about that, huh? Listen, guys, David is very sensitive about the dent in his head. So please your stop leaving your emails, face. voicemails, Feldman. and iTunes reviews about it. Feldman's face looks like it was drawn with a left hand. <laughs> All right, that might be a little too mean. Yeah, okay. Uh, Marsky writes. <laughs> Holy shit. Wait, who is it? <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, hang on. I have to find this. Okay. Um, have I played this for you? I don't know. All right. Hang on. This is from uh, Vamp for a second. I have to find my son's. Uh, uh, where is it? My son sent this to me, and I I never downloaded it. Oh, here it is. Hang on. Where is it? Oh, I lost it. Fuck me. Your glasses are on top of your head, old man. I know, I know. Hang on. Are you uh how's it going on that uh on that benefit for autism you you guys are doing? Um Are you working on that? Maybe. So uh, I just saw an ad for it. Oh, here we go. So this, who are the guests on on the benefit this year? We're gonna hear from Bernie. Hang on, I... gonna cry, gonna piss oh, your yeah. pants, maybe, maybe shit maybe. and come, just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top one percent is stealing. I gotta meet that guy. Gonna cry, gonna piss your pants, maybe. Maybe shit and come, just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top one percent is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. <laughs> uh, Mothman, are you still there? I'm still here. Yeah. All right. So this next question comes to us from Martsky. He's a Geminoid. He uh -huh. says, he thinks the least electable billionaire in the Democratic primary should henceforth be known as Mayo Mike Scumberg, as almost all the scum remains hidden beneath the surface. Oh, that's funny, a Scumberg. <laughs> and also, thanks for the Bernie piss your pants clipping. Yeah, that's from uh, the Bernie. This was made by a guy named Mothman, and I've reached out to him, but I... He doesn't return my calls, but I think he's a genius. He made this on YouTube. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Cry. Gonna piss your pants, maybe. Gonna cry. Gonna piss your pants, maybe. Maybe shit and come. Just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top 1% is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. <laughs> 
You don't think that's... You don't find that soothing? <laughs> huh? Uh, okay. All right. What do you know? Not me, us. All right. Uh, uh, Leo liberal cuck, Josh. <laughs> now that's funny. He's in Japan, Okinawa. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, he says, Hey, David and Liam, while looking for stand up videos of Liam, I stumbled upon his LinkedIn. A few of his highlights are as follows. <laughs> All right. Liam uh, yeah. was recently included by GQ Spain in the <laughs> list of the 100 best comedians of, of all time. time. That's true. The 2016. All right. He has appeared on Showtime, IFC, Comedy Central, CNN, HLN, and VH1's Best Week Ever. His podcasts and radio appearances include multiple episodes of WTF with Mark Marin and Correct. the Howard Stern. I'm sorry. I was on two episodes of that and the Howard Stern wrap-up show. Correct. I was a guest on that. As you can see, no mention of you or the podcast, David. My questions oh. for Liam are as follows. <laughs> Where's the love for David? Okay. So, uh, first of all, that's a bio that was written two years ago. Okay. Second of all, uh, the two, the pod, I wanted one podcast and one radio show, and those are both the biggest household names. I hate to say David, Mark Marin and Howard Stern. Okay. How did you up? Uh, how did you end up on GQ's top 100 comedians in Spain? That is uh, hilariously. I the answer to that is I have no clue. Uh, I performed in Europe. I've never performed in Spain. I've never been to Spain. Uh, a quarter of that list were Spanish comics I'd never heard of. Where did you uh, rank? He asks. I was number 81. Specifically, he asks who who placed directly ahead of you and below you. I know Hannibal Burris was directly ahead of me, and I can't remember who was below me. Okay, but if he clicks, if he clicks on a, if he Google's it, it's uh, you know what? I'm going to look right now. How's that? I'm going to look. Let me vamp. As you, as we speak, I'm looking right now. Uh, I'm on my website. Los 100 mejores comedians. According to GQ... Gonna cry. Gonna piss your pants, maybe. Maybe shit and cum. Just like those bankers on Wall Street, the top 1% is stealing all the piss and shit and cum from middle-class working people. Oddly, uh, Mothman uh, ranks number 75 above Conan O'Brien. Where? On this list. Okay. Thanks, David and Liam. Love the segments. Medicare for all. Josh. Hey! Billy Brown. Ready? Uh, hold on one second. We have a question from Billy Brown. I think I've been taken off the list. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Oh, Bernie has a question. That's... That <laughs> I can't think of any. Gonna cry. Gonna piss your pants, maybe. Lazy shit. GQ Spain's top hundred. Wow. You were taken off the list. Uh, I'm I'm looking as we speak. 
Well, okay. Boy, that is that is humbling. Yeah. Uh, you know what's humbling? What's that? Having you as a guest on my show. Oh, boy. Billy Brown. Yep, I was taken off of the list. How can he be I taken flew- off the list? Uh, oh, it's the 2019 list. That's oh, why. Okay. They uh, they updated it last year, and I guess I'd stop being funny. Yeah. <sighs> this question comes from Billy Brown. Is there gas in the car? Boy, I used to be uh, somebody, David. Yeah. I used to be uh, I used to be a real contender. I hope I got a screenshot of that, or else no one's ever going to believe it was real. I mean, that's just uh, how how it goes, right? Yeah. Is there gas One in the car? One day you're at the top. One day you're at the top, and then the next day you're not even the top 100. You're you're not even uh, on belong on the same list as the great Pedro Reyes. All right. Uh, you know, or uh, or of course Tip and Coil, uh, who we uh, who we all love. Gonna cry, gonna piss your pants, maybe, maybe shit and come, just I'm like just those bankers on Wall Street. The top one percent is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. All right. Someday I'll, I'll be a Jose Luis Cuerda. Someday. All right. Can we move on? I, I d- honestly don't know if I can. All right. Are you going to cry? Going to piss your pants, maybe? <laughs> I'm going to come. All right. This... You know who's number 10 on the list now? Who? Bob Hope. All right. Senior Brainwash. Is Hannibal it... Burris got bummed up to number 18. All right. Just because no, your career is... is dead doesn't mean this podcast has to be also. Okay? Uh, Let's move it's on. It's all over. Boy, your listeners really just know how to hurt a fella. All right. Uh, your listeners, I'm going to have to take this off my website now. All right. Can we continue? I don't know if I can, David. All right. This is uh, entirely in my head now. Send your brainwash. Yeah. He's located somewhere west of Bernie Ho Baby Cat. He writes. Uh, there's finally someone. I guess this has been up for a year. Nobody's fact checked my my uh, my press clippings. It also says you're a comedian. Yeah, I guess fact. I used to be. Yeah, I, I believe, used to be known as a comedian. I believe establishment Democrats who hate Bernie Sanders so much will be a much bigger problem in the general election than trying to win over swing voters and Republicans who can be brought into the light to save our country. Their hatred and lack of support for someone whose ideas are in line with the majority of the country will be our biggest downfall. That being said, will I ever get laid? Well, he, he sent this. We were late. This was before Super Tuesday. Turns yeah, out uh, establishment Democrats are not the only problem. Turns out regular Democrats. Then again, there was a little... Something suspicious is going on in California. They're not counting all the absentee ballots. And the lines in Texas were suspicious. But, you know. You know, Eddie Murphy's number 87 on this list, and Robin Williams is number 88. I mean, it's just that's how it goes, man. Okay. You have an off year, and they just forget about you. (laughs) You're depressed. 
When, uh, we're, that's it with listener questions. We'll, if you have any more questions, go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Do you have any more reality checks for me? Ask me anything. Hit the button. We also have voicemail. Leave a message over at the David Feldman Show if Liam survives the next couple of days. Are you depressed? I'm not really depressed, but uh, I, I do have to now fix things on my website. Uh, <laughs> or I have to find that list from 2016 and, and make a direct link to it. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. <laughs> Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Or I need to have some more new credits. Yeah. You know, I need uh, I need to get on TV. Uh, David, how do I get on this uh, autism benefit you guys are putting together? All right. So, Liam, the world is falling apart. Everybody's depressed. Don't you? Well, this is this is like this is like coronavirus for my career, David. All right. I mean, this is really important. Yeah. The, the difference is coronavirus is spreading. Your career <laughs> isn't. People are talking well, about the saying. coronavirus. This is fatal for my career. Yes, but good for America. It was like the most recent press quote I had. 202-670-2752 is our number. 202. You know, I could get away with saying I was on the 2016 list, right? I mean, 202-670-2752. Sure. And I just have to take down the direct link to it. That's all. Okay. Liam, how do people follow you on Twitter? You're at uh, the Improv tonight, right? Well, first of all, uh, please stop looking at my LinkedIn. <laughs> it's going to depress me. Which depresses David, which depresses the listener. Uh, yes, I'm at the improv tonight with Eddie Pepitone, Mark Brazil, uh, magician Phil Van T, musical comedy act Kelly Dwyer, and a couple of like young newcomers uh, who I think are going to do big things in the industry, uh, which means I have to destroy them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elise Golgowski and Connor Hengsleben. Like, seriously, Connor is a fucking funny dude. Definitely uh, come check him out because he's like a lot of people in L.A. are calling him the future of comedy. Okay, I mean, right now he, you know, is broke, but in the future. Well, that is the future of comedy. (laughs) How do you think the coronavirus is going to affect this comedy boom? Uh, I I think honestly, I think it's not going to. There seems to be no shortage of people who are mildly amusing in their dorm room, who think that's all it takes to be a stand-up comedian. And it turns out they're right. Okay. David, let me ask you this. Forget the coronavirus. What's it going to take for me to get a one-hour special someplace? Lack of taste? I have that. I don't know. Well, why don't you, why don't you lie to my listeners, tell them you're a Bernie bro, and then encourage them... To write into Netflix. I've got an even better idea. Yeah. If I get a one-hour special, I'm going to be too famous to be on this podcast. So if you guys write into Netflix now, it'll it'll be that much faster until I have no time for this anymore. You would still come back and do this show. I would come back once to lord it over you. <laughs> 
All right. Guys, wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, I'm finding that, you know, I'm going to find the email address your listeners need to flood with requests. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to do that. You guys find the email address and Liam, flood Netflix with Liam, a request. We, this was a good segment. People are freaking out. You know, they, they stopped Wall Street today. They shut down Wall Street because of panic selling. I think it's. I wish I had twenty thousand dollars because I'd be buying in right now. Okay, and this is a good time to buy. People, people are positive. freaking out. And I thought the first ten minutes, you and I did a pretty good job. You know, the show must go on, and you're freaking out now. You yourself, you're freaking out over your LinkedIn profile. The fact that you're no <laughs> longer one of Spain's top one hundred comics. You're losing it. It was one of my fa- it was one of my favorite credits because it's it was so ridiculously dumb and random. You gotta stay focused, man. <laughs> Listen, don't go wobbly in the knees. <laughs> Your listeners need to remember: no matter what happens with the coronavirus, no matter what happens with the stock market, the rents are never going to go back down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Price of gas is going to keep going up. Food prices are going to keep going up. Nothing is going to stop prices from going up. Nothing's going to stop the greed except this man. We choose science over fiction. We choose (laughs) truth over facts. Oh, my God. I'm fucking not looking forward to pulling the lever for him. It's your fault. We could have had Bernie. Not my fault, man. I was for Warren. Here's what she said. Here's what Elizabeth Warren, your friend Warren. Want to hear yeah. what she said? Yeah. Here. If I could play it. And that's all jammed up. Forget it. Anyway. All right. By the way, Sam Morrill's going to be on my show also uh, tonight. Okay. He's funny. Sam- He's a very funny, very good joke writer. Yes. He's a last-minute drop-in. Okay. All right. Hey, it's Liam is Liam's Twitter handle. Tell your friends is the podcast. Working class fancy is the comedy CD. He'll be at the improv tonight with Sam Morrill, Eddie Pepitone, and who else? Mark Brazil, the who court. co-created that 70s show. Yes. Uh, which uh, is the la- <laughs> which is from an era that was the last time that Bernie Sanders style socialism was feasible. And is where all your references come from. <laughs> like my gun on my the JJ. And finally, yep. let's end <laughs> on this upbeat note. Think about it. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go, you know the you know the thing. You know the thing. He's gonna restore honor to the Oval Office, man. That's what my boy Cory Booker says. Yeah. Stay on the line for one second. <laughs> Thanks for cheering me up, really, seriously. <laughs> Really? You're you're bummed about the news? Well, no. I mean, the way you ended the segment, you started fixating. I did. I actually did start fixating on it. Yeah. And now, like, I feel like you've sucked all the energy out of the show. I I don't know. It's just like a bummer to, to find out. Yeah, but, you know, we're, we're still party. rolling. You can you can put your game face back on and soldier I on. Was, I thought it was funnier to lean into it. You leaned into it and you fell over. This show was upbeat. It was one of our best segments ever. I think your listeners are going to enjoy it. Yeah, you're suffering. 
I think they will, actually. Yeah, but you know what? They're buzzards. They're not going to show sympathy for you. They're no, just going to go in for the kill. They're going to just start chewing the rotten carrion. No, I'll be over it by Friday, believe me. What will be over? I'll be over it. You'll be over it or you'll be over? I will. Well, I'm over, but I will be over it. But you're showing my listeners vulnerability, and they see that as a sign of weakness. They're not going to cradle you and mop your forehead and hold you. I'll be okay. They, they, no, now this is, you're weak. You're wounded. <laughs> the bloodlust is tasted. Oh, L.A. is a bad place to be if you're middle-aged and not feeling like your career is going well. Really? How insightful, Liam. <laughs> You're the first person to discover that. I know I'm not the first person to discover it, but it's just something that pops up every once in a while. I wrote a I wrote a joke on Facebook this week about how LA is a great place to meet people who thought their careers would be further by now. And uh it got two hundred and six likes and well, a lot good. of my friends took it personally. Two hundred and six likes is good. Yeah, it's really good. I, I like now I know what it feels like to be Frank Conniff. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, like uh, quite a few people I know kind of took it personally. I wrote something on Facebook this morning that I really liked. Let's see how it did. Hang on, hang on for one second. I thought it was funny, and somebody complained. Uh. Where is it? Oh, okay. People got pissed off at this. Why hasn't Liz Ward endorsed Bernie? Probably because right after Super Tuesday, he called her and said, that thing I never said, but you said I said, I told you so. You don't think he said it? You don't think that's funny? That's fine. I told you so. <laughs> that thing I never said, but you said I said, I told you so. <laughs> I thought that would do better. It did. I got thirty-four. That's uh, good. Thirty nah. comments, two shares. Bad ratio. And then Zach came after me. Zach Galifianakis. No, Zach Ford. All right. Oh, that too. Yeah. Thank. Really, this just petered out. Ah, uh, it happens. Speaking of peter out, William uh -huh. William Macy for Maud. Yeah. Was known He's for, dead. But he was known for petering out. Pulling his dick out? Yep. That's funny. It's true. Wow. All right. Wow. <laughs> this is this is death, Liam. It's what can I, what can I say? The, your listen one of your listeners finally figured out how to hit me where it hurts. <laughs> they got you. They got me. They finally fit. You know what? It's like, it's like termites. Eventually, one of them finds a crack, and then they all just swarm in. And now they're coming. And now, now they're going to get. You, can, now, you know what? They're just going to say, "Let's just tear down the whole, tear down the whole thing here." This will cheer. No, me. no, no. It's fine. Honestly, by the by by the by the time I have to fucking hear about it, I'll be over it. Yeah, it's a. Well. Uh, Things are actually going well for me out here, so it's not that bad. It's just been an interesting couple of weeks for me. Gonna cry. Gonna piss your pants, maybe. 
Maybe shit and come, just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top gonna cry, gonna piss your pants. Maybe, maybe shit and come, just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top one percent is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. Why doesn't that have? It only has thirty-eight thousand views. It's been up there for a year. How can that only have thirty-eight thousand views? I don't know. I, you know, ten years ago, my your friend Smigel said I could put up his set for my benefit at the Gotham. I mean, the Comics Comedy Club. Yeah, and that's only got a hundred thousand views. I mean, you I just would, don't but know. this this is genius. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like I'm gonna cry, gonna piss your pants, maybe. Maybe shit and come, just like those bankers on Wall Street. The top one percent is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. God, that's so funny, Mothman. All right, Liam, stand the line. Thanks for ruining my show. Oh, we're still we're still recording. Yes, stand the line, folks. Thanks. The top one percent is stealing all the piss and shit and come from middle class working people. You're listening to the David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. From New York, from beautiful Bayville on the glorious Gold Coast of Long Island's North Shore, let's now welcome our old friend Jackie, the Joke Man Martling. 9 p.m. Friday and Saturday, March 20th through the 21st, he'll be at Stitches Comedy Club inside the Wyndham Lancaster Resort. Where is it? In East Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You'll love Jackie's autobiography, The Joke Man, Bowdestern. Get it on Amazon. For endless jokes, say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. For personalized videos, go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's dirty joke line. Use your finger. Use your finger. Call 516-922-WINE. For more show information, go to Jokeland.com. Hello there, Jackie. What would you call a guy with no arms and no legs out of boiling water? (laughs) What? Stew. (laughs) (laughs) What's more fun than having sex with the woman you've been married to for 20 years? What? Everything. (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes. What did Helen Keller do when she fell in the well? (laughs) (laughs) What did Helen Keller do when she fell in the well? What? 
She drowned. <laughs> oh, come on, Jackie. Be nice. Come on. We're a legitimate show. So the, the bartender. The bartender says to a girl, you dig all the guys? She says, well, fuck yeah. We all do. Are you kidding? After Grandma died, Grandpa caught fire. He was out every night banging to beat the band. He was banging away. In fact, he started cutting notches in his cane for every chick he nailed. That's what finally killed him. Bartender says, all that fucking killed him? She says, nah, the asshole leaned on his cane. <laughs> Uh, great. <laughs> Who was the first gay cartoon character? Who? Hmm. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, come on. Jackie, these are nice people. Don't even pretend that's not funny, you <laughs> asshole. So a couple's eating at a new Chinese buffet. Oh, okay. Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. A couple's eating at a new Chinese buffet. <sighs> So, you are like a food here? <laughs> the husband says, the duck is very rubbery. The waiter says, oh, thank you. Your wife, uh, she very rubbery too. <laughs> oh, that took that took a second. Great joke. All right, go ahead. So a kid is in bed next to his grandpa. All of a sudden, his grandfather says, "Sonny boy, I I need a girl. God damn, I need a girl. I got me a heart on, Sonny boy. I'm ready to go, Sonny boy. I got a heart on. Go get me a girl." He says, Grandpa, I ain't going to go get you a girl for three reasons. <laughs> Number one, it's too late. Number two, I ain't old enough to drive. And three, that's my cock in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> What's a cigar? I give up. A cigar is a breath freshener for people who eat shit. <laughs> Why did the sperm cross the road? Why? <laughs> because I put on the wrong socks before I went out this morning. <laughs> a girl in the bar. He says, hey, yeah, why don't you come home with me? She says, why should I? He says, yeah, because I got a very special dog. I got a special dog, Snapper. When him and his tongue get done with you, we'll be scraping you from the freaking ceiling. Yeah. She says, you know, that sounds interesting. So they go back to his place. They go in his bedroom. He says, all right, undress and line the bed with your legs spread. So she undresses, lies in her bed, spreads her legs. The guy says, right, come here, Snapper. Come on, boy, get in here, Snapper. The dog comes in the bedroom. He says, all right, Snapper, do your thing. 
and the dog just sits there. He says, come on, Snapper! Snapper, go, boy! Go, go, boy! The dog just sits there. He says, come on, boy! Come on, Snapper! Do your thing, Snapper! The dog just sits there. The guy says, all right, Snapper! But this is the last time I'm going to demonstrate. <laughs> Great. I laughed at that joke 40 years ago with Rick Overton, and I know he listens to this show. Yes, Hi, he Rick. does, yes. The brilliant Rick Overton. How many hours did it take Zabrowski to put in a cellar window? You're breaking up. Say it again. How many hours did it take Zabrowski to put in a cellar window? <laughs> How many? Ten. <laughs> One hour to put in the window and nine hours to dig the hole for the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> so an Indian, an Indian walks up to a mermaid <laughs> and he says, How? She says, that's a good fucking question, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> so a guy comes home and finds his best friend fucking his wife. He says, Harry, Harry, we got a problem. I love Annie and you love Annie. You know what? Let's be gentlemen about it. Let's play a game of gin rummy and the winner gets Annie. Harry says, all right, but just to keep it interesting, let's make it a nickel a point. (laughs) 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 What's the worst thing a woman can say while you fuck her in the ass? Oh, come on. Come on now. Come on. What? What's the worst thing a woman can say while you're fucker in the ass? How old are you? What? That feels great. What finger are you using? All right. All right. So a Texan's oil well catches fire. Right. A Texan's oil well catches fire. Looks in the yellow pages under oil well fire extinguisher, and he calls Bentley's Brigade, which is the company with the biggest head. Says, my oil well's on fire. How much you fellers charge to put her out? The voice says, $15,000. Oh, God damn, that's a lot of money. God damn. So he looks in the yellow pages again, and he calls the oil well fire extinguishing company with the smallest head, Hernandez Helpers. <laughs> Yeah. He says, my oil well's on fire. How much you fellas charge to put her out? Boys at the other end says, my fee it is $1,000, senor. Uh. Well, hell, get on out here. 400 Evans Drive. Soon as you're done, I'm going to pay you cash money right on the spot. Get out here. So a while later, the Texan's out by his oil well, burning like crazy. When a, tra- a truck comes up, it says, Jose Hernandez, oil well fire extinguisher. He drives up, but instead of stopping, the truck keeps rolling towards the well, crashes against the oil derrick, splits the fire in half. A dozen Mexicans jump out of the truck and start beating on the flames with their serapes, and pretty soon the fire's out. One of the Mexicans walks up and says, Senor, 
Chaim Jose Hernandez. He said, well, by God, I'm going to tell you, Jose, that was the damnedest thing I ever saw. He says, pocket $1,000 and hands it to Jose. Jose takes the money and says, thank you so much, senor. Now I can afford to fix the brakes on my truck. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a pretty joke. <laughs> Hey, did you hear about the charity event for women with no legs? No. <laughs> the place was crawling with pussy. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Good All right. Jackie the Joke Man will be... <laughs> he will be at Stitches Comedy Club at the Wyndham Lancaster Resort in East Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Friday and Saturday, March 20th through the 21st. You'll love Jackie's autobiography, The Joke Man, Powder Stern. Get it on Amazon. Friendless jokes say, Alexa, play Jackie Martling. Follow Jackie on Twitter at Jackie Martling. Jokes every day at 4.20 p.m. International Marijuana Time. You want personalized videos? Go to cameo.com forward slash Jackie Martling. Instant fun. Call Jackie's Dirty Joke Line. Use your finger. Call 516 922 Wine. <laughs> How can you tell all the Jewish families moved in next door? <laughs> How? There's toilet paper drying on the clothesline. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Why are so many parents yanking their sons out of the Catholic schools? Why? They don't like the way the... On them. <laughs> you broke up again. To give you it again, we're having technical difficulties today. Why? They don't like the way the priests are rubbing off on them. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Why'd the canary fly into the kitchen? Why? Tweet. <laughs> that might be the single worst joke I've ever, ever heard. No, I think it's rubbery. <laughs> that joke is rubbery. It really is. All right, Jay. So a guy's on a lonesome road. Yeah. Guy's driving along a lonesome road. He swerves to avoid a deer, and the car rolls over and down into a ditch. He climbs out, and he realizes he's all right. He goes back to the road and sticks out his thumb. Car pulls over. He walks up. It's a really pretty woman in a very short skirt, and she sees what went on. She says, you are very lucky. Hop in. He gets in. She pulls him over, bends over, and sucks his cock. Hmm. Then she says, we'll go back to my place, and I'll take care of that nasty scrape on your forehead and fuck your brains out. He says, uh, I, don't, I don't think my wife would like that. She says, your wife? Where is she? Uh, uh, probably still in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right.
right, stay on the line for one second. Jackie the Jeff. What's the worst thing about dating an Italian girl? What? If she doesn't shave her legs for three days, it's like trying to fuck a cactus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay on the line for one second. I got one more. All right. Here we are at the outpost of a foreign legion. The sergeant walks up to the lieutenant and says, Sir, uh, the men would like a camel. Lieutenant says, Absolutely not, sergeant. And then he thinks back to when he was a private and how lonely he'd get out there. He decides he's going to get the men a camel. So he drives to the nearest Arab camp. He buys a camel, hitches it to the Jeep, drives. And as he pulls into camp, he, he decides he's going to show the guys he's a regular guy. So he blasts the horn a bunch of times. The men come running out of the barracks. And there's a lieutenant fucking the shit out of the camel. He gets done with oh, oh. He hops off and says, there she is, Sarge. There's your camel. And Sergeant says, but, sir, we just wanted a camel to ride into town to look for girls. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. All right. Stand the line for one second. Thank you. Stand the line for one second. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump. 